Tuesday, May the 18th, 2021. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. Hope everyone is having a uh, nice start to your week. We're going a little early this week as uh, we decided to do some Tuesday, Wednesday racing. And with the NBA playoffs starting, it was just a, a perfect time to bring in one of our NBA guests, get all set for the NBA playing games, take a, a little look at what some of the uh, NBA playoff matchups look like. So we're going to discuss all of that with Dave Handelin. You know him as the uh, radio statistician for the T-Wolves. We've had him on here a few times. We're going to go through some horse racing news. We'll recap what happened in the Preakness over the weekend. And then we have Tuesday racing for you. Canterbury and Grant's Pass. Yep, we're going to talk a little Grant's Pass. Jason Beam does the uh, announcing over there. He's the uh, track announcer. So we're going to give him a a little love and a little support. And we'll give a a few plays out for that track for Tuesday night. We'll talk some Wednesday racing. I'm going to have a few plays for Indiana Grand. And then Emerald gets into the mix. So a couple of these tracks are also stable dual tracks. So Canterbury is going to have stable dual contest now. Uh, I think Emerald will also be in the the mix. I'm going to give you a little bonus Thursday couple plays from Churchill Downs. So you'll get some Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday racing on this show. Then we end with the old wrestling rewatch. Andrew Champagne, Darren Zocali helped me talk WrestleMania 18. So uh, we're going to bounce all around NBA, horse racing news, plays for Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then uh, the old wrestling rewatch. That's what G said is brought to you by BTV Better Than Dot Vegas at BTV on Twitter. The Go right now and give a look to this website. If you are a handicapper, gambler, uh, this is one that you want to bookmark. There are videos daily from all sorts of different handicappers who are playing all sorts of different sports all over. So you can get information there, but also you can get involved in these free contests that they have every week. They have the BTV Showdown, $250 in cash payouts, and it's totally free to enter. All you have to do is register on BTV, you record videos with uh, your plays, and then you upload the video. And the website will automatically track your plays, and then it will have a list um, of the leaderboard and the results and everything. So throughout the week, you make at least three picks. Picks are valued at one unit. You post your VIX, uh, your picks in, in the form of a video. VIX. You see what I did? Combine the, the picks and video. Uh, not, I'm not talking about the vape, vapor rub. I'm talking about uh, your picks. You post those on um, better than dot Vegas, and have to have at least three videos throughout the week. If you're up top, you are going to get the money. You will see each and every day where you stack up there, and uh, you can read all the details on the scoring and uh, and all the rules there. But it, it's pretty basic. Better than dot. Vegas. If you've been following me on social media, you've noticed I've been posting a lot of uh, videos recently over the last week. Um, you're going to see baseball and basketball weekly, uh, daily videos from me, probably five, six days of the week, where uh, I'll give you some plays. There's always going to be a couple days where you don't find anything, and I'm not one that'll give you 10 or 12 plays. You're going to get two to three for me, maybe one sometimes, whatever jumps out at the board, I'm never going to force it, I'm going to look for the value that we that we can find, I'm going to handicap and try to find numbers that, that are just a little bit off based on uh, based on our handicap, so if you like to play any sports at all, I mean, they've got it all for you there, tons of uh, NHL stuff going right now, that's not my specialty, so I steer clear, but I'm, I'll get into some baseball and some basketball, they've got soccer over there, um, you'll get horse racing stuff for me also on big days, stable duel stuff, uh, yeah, all sorts of different stuff. Better than dot Vegas. Right now, we're going to get into 
NBA. Dave Handlin joins me. We spend uh, yeah about an hour or so going over the playing games, which start on Tuesday. There are two playing games on Tuesday. First up, six thirty Eastern time. We've got Charlotte uh, at Indy. Indy is a three point favorite. I believe Gordon Hayward is not going to be playing in that game. And then uh, the second game is going to be Washington at Boston. I believe uh, this game is now Boston minus one and a half. So we talk about these two games. We talk about the Wednesday games, uh, which is Spurs at Memphis. Memphis is a three and a half point favorite. And then Golden State at Lakers. Uh, Lakers are around four and a half or so right now. That one opened at six and a half Lakers, but moved in uh, in the favor of Golden State there. So. Four games coming up Tuesday and Wednesday. We talk about these. We uh, go over the other playoff series, and we also uh, begin the conversation talking about the Minnesota Timberwolves and Ant Edwards. What a uh, great end to the season that he has. So we spent about 15 minutes there talking T-Wolves. Then we spent about 45 minutes uh, after that talking the rest of uh, NBA playing, playoffs, all that good stuff. Kick back and relax. Uh, enjoy this conversation with Dave. A big week in the end. The season is over. We are on to the play-in tournament and in the playoffs starting afterwards. Uh, joining me, a good friend of the show. He's been on here many times. We've had him talk NBA, talk horse racing with him too. And it's actually a, kind of a cool week and a, a, a definitely a, a shift in the schedule for Dave Handelin. Huh, Dave? Because as the uh, T-Wolves like end exactly for you Canterbury opens up and that's a track That you do a, a really good job of covering and, and, and putting out selections for all the time So uh, it's as one thing ends It leads right into the the next for you, huh? Yes, yeah, well, glad <laughs> to be here Gino, and yeah, it's one door closed Another one opens right away <laughs> yeah. it, it, it Literally like NBA season got over on Sunday And Canterbury starts Tuesday, so Monday is <laughs> like A day of rest and mentally Recoup, clean out and change over And here we go Awesome, yeah, and so um, you and I were just talking before we started recording We're going to have worlds colliding for me too Because I love to play the Canterbury races We talk about those low 10% pick fives and how cool those are And then we just got the news that Stable Duel is actually going to be having contests for Canterbury And right now, as you and I record this on Monday afternoon They've already got Stable Duel contests in uh, in the app for Canterbury for Tuesday So we'll have some connections there We'll play in some Stable Duel lineups, talking some Canterbury And uh, look Looking forward to uh, bringing you on uh, later uh, in, in the next few weeks and later in the meet a bunch to uh, to talk Canterbury. But uh, this conversation, we're going to talk some NBA because good. you and I are big NBA fans. You uh, work for the T-Wolves. We had you on before the season to preview the season. And I want to talk a few minutes about the T-Wolves and then jump into um, talking about the play-in and, and what some of the playoff matchups look like. So just a real unfortunate start to the year for the T-Wolves with Cat uh, and with Everything that was happening with him, his family, and with COVID, and he was just really behind um, from the beginning, and it and it took a while for this team having to make a coaching change in the middle of the season. D'Angelo was banged up a lot, but I gotta say, the last like month and a half or so, it really felt like things shifted and changed for the T Wolves, bringing in the new coach, which was a a kind of a bizarre thing to do Middle of the season to be honest It's not something you see all that much in the NBA And and then Obviously the emergence of Of, of your rookie Ant and, and we'll talk about uh, Edwards who I believe was was just named The rookie of the month and I mean I don't know if he's 
if he's really getting the respect nationally that that he deserves because uh when we'll jump into it this guy does feel like a real franchise cornerstone no for for sure on everything you just said there like th- yeah it was a season of you know, downs 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 and then change and then all of a sudden like like if there's been a life just completely torched into this franchise and i, I it's I know the coaching change in there happened, but Anthony Edwards has been everything and more that anybody in the fan base here and probably around the in the league could have hoped for. Like when you consider where when the draft was going on last year, and it was like, ah, oh, this is this draft is a pretty weak draft, and there's not much talent there. And you look at what he and Lamelo have done, and wow. Halliburton and Sacramento, Halliburton. like, like all right, these guys are stars, and it's like. Not like a question now. Like no. I think it's pretty fair that come next year, Lamelo and Ant are going to be in the All Star game, like conversation. conversation. Absolutely. And the, the, so, like, it, that's just—it's so awesome. Like Ant's personality has just—it's taken over. You see him; he's a 19-year-old kid. He would have been a because he reclassified early. He would have been a freshman on most college teams. This yeah. Year. So seeing what he's doing, where he became a 23-point game scorer and how is he he wisened up with his shot selection and he and he really just the game slowed down to him after the all-star break. And just it was awesome to see and just gave everybody kind of the hope everybody was looking for. We're talking about a 40-game sample size for uh for Ant, where and it's funny when you look at it like on basketball reference and you know you can you know you can like make your little um you can um, customize anything to any way you want. So when you look at his his last forty games, it's so crazy. Thirty third career game. When you think about it like that, to seventy second career game. The kid had only played thirty games in in this stretch of forty. He averaged twenty three and a half points a game, over almost five and a half rebounds, three point three assists, a steal and a half. He shot forty four percent from the field, um, almost thirty four percent from. Three on eight over eight attempts per game, and he was shooting five free throws a game too. So I mean, that's what is great. It's like efficient, getting to the line, shooting the three well, playing well on defense. Like you're checking all of the boxes, not necessarily just like, oh yeah, he scored twenty a game because he was taking, you know, you know, four like thirty five shot. You know, just shooting, shooting, shoot. Some nights he had a lot of shots, sure. But I did, I did see like one of your tweets, and I listened to some of the Bill Simmons, uh, Rosillo stuff too. And I think like them, them, and some of the national, um, maybe media that didn't get a chance to watch him night in, night out. You just check the box score sometimes, and really weren't maybe understanding how much of an impact he was having, and like in a winning way too, like making winning basketball plays. No, for sure. Like, yeah, he. And, and I know that it was a Simmons Rosillo podcast where they, oh, you look at the scoring and the in the shots yeah well what else does he do and it's like no look look at his box scores like like he's, everything he's a multiple rebounds <laughs> multiple assists guy like every game like like it's it's an outlier when he has zero or one in any of those categories in a game like that was a big rarity like he was a multiple rebounds multiple blocks multiple steals guy at 19 years old facing NBA players that he had seen on TV without in without the benefit of the summer league. He didn't know he was going to live in Minnesota until November. <laughs> like, <laughs> like this all came really quickly. And then he has to adjust with new teammates and a new coach. And all right, well, guess what? Slow down. And the dude became a legit stud. And 
these professionals that he's going against couldn't stop him. And <laughs> and Ant adjusted to what they were doing. And I saw somebody say it like Ant didn't, Ant didn't run into the rookie wall. He completely destroyed the rookie wall and the wall was broken. Shattered it. He went, yeah. he busted through it. Um, to me, one of the, the things that's actually the funniest and um is that like some of the things that you heard about him coming out of the draft and early on were things like, does he really care about basketball that much? You know, and it's like he's really athletic and he's got a lot of what it takes, but does this guy want to win? Um, is he just sort of like playing basketball because he's good at it and he did everything and I don't know even one tenth of a percent him as much as someone like you do who cover, but everything that I've seen. And I've read and all of the clips from him that I've like heard talking after games and stuff It could not seem like it is more of the opposite Like he seems like he's such like a badass who wants to win He like wants to beat you up like he's tough Even in the little interactions that he had with the Lakers He was going right at LeBron like not scared of any big shot any big moment whatsoever Like I just I remember hearing that now and I almost laugh about it it was that ESPN hit piece right before the draft yes. where it was like, and, and I'll admit, like, I was a Wolves fan and I looked into the Wiseman, Ball, Edwards, all right, who, what are we going to do? And I had my thoughts and that piece really scared me. It was like, like, oh my God, is this oh, the guy yeah. Like, this is it. And then we draft him and like, all right, well, this is where we're going. And I would say within like a week, like all of a sudden, like all of his interactions with Twin Cities media here, like wait a second, this isn't the guy that was being portrayed in that article. Like, like the complete opposite. He's this not is even a close to that kid who says whatever he wants. Like, yeah, it, it's refreshing how he says it. Like that wasn't like that was a complete hit piece. I know, and he is completely. That's not who he is, and thank God that's not who he was. And it's, he's everything from that, and. I don't know if that helped maybe lower the bar a little bit for people's <laughs> expectations here, but he is absolutely loved. Like the in the arena, the amount of limited capacity, but the amount of Edwards jerseys are out of control in there. He's by far the crowd favorite. He's so much fun to watch, and like you said, it just it was that just shows you when when you're evaluating some of these draft prospects. Sometimes, like it literally comes down to like. One person not liking the per- the guy and saying something or saying the wrong thing, and like all of us read that, and for the first few months we're like, oh, oh, who is this kid gonna be? You know, should he have gone that high? Then you watch him, and it's just like I, I was just laugh every time and say, this is nowhere near who this kid was made out to be at all. Like he's got more of a like of any of the rookies that I've seen, he's got more of a like an fu. Kind of like mode, you know, like I'm gonna go right at you, and I want to go, like you said, break through the rookie wall. He, I, I was so impressed with how he did not shy away from LeBron. A lot of young guys will do that, you know. Even the the stuff he said, I don't know who A Rod is. I know J Lo though, right? Like he just like uh, he's got a, he's got kind of what you want. Um, so I think you guys really did get a diamond in the rough there, and then there were just so like your team was just competitive. The second half of the season on a lot of those games Like even losses they were games where um, You know between him And Towns and then you got D'Angelo back A little bit like you Your team you just see you could see these signs of life Now the big 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 question moving forward is Can you can you get in the position To keep that pick and and get another Big 
Peace building block moving forward um, That That's really probably what Like is is you know the next huge like, What happens with the wolves thing Yeah that's going to be I think 27% I had done like the percentages of like Alright where's if you're tanking Compared to the all out tank Like some of the teams are doing compared to where Some of the teams are compared to Minnesota That was trying at the end throughout mm-hmm. And it was like, all right, here's here's the percentages. If you're 40%, you're if you need a three-pointer Geno to save your life, do you want Tobias Harris shooting it? Or do you want Fred Van Vliet at 36 <laughs> and a half? Do you want John Wall at 31 and 0.8? Or do you want Robin Lopez at 27%? And it was like, well, Robin Lopez is taking our three-pointer. Yep. Is, is where we're at right now. So we're hopefully Robin makes it. And you know, you know what I will say, and and this is something that nobody can ever like, even find a statistic for this or gauge. I think there is really something though to playing it out and like the karma of the basketball gods and that kind of thing. You know, plenty of teams have tanked and tanked and gotten those low picks, but I've got a feeling that because you your team was not irrationally doing that right like how easy would it have been to just say okay a- anthony edwards and towns like you guys are going to sit down for the last couple weeks here instead of doing that you went the opposite way you know i think there is something for sort of respecting the game like that and knock on wood because i i sort of you know i i follow you along on social media and i i root for them to do well and i i was really Really excited to see how good he looked the second half of the season because now you're in a situation where, okay, you bring this pick in, and now you've got now at the very least, you've got a, a like three or four excellent assets, right? You've got that yeah. pick, you've got Towns, you've got D'Angelo still, who's got some worth, and then you've got Ant. And so you have an opportunity there to decide is this the group we want, or do we need to? Heaven forbid, get rid of you know a, a cat or get rid of a D'Angelo. Who knows? Or but built. I don't think it would be Ant. And you have someone young to build around. That would be so nice because if you need, you just it puts you in a spot where you have options moving forward. Oh, for sure. Like if you get that pick, it opens up everything for possibility. And it's just amazing just how quick the narrative can change. I think the thought right? last year was, all right, they're going to try to add something alongside Cat and D'Lo. So the number one pick is going to be an asset to move <laughs> where, all right, well, after what everybody saw with Ant, uh, hell no, that is not the asset to move. Like that no. one is, no. that one is, that one that's is staying like, <laughs> for sure. That, that is a piece that is, I don't even know what, like when the articles come out, there's people who do like the trade value and where untouchables, like you got to think like with his deal in Minnesota, having control over him for about eight years, like, and at 10 million this year and 11 next, like he's going to be a very valuable piece in that kind of article. When maybe six months ago, that was not, not really thought of as such. Mm-hmm. So no, Hey, we're, we were three and zero versus the Utah jazz. The jazz lost 20 right? games this year. Three <laughs> of them were to the Timberwolves. They lost five games at home. Two of those games were in Minnesota. NBA was 31 and three at Utah. Or Utah was 31-3 against the NBA at home But they were 0-2 against the Wolves Hey, And that's, that's good man There were just like a lot of things to build on When you know Early in the year when Cat's out, D'Angelo's out Anthony's still a rookie Really young rookie at this time fill, Like uh, filling things out Like he hasn't quite hit hit his Last 40 games stretch yet 
and the stuff with the the team didn't really, you know, wasn't really connecting very much with the coaching staff. And then you bring a new coach in. It's like that only being a few months ago, that feels like it was a couple years ago almost, you know? Yeah, it's <laughs> in Minnesota. It seems like we we live life a lot. Like a lot of stuff happens in a little bit of time. It just flies. And... <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we, we saw our share of fun this year and last year. And yeah, it's oh. been interesting. It's been an interesting run. Yeah, but we're on we're the gonna, playoffs. We made yeah, it. we're so gonna have some. To last like last summer, we everybody kind of went in the summer. And what was everybody's goal? Don't die. Now it's yeah. all right. Let's let's have some fun and let's enjoy the summer and let's let's see some playoff action. And I think the NBA is very very happy with the uh, the play in game that they're gonna get on Wednesday night with the uh, with the Warriors Lakers Curry LeBron in a play in situation, which they could not have asked for better. We'll get there in a minute. There are four play-in games. I want to talk a, a quick bit about each. Um, so the way for those of you who are listening who weren't who don't exactly know how this play-in situation works, the teams that are are one through six in the standings in both the Western and the Eastern conferences, they're locked into their playoff spots. So um, they already, uh, you know, teams three, four, five, and six already know their matchups. They're completely set. They know when they're going to play. As far as the one and two seeds are concerned, they're waiting because now what has to happen is the 10 and the nine seeds play against each other. The winner of that game moves up. The loser is out. The eight and the seven seeds play against each other. Whoever wins that, they are locked into the playoffs as the seven spot, and the loser drops down to play the winner. So it sounds more complicated than it really is, but if you're a seven or an eight seed, you really just need to win one of two games to get in. If you are a nine or a 10 seed, you need to win two games in a row in order to get in. So it adds a little fun, and it definitely, I, I got to say, Dave, like over the last couple of weeks, especially me as a Lakers fan, um, I was paying so much more attention to the standings at the very end of the year than Probably any other year before So I know this has been a polarizing topic Whether you like it or not But I think there's no doubt about it That it's kept, it's created a little more intrigue For this particular period Where a lot of times that last three weeks Or a month of the year is kind of a slog Oh for sure The the amount of excitement this is this is brought up That unless you're Unless you're probably LeBron James Or yeah. you, you can say Some of the guys on Boston Like you absolutely love this because even, oh, even yeah. Golden State barely snuck in, but Golden State a few weeks ago, this was something that all right, we need this playing mm-hmm. tournament. Mm-hmm. And golly, in in the West, NBA a one game playoff, do or die. Not not necessarily die, but the one game win and in between Steph and LeBron is everything the NBA could have hoped for. This exactly. that is going to be phenomenal. It is. Granted, they can still get in that in that second chance. Yeah, just that that one game scenario because. Who knows, right? Like one game, like he scores fifteen threes. All of a sudden, an injury at the end of the game or something, and you're yeah. out for that next game. Like, uh oh, yeah, Lakers, Lakers out of the playoffs. Like, what? I That's know. not expected. And so. what, what's what's funny is, like, as a fan, I am one hundred percent terrified in the one, like the basically two game situation for the Lakers, where they could lose two and be done quickly. Um, on the other side of that. If knowing, like, I would sign up right now to be the number seven and to take my chances in a, in a series against the the Suns, who the Lakers I think match up really well against. Like they played the Suns just just I think a week and a half ago without LeBron, without Schroeder, without Kuzma, and Anthony Davis just destroyed them. They just don't really have the size to kind of match up well against the Lakers. So you know, I would sign up for that right now, but in signing up for that, 
you've got to deal with Steph Curry, who like last night, it, you know, we recorded this on Monday. He so on Sunday night or Sunday afternoon when they played the the Grizzlies. Like I said, the Grizzlies played. Well in the first, well in the beginning of the fourth They they played pretty poor in the middle of the game Where they just weren't like doing the normal Grizzly things like hustling for loose balls And stuff and Steph ended up Shooting 22 threes He took 36 shots overall And they know like they Their whole team and Draymond They don't sugarcoat it They know their best opportunity to win games Is if Steph Curry Shoots 20 threes and makes something like Eight of them Yeah he that's <laughs> That's that's what without Clay and with Draymond and Wiggins and with Wiseman being out, like that's what it is. It's you're gonna anybody who faces them is gonna get the onslaught from Steph. <laughs> Are they gonna go in? I don't know. They probably will. And, yeah. But it's oh, it's it's gonna be so fun watching that and just seeing how like the the jockeying of teams and the West, oh my gosh, all trying to like, all right, where are the Lakers going to squeeze in here? The like, Clippers you, were you know, the Clippers just, doing what they're doing. They played a dude City, named Houston. Scrub forty minutes in back to back games. An actual guy named Scrub. It was so funny. I saw people tweeting about that. But it um and it, it does feel like in a lot of NBA years we've known, especially let's say the, like think about the last 15, 20 years, right? You you had um. Where like LeBron and his Cavs, LeBron in the Heat, you had the Spurs, you had the Warriors, who were basically always there in the mix. You and before that, it was the Lakers and the Celtics had a little bit of a run there. But this is like last year, we thought it was pretty wide open, and and the bubble maybe impacted a few things. And the Lakers were just really good in that they were good all year. They didn't have injuries. They didn't have a lot of p- missing pieces and players. And then I think. I think the bubble actually helped the Lakers last year because of like the leadership of LeBron and and being around there and him, you know, just like everybody sort of taking their uh, their lead from him. Man, I really do think this year, like you were saying, you add in that, okay, what happens if LeBron or AD get hurt in any series they're in? What happens if that happened to Kawhi? What about Mitchell? We know that Nuggets don't even have Murray. Um, you know, right away we're talking about the the top teams, what about Perzingis with Dallas? You go on the other side, like if Embiid for some reason takes a bad step, they're done. And and it's not like we're – Embiid has had a, had a tough time staying healthy at all. Brooklyn, we've got no clue if those three guys are going to be able to stay on the court. Milwaukee's actually been pretty healthy and pretty consistent. But, you know, you start looking at like all of those teams, you flip a switch and any one of those players gets hurt and they're probably not winning. No, for, for sure. Like that's – and. Yeah, people have not stayed healthy and and trying to figure out who is going to be. I, I look at a team like Milwaukee, and they, they just have a gauntlet that they're going to have to run through. Like right? there's 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 some team like Philadelphia's run the, to the potential finals is a way lot easier. easier. Oh Milwaukee, yeah. geez, they get Miami, who knocked them out last year, and if they get past that, then you get rewarded with the Nets. And if you beat the Nets, then there's Philly. He's likely had one to two easier series on the mm-hmm. way to there waiting for you. As... They, they will earn it. I, and yeah. I will say this, either them or Brooklyn, like Brooklyn will probably not have as difficult a series, but I think the series that we all, I sure as hell want to see, and I am just fingers crossed, I really, really, so do we get, wait, we, so we do still have an opportunity. If the Wizards win their game, it'll be Wizards versus Brooklyn. And we'll get a chance to see Russ 
Against KD and Harden And to me that would just be fun TV Because you know Russ is going to go Absolutely ballistic <laughs> In that series And he'll have one or two games where he, he wins it for them But he'll have a couple games where he just completely Shoots them out of the game Or he's so like I could see him being so intense That he's picking up quick fouls Getting teased like that just would be a lot of fun to see Yep The, the Westbrook always is fun But you, you yes. in a scenario like that With yeah. all those storylines Oh dear god that's gonna be That would be good yeah if they if they can Squeeze by Boston on that That would be that would be phenomenal That would that, that would be a lot of fun In Boston, Unless you're a Boston right? fan who then you then you like, Yeah oh, crap now we have to play Either Indiana or Charlotte to hang on for our playoff Lives it was funny because I was Completely was depleted I was listening to we brought up a, a few times Simmons and Rosillo and there uh, he's big Boston fans and so they were saying like he he was actually saying I don't want to play the Nets because I just don't want to see Kyrie beating it you know like seeing Kyrie beat them repeatedly would just be so sour for the Celtics like, if they had to run into him in a series they're like I'd rather lose and if we can win and get in and just lose to Philly that would be better and maybe we have a better chance there like just focusing on Embiid but um it so it is a uh, Going to be very interesting, even even like at the bottom of the East um, on on Tuesday. So the two Tuesday games are the Eastern Conference games. We're going to have the Charlotte Hornets against the Pacers in that nine ten game, and I do think we just found out that Gordon Hayward is not going to be playing in that game. So that obviously um, does impact Charlotte quite a bit. The winner of that game will go on and face the loser of the Washington Boston game. So whoever wins that Wizards Boston game, they will end up playing. The the nets so um yeah that, that would be a it'd be a lot of fun I guess either either Washington or Boston would kind of have some fun storylines against the nets right we had the the Celtics and the nets had that big trade years back and then you, you throw the Kyrie into the mix there too and then obviously the the Washington stuff with the West Westbrook feels like he's like the guy who's like got like a bunch of ex girlfriends right like feels like he's got some some history with like everybody in the league you know. <laughs> Just all these little personal battles all over yeah. the place. I mean, he's got his little <laughs> list of crossing names off. Took care of that one, like the Steve Buscemi character and Happy Gilmore. <laughs> exactly. That's so funny. You're right. Just checking them all off the list one at a time. So that that is on uh, on Tuesday. Um, do you have any uh, any thoughts um, on? It's funny because like I hate saying it, but like it feel it does feel like that Charlotte indie game. Um, uh, and and even like the Memphis San Antonio game. I don't know. They feel like. Just to kind of maybe even like a cut below the other play in games. Um, but Charlotte has been really fun. LaMelo has been good. They've overachieved this year. I mean, even just being in this spot is pretty damn impressive. Um, I think it's really cool uh, with Lavert and everything that's gone on with him in a really scary situation this year over at Indiana. But um, yeah, I'd say that. You know the Pacers are probably a little disappointed with how their year turned out. They're they're always like in the playoffs in the playoff mix. Um, this could be. I mean. This would be a big deal, I think, for Charlotte. And so, you know, I might even even without Hayward, I wouldn't be be shocked to maybe see them be a little bit more pumped to be in this spot. Like they'll be excited to be there. It'll be like the one thing with them is I know their record without Hayward has been the big, yeah, difference this year. Like, yeah, like as following on with the Ant and Lamelo rookie in the year chase, and it's you see the records with and without Lamelo, and Charlotte was basically record wise the same team. But when you remove Hayward from the equation, they were, they were very, they, they struggled. We'll put it yep. that way. They they, yeah. they struggled, and so without him, that that's that's a killer for the front court. You just think Sabonis and Miles Turner might have their way over there. Um, so I, I like Indiana to get by Charlotte, but and then 
still probably have Boston over them, but it, yeah, Washington right now. Yeah. Like, wa- wa- the way Washington is playing along with Boston and their injury situation, I, I think Washington can, I think Washington will advance through there. I think Indiana beats Charlotte. And then I think, screw it. Let's go with it. We're going to say Indiana beats Boston. Okay. Okay. So, uh, thinking that Indiana has a shot to, uh, to move on up, um, uh, to the eight spot and, uh, Washington gets in there at the seven spot. Yeah. I think Washington's going to get into, I just, I feel like what Russ really wants that series, you know, that would be just, he would love to get an opportunity there and the vibe with, with Boston right now, just the way they finish the season with Brown out. Um, they're just not playing well. They're not getting good shots. They don't have a lot of depth. They're not really very tough. Um, I, I I do think Washington's going to win that one. Um, maybe I'd flip. I agree with you though. They've just been so bad without Hayward, and it's like I think I want. I would like to see Charlotte win the game and get an opportunity, and then uh, the fan in me would love to see the Celtics drop all the way out. To be honest, uh, that that would be what I would be. Uh, I'd be hoping for. But the one game I, I might look at playing um, is is the Washington Boston game. So let's. I'll, I'll say Washington wins there. I'll say Charlotte. Um, Wins the first game but then they unfortunately Can't get by the Celtics in the second game So I'll say that, that Washington jumps up takes the seven And Boston takes the eight And we'd end up getting a, in that case We'd end up getting a Philly versus uh, Boston 1-8 We'd get a Washington Brooklyn 2-7 Th- Those are two series that we've Sort of uh, talked a little bit about The other two in the east that are already set um, And you you know you briefly Mapped out the road that the Bucks May have to go through I will say in a last couple days of the year when everybody on it seemed like in the West was tanking to get away from each other, Milwaukee didn't do that. They had an opportunity to, I think, like let the Heat beat them, and they would have not had to play the Heat. But but they basically said, you know what? We don't really care. Um, they are going to be mentally in, in in an interesting spot here, right? Like playing against the team that beat you in a series last year in a similar spot where you were favored against them. You're supposed to beat them. So that is a really intriguing first round matchup. It's an intriguing first round matchup. Now Giannis got hurt during that series last year, but I think mm-hmm. damage kind of in the record had already been done by the time mm-hmm. he got hurt. But this is, they went out and they mortgaged a ton of the future to get Drew Holiday. Yep. And in the regular season, it, it showed that he could play, but it's not beat around the bush. They got him for the playoffs. This is why they got Drew Holiday. And I think this Miami team isn't as good as what I agree got into last year. So Milwaukee should be in a lot better spot. Giannis is healthy. Like it's I think they can they're gonna get revenge on Miami this year. I do my, too. My feeling there. Yeah, I think so too. I really think that this Milwaukee team just does feel like that uh, extra option. Of Holiday, who gives them somebody who can not only initiate but also take on really good perimeter players, right? Like he's gonna guard Butler, you know, he's gonna guard like he's gonna shut down whoever's playing really well in those situations, and then that's just gonna make things a lot more difficult. And Milwaukee's actually played pretty, uh, pretty well against some of the better teams too this year. I think because of in those games now they do match up a lot better because what it ends up happening is. Okay, now Holiday has the ball in his hand sometimes So that gives Giannis a little bit of opportunity to go down low You and I talked about this at the beginning of the year He gets to be a little bit more like a Shaq sometimes when And, and take the ball out of his hands And now what ends up happening Well, now you got Middleton wide open mm-hmm. You know, like, shooting So I think, like, I like them probably the most as a team 
But you hit the nail right on the head They have got such a difficult road Because I do think they'll get by Miami But I don't think it'll be easy, right? Miami's a very well-coached team Like, it could, this could be like a, a a Five or six tough, like, game series You know, where yeah. I think Milwaukee Gets through them, they never really look like they're gonna Lose the series, but, you know, you're always Gonna get, like, Miami to punch you To back, to play good defense And to not make things easy on you, so While they're having to deal with Miami You know, Brooklyn will be dealing With whoever makes the plan We talked about, you know, it'll either be uh, you know uh, One of those uh, two, Boston or Washington, which which will be, I mean I don't think if they stay healthy They'll they'll lose that series And then like you said, Philly Will have um, a, Probably a pretty easy spot too with, with either You know, a Washington, uh, a Boston Or one of the other two teams behind them With the uh, with Indy and Charlotte Like That doesn't scream scary series either um, th- The one that's the most Kind of funny on paper is Like, could you imagine if we would have Said before the season That the Knicks are going to get a Home or they're gonna get home court advantage And they're gonna be playing the Hawks Like it just we would have been like In our head thinking like Where did they f- end up like What these are four or five teams like This doesn't How make many sense teams had to drop out due to COVID reasons that the R- Knicks Got up to the fourth right the East lost seven teams right what like well, This wouldn't have made any sense but It shows you what what coaching will do Dave you bring in someone like Tibbs Who you know very well right and he's Someone who has like he'll wear out his welcome places after a long time because he's so intense and he's he's so like regiment. He never takes a day off. But at the same time, that's why and that's what he's able to do is take a team like the Knicks, who maybe didn't take every game and every possession seriously, and now they do. And you show when you just play hard, play really good defense, don't turn the ball over for no reason. And they built a team around Julius Randle now. They're in no means one of the most talented teams in the league, but they they seem like they like each other. They play really well. Um, you know, I've had fun watching the Knicks this year. So they, the, for the job Tibbs has done with that team, it's absolutely incredible. Making you you had Julius Randle on the Lakers. Did you envision that he would be a in the consideration for probably like nope. third team All NBA? Like no, I, I I thought he would be. Maybe somebody who could like be a, like a, a lead the league in rebounding for a year or two and be like a 2010 guy. And I love Julius. And, and like he, I like, like he was probably one of my fi- my favorite of the young Lakers personally, just because I like the way he's he's made. Just like we were talking about Ant. When I was watching a lot of the young Lakers, I never really knew with D'Angelo. Um, I never really knew with Ingram. He was very quiet. Never really knew. Um, like you're not quite sure with some of these what their their you know makeup is. I never had that question about Julius. He was always really tough. He would go right at guys like Anthony Davis or Gobert and think that he could score on them. So his toughness, I always loved. I, I didn't think he'd ever be able to shoot as well as he shot this year. And yeah. 41% uh, like, three point shooter this year. Just unbelievable. Like if you would have told me he was like 31 or 32 on on the like high volume, I would have said, oh, that's actually. Pretty solid and like enough to maybe even keep people honest with him, you know. And then he can t- he can at least hit one or two and then blow by him. But his pull up there, the confidence that he has, man, they have done such an incredible job. And if you're like both of these teams, if you're, and, and I mean, I, I pretty much feel similarly about it, Atlanta, right? They went out and they were like very very active in free agency. They brought a ton of players in, um, 
And you're kind of looking at it like I don't know how if or if all of these players are going to be able to play Well sure enough they, they kind of weren't They ended up trading Rondo away and uh, um, But they made a coaching change And they've been very good They've sort of figured out how to Unlock Trey on the offensive end And kind of hide him as best as possible On the defensive end Both of these fan bases have a have to feel Like they have a realistic chance to win this series Oh for sure Like This is, this is probably the most wide open series Oh yeah early on. It was like in our preseason preview I think we were both extremely high in Atlanta And we mm-hmm. looked like idiots Early the, right the first, the first Month and a half Two months of the season Like, like <laughs> wow we were stupid on that What were Just we thinking so- when they Samson, had the coaching yeah. change and they're like the fourth best team in the NBA since the coaching change and like it's worked I, that Atlanta team like John Collins was in trade rumors at the deadline and it's just like no it, it doesn't make sense like this team is rolling like they've struggled for years they're rolling why would they why would they trade their starting power forward when why not just why not just see what happens and they yeah. they stuck with it they saw what happens, and here they are. And all right, there's a scenario they they beat the Knicks there, like they, mm-hmm. they should. And with with the way they can shoot, and with I I, I don't know, I don't know how how Philadelphia is actually going to shoot in the playoffs. Like who knows? Maybe Atlanta gets hot in a couple of those games and and pushes Philly. Like Capella can play and beat a little bit. Collins matches up there. Trey Young is Trey Young can one man show a win. And I, I don't know. Like there's there's a path for Atlanta now that sure. now that the vibes are there and Nate McMillan's done what he's done with that team. I'm like I wouldn't be surprised with Atlanta. Gallo, Bogdanovich are guys that can absolutely carry you in playoffs when those dudes get hot. Um, sweet Lou, sweet, sweet Lou. Lou. You know he's been a bad playoff performer because they'll attack him, but he's another guy who bring him in off the bench. He gets hot for he can totally change the complexion of a game. This this is so good for both of these teams. First of all, to be getting a full series that they that both of these teams got in and didn't have to play in the play-in tournament, I think automatic win for both of their fan bases right off the bat. And and then whichever one of these teams ends up getting by, that will be so great for them. Even if you get swept for nothing against Philly, like getting to the second round of a playoff series, figuring out how to win the first round series, and then playing a top team with one of the better players in the league and having to go at them and approach them and just the travel of the playoffs and feeling the intensity like total win for the Knicks, total win for the Hawks, and major win for whichever one of these teams ends up coming out of there. I'll I'll probably handicap the series a little bit more, but I mean the the old Laker fan inside of me will probably be rooting rooting for Julius to to do really well and sneak one out. But this is like a really intriguing four or five series, even though I don't think either one of these teams is like a legitimate title contender. Like we may say about, you know, the four seated Clippers in the West. This, this is like a very fun. It, I don't know if it's going to get the best ratings, but who knows? New York and Atlanta are both, you know, people that, that really enjoy their, their, uh, their basketball. Um, I, it's, it's, just one that I, I like, and I can't even believe we're saying that. And I would have never imagined saying that I'm like really pumped for this series before the year. Yeah, I, that lo- it looked like that one maybe was like destined for the NBA TV games, but with the Knicks right. on there, like you just don't know. And it's mm-hmm. like, God, maybe that game, that series does get elevated more than it would strictly because of that New York market. Like, and everybody, yeah, like as a small market guy, but. Everybody loves it when the big markets are involved, and New York has New York's 
been dead for a long time. They've waited their turn. Brooklyn at number two, and you've got the yeah. at number four. Like, bingo, they're back. Not but, bad at all. And then on the other side, both of the LA teams are going to be in the mix on Wednesday. We're going to get those Western Conference play ins. And uh, you and I spoke about how the NBA already has got to be really pumped about the game that they're going to get on Wednesday night at seven with the the Warriors and the Lakers. The game prior to that will be the Spurs versus the Grizzlies. We actually got like a de facto. Additional play in game on Sunday Because the Grizzlies and the Warriors Were dead tied going into The Sunday game they played at 1230 The Grizzlies had a great Start then the Warriors really Fought back in the second and the third quarter They completely outplayed them to start The fourth the Grizzlies go insane Led by Dylan Brooks with Like six minutes left to go in the game the Grizzlies Actually took the lead and then Brooks fouled out and you could see That sort of he was for for a stretch of like five minutes, he was doing anything he wanted, getting to the rack, shooting threes, like they couldn't stop him. And then he came out of the game, and it just it definitely impacted the flow. Uh, Jaw Morant struggled a little bit late, and then Curry Curry just went nuts in the last three or four minutes and 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 went ballistic. But um, that was like almost another additional play in game. So Memphis now they'll have to uh, try to get you know pick their heads up and understand that um, you know they got it. Very good opportunity to to bounce right back And beat a Spurs team who's really been struggling right here I, I think Memphis is probably uh, The pick, I expect them to bounce back And I would I would probably pro- like Project Jaw having a really good game After his sort of disappointing game the other day Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that Like, that's the, a lot of people overlooking That game, and it's like, hey, what are the Storylines here, and it's like, oh, you got the Tyus Jones versus Trey Jones uh, You've got <laughs> Kyle Anderson Versus his former team You've got Rudy Gay versus his former team uh, Jaron Jackson versus his dad's old team yeah. Hey there it is yes. um, That's what we got um, But no I, I think Ja Ja in a one game scenario like that Granted versus Popovich But we'll we'll see But I, I think Ja Probably wills them through to a victory there And then yeah and then we I, see how it goes, and then then it's on to the prime time game. And then it's Lakers Warriors, and like we said, from a from a pure how these teams match up on paper, I think it's a great matchup for the Lakers. I don't think like you know defensively, I don't know how uh, the Warriors would be able to stop an AD. And then if Draymond's playing on AD, then whatever other big the Lakers have is Looney's in the mix. I think that would not be the best matchup for them. Uh, I'm not sure who you know maybe you try to put Wiggins on LeBron that's fine and the Lakers Have actually I don't even like saying This but because I don't, it's like I don't know if Steph's gonna listen to this podcast though I think we're okay they've actually done a pretty decent Job against Steph I, I saw a couple people Posting some of KCP's numbers defending Him and between KCP And Caruso who's actually a really good Defender too they have some capable Guys to throw at him All of that being said like it doesn't matter if Steph is having one of those Steph games because you play as great a defense on him as possible, and he's just hitting shots from two steps in front of uh, half court. Um, I still do, you know, like I, you know, I still think the Lakers will win, and 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 I think that they understand um, how how good it would for, be for them to get in that seven spot, and because if if you get to the seven spot for the Lakers, it puts them on the side of the bracket where they would face the Suns in the first round. And then in the second round, they would be playing the winner of the Nuggets, Portland. And I, I feel like the Lakers would have to feel really, really good about those matchups along the way if they were to stay healthy. Yeah, I, Lakers with, with LeBron and AD, 
if they're there both in the lineup, you have a chance of winning. So I, I, I Lakers are in complete danger to every team in the West above them. And I'm not sure the NBA has seen many seven seeds win it all, but Lakers are one of the teams that can buck the trend and do that. So I will say this about Golden State. So Curry's going to get all the attention. A couple years ago when the Wolves did make the playoffs, the Timberwolves looked overwhelmed against Houston, except for Andrew Wiggins. Yeah, he's who, played well. He, he really has. He, it was like, as, as it seemed, maybe a little, the moment seemed a little big for them, and Andrew Wiggins gets kind of knocked because he's just kind of the same personality the whole way through. It also, because of that, it didn't rattle him at all. Yeah, that playoff it's a, game, it's and a great point. Playing. It's a so great it's like, point. It's, he's, <laughs> he could be the wild card in this whole totally. It's like, Wiggins, can, he has the ability to go get 40, and if those other guys are getting the attention that they are, Wiggins maybe, he, I think he just did it a few games ago where he kind of put them on his back was when Steph wasn't having the greatest game. And in a one-game scenario, if this was a best of seven, Lakers win this series 4-1, 4-2. I completely agree. In a one-game thing, who knows? We saw it last year with the Lakers in like the first game of a lot of their series, right? Um, I wonder if because it's a one game, you know, they take this, like LeBron and Anthony Davis are looking at this going, we can't lose this game, we're winning this game, we're getting the seven. But last year in their playoff series, like... First game they lost to Portland First game they lost to Houston They would have a real feeling out process And Vogel did a great job of adjusting Because that's one of the things that the Lakers have um, I think now With everybody back and healthy They are as versatile of a team And with the size that they I mean, at the first off They can just go with AD at the 5 And that's probably their best lineup But when they play a team with bigs, they've got Drummond and Gasol, who you can help. But if they're not as big, they've got Montrez, who you could throw in the mix, or Markeith to bring in. And you want, like you you want to go super small. Okay, they're going to go small. But if you're small and you've got LeBron and AD on the court and like Kuzma and someone else, that's not even that small. You know, like, so they, they have the options. But all that being said, they have not played with their pieces together much this year. And just as you said, the more they play, I think in any series that they're in, I'll feel pretty comfortable about the Lakers like giving their best if they're healthy. In this kind of a scenario, you get down by like 15 early, you start scrubbing, you're not hitting your shots. The Lakers sometimes will have games where it's like, okay, KCP, Kuzma, Caruso didn't hit some of their open shots. Those guys hit them. Well, hell, they're probably not going to get beat. Um, this this game scares me though. And the, in the one game situation with Curry, man, I'm terrified. And I do think that both the Jazz and the and the Suns are probably probably a little bit upset right now, right? Like they're thinking we had these incredible years. We were the one in the two seed. We got you know home court. We played great all year. We were probably two of the most consistent teams in the league. Everybody wants to talk about the Lakers and the Clippers and the Nets and all these teams, but we were good all year. And then what's our reward? We may end up having to play the Lakers and then even the Warriors. Like you think Utah wants to play this Warriors team with Curry? How he tries to go and like get Gobert and then bait and like bring him out? I don't think that's the great. I don't think anyone wants to play Curry right now either. No, God, no. The, you know, these teams, this is the worst case scenario. Like, yes, hey, we got it. We got it. Oh, what's our reward in this? We're well, either going to get Steph and Draymond or LeBron and AD. Great. 
And, and not saying that they couldn't win those series Absolutely they could But just thinking about what you're Like you said How it sets up for a team like Milwaukee On the other side versus versus Philly Like it does not set up well For either one of those one or two seeds To think about having to get a matchup With the Lakers Or with the, or with you know The uh, the Warriors who have been playing really well And Steph can do, can do what he, he can do Any given night so uh, yeah, th- those will be the teams that I think whatever ends up happening, I think whoever loses the game against the Lakers Warriors will likely come back and win that game. So I think they will end up being the seven and eight seed. It, it, honestly, it would not shock me if Curry like <laughs> Curry beat them, but I do think if that was the case, the Lakers would kind of come back and understand. So I I do I'm not quite as scared with the two games to lose and be out, um, but. You know, and and I think in in that kind of a situation, like if the Lakers lose these two games, you know what, with their full team back, they're probably not as healthy or as good as they should be heading into the playoffs, and they don't really deserve to be in there, anyways. Yep, for for sure. And like you, yeah, if you if you're gonna lose these two games, if all right, you're getting Golden State, and then you're gonna lose Golden State, and then either Memphis or San Antonio. Like, all right, well, if you're rolling right into play, if the, if if there was no playing and you're rolling right into Phoenix, all right, you're probably if you're gonna lose those two games, you're probably mm-hmm. losing the first two games of Phoenix. Absolutely, absolutely. Like, you you made it to the dance. You are where you are. What right now? Like I I think LeBron is he's been out quite a bit, but I think he's also been pacing for this scenario of making sure that he was fully healthy when he may probably could have played that all right i gotta be healthy for this get me get me into the dance and let's go they're one of the teams this year like we were saying with with basically every other team here um we don't really know what they're going to be like in a big playoff series sort of except for a healthy laker team we kind of know that we can give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt as a team that might be able to flip the switch because they've they've been there before, and actually they didn't really play poorly without LeBron and AD. Like their defense was good all year; they had the number one defense even without those guys missing a ton of games. So they they have something to hang their hat on. We're gonna play good defense every night. That should keep us in games. If we if our stars play to the level of our stars, we're gonna have a shot. Um, so yeah, I mean I don't all. All things considered, as many games as AD and LeBron missed this year And other guys, Schroeder was another one You know, both both times that LeBron was like out and was missing And Schroeder was at the same time Now all of a sudden the Lakers don't have anybody to dribble the ball Like, yep. it's Caruso and THT And that's not really what those guys do Like, they're more sort of off-ball or like wing can go at you They're not the guy to bring it up the court and, and, and you know, initiate the offense So, um, as a fan, I'm actually... I wasn't really disappointed with the results this year. I, there could have been worlds where the Lakers were playing in a nine and ten spot very mm-hmm. easily, and, you know, and, and lost a lot of some of those games that they won. They had a nice four three road trip in the middle of the year that kind of saved their season when it looked like they could have gone zero and seven on that thing. So, um, man, a fun Wednesday night of games, and uh, we're just finishing up here with Dave Handelin, who is the uh, radio statistic- statistician for the Minnesota T-Wolves and one of my uh, favorite guys to chat basketball with. We uh, we did a big preview at the beginning of the year where I think we said we were going to talk for like uh, 45 minutes or an hour and it turned into two hours plus. And we were just rambling and going and we love chatting basketball. The uh, The final two series or uh, yeah, to, to sort of uh, mention in the, in the West are going to be um, the three, six, we got Denver and Portland And then the four, five, Clippers, Dallas What's interesting about these series is um, Denver, Portland played each other last night And Portland 
beat the crap out of them um, Portland needing to win that game to, to stay out of the play-in Denver sort of wanting to stay away from the Lakers Decided to sort of tank it um, But I, I always think it's funny Because we see this happen in football a lot of times right? Where like a team Will have to play a team in their division And they'll sort of like tank the last game of the season But then they have to play them the next week again In the playoffs It's always weird when that team just beats you And then you've got them in a series Even if you're trying to lose you know Yep, like hey, nope. Now it's now it's for for real, and I I don't know. I Denver Denver has survived without Murray, and they've been damn good. And I I just don't know. Damon Damon CJ, like we we've seen Damon in, in the playoffs. He has his moments, and he wins series. I think Portland wins that series. I do too. I really do. I think. I think it's going. I don't think it's going to be. I think it'll be great. I'm saying six or seven back and forth. We're going to get some Jokic games. We're going to get a Michael Porter Jr. game where he goes ballistic and he scores like 30 or 35. You're going to get the Dame and CJ games. I think they go back and forth and back and forth. And I think it's a really fun series. Um, Nurkic to me is a real key here. Like him being able to play 30 minutes ish and really help get a big body on Jokic. Um, that will be a key. Portland's played well down the stretch, and they've played like just middle of the pack defense. That's all they need. Like they have had historically bad defenses over the last couple years, to where it's like layup line like stuff. If if they're just making it somewhat difficult for you there, um, addition of Powell too is another person who can like get you twenty. So they're. I, I would predict them in that series. I think they're super sneaky, and that they could, you know, win that series, and then be in a situation where they would be playing the winner of a maybe the Lakers or Suns or or the Warriors or Suns, whoever snagged that seven, and that would again be another spot like where I, I don't think a lot of the, like the, the top five or six teams in the West. I think they might look at each other and think we can beat all of these teams. Like we can all beat each other. Um, the team that has sort of been kind of quietly. Flying under the radar most of this year And they've been pretty good And I think If if we didn't see this team Last year and it was just The Clippers right now with who they are I would feel a lot better than them But I like a lot of other people I cannot eliminate some Of those things that happened in the playoffs last year The Yeah the things that Happened to that and the stories that came out of Regarding that like alright It's just going to be gone or at the first sign of like any sort of adversity, are those going to creep right back up? Like, because right. they were there, and are they like they're long gone, or they're like in the back of the minds of like, oh sh- crap, here we go again. Playoff P's back. Oh no, you know, like here we go or something. You know, Markeith Morris starts getting frustrated and and gets thrown out of a game and does something a little silly, you know, or um, it is now again on paper. This is a Dallas team they beat last year. And if Porzingis isn't 100% healthy, like this is not a very good matchup. I don't, I don't think for Dallas because they've got Luca, but the Clippers have a few different bodies they can throw at Luca to try to defend him. They've got, you know, PG. They've got Batum. They've got Kawhi. Even someone like uh, Beverly is, you know, going to be annoying and a nuisance for you know whoever you decide to put him on. So, um, all that being said, and 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 that's it. I'm glad you mentioned him. You know. Could he be someone that comes into that locker room And maybe helps Fix some of the issues that they had last year It's kind of like what you're saying If something bad happens They they blow a game that they shouldn't have blown Or they miss a bad shot or something Is Rondo going to be sort of like a calming voice To kind of help them 
say, hey, you know what, we're fine. Like we'll get back on track and and be a leader because they didn't really have that last year. Yep. Somebody like like that could be could go a long way in this. And I, I think I think Clippers kind of roll over Dallas. Um, I agree. I, I, I agree too. I, I think Clippers go there. I think you, in Portland, you could have. I'm looking at this, you could have a conference semifinal of the a six versus seven seed. <laughs> like if if it ends up Portland Lakers, but right. But this old the the Clippers the Clippers are dangerous. They looking at the teams. I know the Lakers what they are. It's still and it felt like this last year. The Clippers have the highest ceiling. Completely agree. I don't know if they. I don't know if they can get there. Me too. I think the team that I'm still. If you if you told me right now I'm a Laker fan I want the Lakers to win but if you said who who else would you pick or who else do you think is coming out of the West I would say the Clippers are the toughest matchup for the Lakers I think they both think that about each other and I as much as people have been giving the Clippers crap about you know what they did the last few games to try to avoid the Lakers which I think they for sure did that was no doubt when you look at it on paper doesn't it feel like it's a much better road for them where they are right now having to go through Dallas than then maybe a Lakers team or or having to go through Dallas and then Utah then like I think those are those are fine matchups for the Clippers I really do. Yeah, those those are fine matchups. I you know, you have yeah, you have Luka and then you have Donovan Mitchell and and Conley and I I think they they match up just fine with Utah. That that I I think Clippers at least make it to the conference finals. I, I, I do too. That's where they'll be. I think they can put some of the demons aside and and it's one of those things if they make it to that point then they might be all right. Like, mm-hmm. they're then they're feeling more, better about themselves, right? Vulnerable in this first matchup versus Dallas, like shit hits the fan, and all of a sudden they're they're in deep trouble. But if they get through that, and hey, we can do this. We figure out a rhythm. This is how it's going to be in the playoffs. Then then they probably start gaining momentum, and hey, you, then they'll beat Utah in six games. And all right, then they're there in the conference finals. All right, Lakers, bring it on. Yeah. Rather than oh crap. It's yeah, they're just such a um an intriguing team because like you said, I think they are one of the teams that has maybe as wide of a margin of any team. Like I think they might have the lowest floor and the highest ceiling. <laughs> of if if you told me they just came together and Kawhi and Paul George were incredible and they were getting like something from Surge and and Zubox helped them a little bit and then Rondo was leading the way and Rondo's just hitting a few threes here and there you got Batum like they shot this year at an incredible clip there are versions of this where they just continue to shoot lights out and like as a team they just you know shoot the like all the way through they're in a situation where they're just getting great shots and beating everybody i think there's also a situation like you said where like Game one of the playoffs, it's tight, and they have like a eight to ten point lead in the fourth quarter, and then Luca hits a few shots, and then Luca hits a game winner, and that's the first like game back in the playoffs. And like, then how do you respond? How do you react? Can you get up again, or are you going to start to go, uh oh? Like the Lakers did this this year too, when LeBron and then Anthony Davis got hurt, and then um, Schroeder was out, and then the next game Kuzma was was hurt. Somebody had said, and I hate I hated hearing this, and I went, oh, somebody had said, maybe it's just one of those years where it feels like everything's going wrong, you know, and you don't you don't want to hear players starting to think and say that way. Like just like you said, it's it's a mental thing, I think, much more than it is like a physical on the court thing for the Clippers. And then you got tweets of Mark Cuban standing up going nuts while you got tweets of Steve Ballmer all angry and yeah oh no look at this like this is exactly what's happening Paul Pierce and says now, something now the after Clippers the game are collapsing 
Kawhi is going to leave via free agency. Like, this is it. Like, we just, wait, it was one game. Oh, yeah. The sky is falling. And that's how it happens, right? Like, that's how, especially in the playoffs, because it, I think we forget when we're in the middle of a long season how much in the same thing in base, baseball, right? One game, it's like, oh no, the whole series has changed because that's just what we do. We we react and we overreact to everything. But um, yeah, I'm I'm really pumped them for a year that was a struggling year, right? I think um, I love NBA. You love NBA. The vibe a couple different times throughout the season from the players wasn't that great. They didn't. They didn't necessarily seem like they loved having to start back up pretty quickly again. And then the All Star game was something they didn't agree on, and there were th- different things here and there. But um, yesterday, just like seeing um, everybody playing, like all all thirty teams played on uh, on Sunday, and now with looking around the league, and most of these teams have had players that have been hurt or out. Throughout a lot of the year and are back We don't know what versions we're going to get of them But we do have a lot of these teams as, as as much whole as they've been Throughout the year so I'm actually Really excited for I mean How many games were blowouts this year right One team would be awesome from three the other team Would be terrible and we look in the middle of the game in The middle of the second quarter and it was a 25 point game um, I, I, I don't get that feeling right now Going into the playoffs I'm really pumped Yep the, and it seems like for the Longest time that one of the knocks on the NBA is everybody knows who's going to be in the finals already before it even starts. Like there's three teams that have a chance. And it really seems like that is not the narrative this year. Of, no. All right. There are, there are three to three teams in the East, maybe five. And I would say there's six teams in the West that, all right, it's, it's not open for any of these teams, and no team is going to have a cakewalk there. I think in the entire playoffs, Philadelphia probably has the easiest easiest road of anybody to the finals. Everybody else is going to have to win at least two extremely difficult series along the way to get to the finals. And this is what we want, right? So you're yeah. right. For, for the people that have complained about that forever, this is not a complaint anymore. Because even if that is the case, right? Like, let's say the Lakers win. This was a year where... They will have damn earned it coming from yep. a seven spot. They missed, they had to have a lot of players. Like, if Brooklyn wins this thing, who is the favorite, actually, like, I think in Vegas, they're actually favored to win, which is surprising because, like you said, their road is so much more difficult, even than Philly. Like, just, just in the, even if you like Brooklyn a lot better as a team than Philly, Philly's road there, it just seems so much easier. Um, but Brooklyn will really have earned it. I mean, it's it's pretty incredible. I don't think they're going to be able to to get through two difficult series in, in maybe two and a half if, if they have to play Russ. But if they do, hell, that's going to be impressive for what Nash has done with all of those guys missing like pieces throughout the year. And then if it's someone like the 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 Suns or the Jazz, that's pretty cool. I mean, those are teams that were just really good throughout the year that you probably didn't think. Had a chance to win the NBA title before the season start And maybe they capitalized on a season That a lot of other key teams Had pieces and players missing uh, You know, uh, same thing You look at Philly would be cool For Philly, it would, the process would finally Have come together with Embiid and Simmons And, you know, Milwaukee It'd finally be Giannis getting over the hump I'm, like, I, any of the other teams Below them would be kind of a cool Cinderella story, so I'm very excited as an NBA fan As we record this just two days out from the first play-in So the way things will be this week There are those play-in games On uh, on Wednesday and uh, Tuesday and on Wednesday So we will have 
Um, yeah, four four games the next couple days, and then we'll see who ends up needing to play each other the rest of the week, and then over the weekend we'll get those playoff matchups started. And uh, Dave, like I said, with uh, with the way the calendar has flipped now, um, maybe we'll uh, we'll aim for bringing you back in a few weeks, and we can uh, we can handicap a Canterbury pick five and uh, and check in on the NBA playoffs and see what's going down. Sounds good. That'll be great. Yeah, I think the biggest variable in this entire playoffs are the two legs of Kevin Durant. Right. If they can stay healthy and they can make it through, I think that's that's probably your. That, I, I think they can be. If Durant stays healthy, I think that's the champion. But Philadelphia, I think, has the easiest path. But if if Durant can stay healthy and make it to that series with his legs intact and and that trifecta of players is there, I think I think the Nets Nets advance. But no, it was great talking to you, Gino. Thank a lot you. of fun. Appreciate you uh, you coming on Always giving me a, a ton of your time And on giving us a ton of your time here Let the folks know out there Where can we follow you along on social media And uh, where can we find some of your work with, uh, with the Canterbury stuff coming up that you'll have Yeah, so on Twitter I'm at SuperSatsDave uh, I'll be tweeting Tweeting about Canterbury uh, I think I'll be doing some stuff for the track this year I'm not exactly sure what exactly But uh, yeah, playing a couple contests along the way Canterbury's got some Canterbury's going to have like a national contest uh, late September, I believe. Like a big, really cool, a big contest of like, like not traditionally something that Canterbury would run. Canterbury's going to be running that through kind of a bunch of the sites. But yeah, I be be out at Canterbury quite a bit, and yeah, watching watching hoops and basketball and living living the summer. Well, we'll be going back and forth with you And uh, look forward to catching up Talking to Canterbury, talking more basketball Thank you so much, buddy I always appreciate the hard work And I hope you uh, have a great next couple weeks All right, thank you, usual, Gino Thanks, everybody That was Dave Handelin there Make sure to give him a follow on social media We always love talking with Dave You can tell, very knowledgeable there About everything in the NBA We could we could probably have talked for another hour About the, about the playoffs and, uh, and then throw Canterbury on there We would have been going Heck, and th- that's before we even get into wrestling So <laughs> we could go on and on Don't go anywhere, folks Plenty more on this episode of That's What She Said Horse racing fans Many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to drf.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF past performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts, for replays if you get the formulator version. And even on the classic past performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view. And any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances. You get an interactive format, which is... Very similar to the DRF Classic version that you're used to on the desktop. 
every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering multiple formats to view you got the overview page with recent speed figures current days odds easy access to expert selections and analysis you got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse and you got those traditional drf pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones they are constantly upgrading improving and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at drf.com always great catching up with dave we'll have to hear from him again uh, in a few weeks and uh, see what he thinks uh, about the uh, first couple of rounds of the playoffs and talk some canterbury racing with him we're going to talk some canterbury racing in just a moment but we have a couple of other pieces of news to get to in racing first of all uh, congratulations to Rombauer and the connections for winning the Preakness Michael McCarthy your trainer Flavian Pratt was aboard sitting off the pace a pace that was pretty hot up front and Midnight Bourbon ran second Medina Spirit finished third the obvious disappointment in the race was a concert tour who got bumped around at the start and then just never was really wide never never looked good and just backed up in um, what ran ninth in in the field so um Ron Bauer looks like he's going to head to the Belmont, and we got to give uh, our buddy Andrew Champagne some love. Remember back in March on this show when Andrew said he thought Ron Bauer was going to win the Belmont, and you know that was coming off of the recent win at Golden Gate, and Ron Bauer wins the Preakness and now is a legitimate contender in the Belmont. So great call, Andrew, there. Uh, even though he was probably a race earlier than he wanted for, for maybe his pocketbook, but um, still being able to, to call a horse like that winning one of these Triple Crown races that far in advance is uh, is just really absurd. So great job by our buddy Andrew there. Wanted to give him a, a shout-out. The Monday in horse racing, there was a lot of, of big news that came in. So let's talk a little bit about uh, some of that big news. First off... The NYRA, New York Racing Association, announced the temporary suspension of Bob Baffert from entering horses in races and occupying stall space at Belmont, Saratoga, and Aqueduct. In order to maintain a successful thoroughbred racing industry in New York, NYRA must protect the integrity of the sport for our fans, the betting public, and racing participants, said NYRA President and CEO David O'Rourke. That responsibility demands the action taken today in the best interest of thoroughbred racing. So, and that's some big news. Barred from entering and stabling horses at New York uh, indefinitely while the investigation of the positive test of Medina Spirit, um, that was all pretty, pretty big news. So now, Churchill Downs, announced they banned Baffert from entering horses uh, for the remainder of its spring-summer meet. Um, he still has horses stabled at Churchill. I'm reading this from a DRF article that uh, David Grenig posted uh, on DRF.com. And uh, it says Baffert doesn't regularly keep a stable at New York tracks, frequently ships horses in to run major stakes. Belmont, Saratoga was not planning to run a horse in this year's Belmont, but you had to think a few on the undercard, right? Charlatan, at least, was one that he mentioned <clears throat> In the uh, in the Met, so they will not accept entries or lot stall space to any of Baffert's employees. So uh, 
goes through some of his statistics. Since 1909, he's won 41 grade one stakes in New York, including three runnings to the Belmont. One of the more indelible moments of the century came when American Pharoah won the 2015 Belmont, ending the 37-year Triple Crown drought. Craig Robinson, Baffert's attorney, wrote in an email that he is reviewing New York's decision and plans to discuss legal options with Baffert before making a statement. So maybe they end up appealing. We'll see. This is something that I think we see in a lot of other industries, right? At a lot of, uh, think about a lot of jobs. If something happens at a job and there's an incident between a couple of workers and that incident has to be investigated, whether it be by the HR, the managers at that particular office or wherever it is, or by the police, um, a lot of times those people are not working during that investigation until it gets cleared, until it gets figured out cleared they come back to work a lot of times they're still you know working with pay but this isn't anything really outside of the norm it's just you know we'll see how long this split sample takes and then what ends up coming from the split sample um but this was uh there was some big news coming out of new york today because not only this happened with baffert but there was also news about uh linda rice trainer linda rice uh let's get to some of that news as she had her license revoked for three years and gets a fifty thousand dollar fine which in horse racing is uh, another really massive penalty i'm uh just going to again read from the drf article here uh, Linda Rice, leading trainer. This one's from Matt Haggerty, leading trainer on the New York racing circuit for more than a decade. Have her will have her license immediately revoked for at least three years and fined fifty thousand for conduct detrimental to racing, arising out of allegations she used confidential confidential information from the racing office to determine which races to enter during a period from two thousand eleven to two thousand fifteen, uh, according to a vote on Monday by the New York Gaming Commission. Uh, they unanimously, unanimously approved the penalties after reviewing a hearing officer's report about the allegations, which were the subject of eight days of hearings last year. Um, Rice's conduct uh, involved the receipt of and the request for confidential entry information in overnight races. This was intentional, serious, and extensive, and her actions consulted in improper and corrupt con- conduct in relation to racing and were inconsistent with and detrimental to the spirit of racing. So she was reached, and she said she was talking with her attorney, could not discuss the matter immediately. She is likely to appeal. The Gaming Commission did not respond to a request. A license revocation would prohibit Rice from training in any other jurisdiction in the U.S. under a principle known as a reciprocity. And that requires the state commissions to honor the decisions of other regulators. So, yeah, this is uh, obviously big news. The article goes on to mention 2011 when racing regulators revoked the license of Richard Dutrow. And two of the racing office employees had their license suspended um, as they provided information to Rice in order for compensation for their help. So they helped her place her horses, basically, in races where they would be more likely to win. Um, so, yeah, between uh, the Baffert news and the Linda Rice news, there was a lot going on on, uh, I'm recording this late Monday, on a Monday morning, Monday afternoon in uh, in New York racing. And then a really strange story over here in Southern California where 
Ron McAnally, who has not had a positive or a medication violation since 1998, based on this DRF article in CHRB records, one of his horses tested positive for cannabis oil. Uh, and it, 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 the story of this is, is really sort of bizarre. So, um, the horse test positive and they find out that it was actually Giovanni Franco who rode the horse. He said, uh, that he used the CBD the day he rode the horse and you can get this over the counter. Um, it, it's not THC. It has no THC in it. Um, so because this substance is a prohibited substance, it was actually considered a class one violation for McAnally. They're trying to consider the substance now a class three, given that uh, it's it's in the board is in the process of adding this to the rules in the classification. So at 88 years old, go through some of uh, Mac, they go through some of McAnally's accomplishments, some of the great horses he's trained. And mentions that his wife spoke with Franco, who said that he did use this substance. So how how bizarre is that? And you know, when you, when you talk about someone who is not one that's ever been known for any sort of uh, medication violations, that was just a, a crazy story. So he and he is someone that uh, a lot of times. You get the benefit of the doubt. I think we've seen through uh, some of these just rulings on, on the three that I was talking about. Um, a lot of times in, in life, right, if you are a repeat offender, that matters more than if you aren't. So some crazy news in the world of horse racing there. We now are going to get into the handicapping portion of the show. And we're going to start talking about the Stable dual schedule for this week on Tuesday. You can play at parks. Two different games. 12 bucks and 250 at Thistle Down. There's a $5 game. There's a $50 triple up. And then Canterbury joins the fun. There are two different options at, at Canterbury on Tuesday. You can play in a $10 game. You can also play in a $25 game. On Wednesday, parks, Thistle Down, Penn National, Emerald Downs all going to be in the mix there, um, and keep an eye on Canterbury because they're just adding Canterbury now as of as of Monday, so um, they will be in the mix a lot more too. Thursday, you've got a couple options at Gulfstream Park. You've got Pimlico, Lone Star, Emerald Downs, and Golden Gate. There's a free ride at Golden Gate on Thursday. On Friday, two different contest options at Gulfstream, Pimlico. You have... Uh, a Lone Star free ride, a Golden Gate $5 contest, two more at Santa Anita, and then a Charlestown contest. How about Saturday? A couple games at Gulfstream, 10 and 250. Pimlico's got a $5 game. There's a Golden Gate free ride. Santa Anita has a $100 game with $7,500 prize pool. They also have a double up. Lone Star has a $25 game. And then on Sunday, you've got Gulfstream with two different options, a $25 and a, t- and a $100. Pimlico has a $7 game. Lone Star has two. Santa Anita has a $50 top three. They also have a $250 triple up. And then Golden Gate has a dollar game. Tons of options for you. Stable Duel this week. If you ever have any questions about Stable Duel, these daily horse racing contests, you are putting together together a lineup based off a salary cap. If you've ever played like Daily Fantasy, the format is very similar to that. 
daily contest at all these different tracks. A really cool way to get action if you only have a few bucks or you know, maybe if you don't, maybe you just like playing the, the format of these contests and you want to play in some of the bigger ones, they get a lot of my bankroll almost each and every weekend over there. Stable Duel. Download the app and check it out. You will be play race winning in no time. We are going to head over to Canterbury and start talking some Tuesday racing. Remember, at Canterbury, they have those pick fives there that are 10% takeout when racetracks do that and they show the you know they want to treat the fans and the betters right I always want to treat them right and spend a few minutes and uh, and give them some support so let's uh take a look at Canterbury May the 18th get those past performances out and returning to race number five mile on the turf course $7,500 beaten claimers here I like the eight quite a bit this is the start of the late pick five, so uh, that low takeout pick five. The eight Irish major is a must-use to me. He was a step slow in his last start, and that was uh, over at Tampa on the turf. He was in, broke inward. He bumped his rival, and then he got crossed over on. It was like a tough first quarter mile. He settled fine in fourth. He was a couple lengths deep. He was four off. He was right up into contention within a length, but then he faded. That was against open tens at Tampa. Um, he was only three to one that day. So, you know, you're going to get some relief in here against restricted claimers over at Canterbury. And let's look at, you know, the conditions of this race. He fits it pretty nicely as a seven-time winner, but his lone win this year came against five restricted claimers, and the races under 6250 are not considered an eligibility in this race. So, he doesn't have to be that far back either. He can, he can use a little bit more positional speed. He's proven at Canterbury. Last year, he ran twice at this level. He finished second and third in those races. And in six starts at Canterbury in 2020, all of those were top four finishes, and all of them were at this level or against better. Four of them were against better, two starts at the level. It's a good spot for Irish Major. If he's anything around 5-1, to one, I'm going to make a win wager on him. I'm going to use along with the 5 Lifeline who gets back to turf and should just sit a really nice tracking trip uh, a few lengths off in here. Five line, 8-5 uh, for me, 5-8 to start the pick 5, and uh, 8 is the horse who I'll be keying in on and, uh, and looking to make a win wager and some exotics if we can get anything around the 5-1 uh, the to one or so. We move to race number 6. You've got Minnesota Bread. Uh, maidens, fillies, and mares, three-year-olds and up. The sixth, no doubt, feels like the one to beat. San, uh, Sundance Star, to me, you want to single that one. Fine, I'm not going to. I thought the seven, Charlie's Missile, is very live. Uh, the dam of this one is a multiple winner, and she won her debut. She's produced two foals to race. Both of them have won. One of them won the debut. So dam wins the debut. One of the foals she produces wins the debut. Charlie's Missile I'm imagining some precocity here from this filly who has shown a little ability in the mornings. The barn is capable with first-time starters. You go over the last five years of sample sites they have it on DRF, and the barn is 5 for 63 with firsters, but they've actually won with two of their last three uh, late last year, and they've won with four of their last 20 overall. Both of those are solid numbers. The 7, Charlie's Missile. I'm using in the pick five along with the six Sundance Star. I'll be too deep in this race with the six and seven. Make a win wager on the seven if I can get around nine to two off that eight to one morning line. Eight to one is too high. To me, I look at the morning lines, but the only thing I'm looking at is a gauge because I'm making my own. 
So I'm looking at them to see like, okay, do they fit? And mainly because sometimes if they're just really off, there's going to be an overreaction. Hopefully in this case, I don't think it's that far off. I do think the first third will probably get a little money in here. Hopefully it's not one of those overcorrections where the horse gets bet down all that much. We go to race number seven. We've got uh, optional 10, five furlongs on the turf course here. I'm going to use the six, seven, and eight. You've got hot foot first off the claim for Rangsdorf and back to turf, back to a turf course that he loves. I just don't think he got the greatest trips down at fairgrounds. You can probably toss the race last time out going long on the wet track over at Oaklawn. So some excuses there. Give him a shot to bounce back. We'll also use the two horses to his outside. Just Blaze, to me, very logical and one of the top contenders in here. No real knocks on him. Another one getting back to the grass. And then you got Sequin Storm, who is really, really quick. The two grass races for him are, are very good. I do think if anyone has an opportunity to maybe get out in front or to, to win a battle, it could be the seven. Um, two starts back was behind a horse named Wake Up Joe when losing. That horse has won nine of the last 14. So uh, Sequin Storm will be in the mix. Six, seven, eight for me in race number seven there. We move to race number eight. Five and a half furlongs, Minnesota bred first level allowance company. I absolutely love the seven, the alligator hunter who comes in and drops out of two open stakes races. First, the inaugural where this one actually finished third, then took a shot against a $50,000 stakes company in the Pasco. He was behind Nova Rags in that race, ended up finishing fifth. Nova Rags, next three starts after the Pasco was, was... the Sam F. Davis, the Florida Derby, and the Peter Fa- Peter Pan finishing third in a grade three, fourth in a grade one, and second in a grade three. The Alligator Hunter has some pace, but can sit off. So you've got a stakes-placed horse who faced much tougher last time out. When he faced Fire Extinguisher, his rival right to his outside, Fire Extinguisher was able to finish third that day in September. But, I mean, it was on a sloppy racetrack. We can very easily just kind of cross that out and use it as an excuse. The Alligator Hunter on that January 16th race um, is coming out of a race that's already produced a next out winner. The sixth place finisher came back to win a Florida bred first level allowance next out at Gulfstream. I like the seven in here a lot. The eight wouldn't shock. I just didn't love his race at Will Rogers all that much. It was fine. He, he cuts back. Like he would be no shock. Uh, the nine, West of Waverly, I actually prefer. I think you can make some excuses for his last couple, the sloppy race three starts back, and then you just focus on those first two races at Canterbury that were very good. And if he's able to show that kind of speed again, he's in the mix. I have him stacked seven, nine, eight, but I'm going to single the seven in uh, in the, the pick five. Try to get a little separation here. So seven for me, seven, nine, eight, if you want to play some other exotics, but I'm singling the seven in the pick five. And then we move to race number nine, a race that I didn't have that strong of an opinion. So I'm going to try to spread out a little bit in here. I'll use the one Jimmy T blinkers off total wild card coming in from Oaklawn Keeneland prior to that, just like searching for where he fits. Um, So I'm going to throw him in the mix. The five Flanagan, who's actually in okay recent form. He's got some solid races at Canterbury too. Last year at a similar spot, he just doesn't love to win races. You got the seven big Falcon Rock, who probably needs a race for his best, but from a class standpoint, he really fits. I thought the eight Winters Run was another one you want to probably throw in the mix too. The nine, I'm Harley, I'm a Harley too. Um, 
is one that on the drop-in class um, does feel pretty tough here. But coming off of the bench a little bit, I do have some concerns if we're going to get the absolute best from him. Uh, we'll include one, five, seven, eight, and 9 there to close things out. So the pick 5 at Canterbury starting in race number 5, 5-8 five, with 6-7, with 6-7-8, with 7, with one, five, seven, eight, nine. Uh, fifth race, the number eight Irish Major. We can get around five to one. We'll make a win wager there. Uh, the sixth race, the seven Charlie's Missile, around you know nine to two, five to one. We we want don't take any lower than nine to two. Uh, Hot Foot around nine to two in the seventh, and then in the eighth, uh, the Alligator Hunter. That'll be our exotic single. If we can get over five to two, we'll probably make some uh, win wagers there also on that one. So, best of luck. On Tuesday at Canterbury, we'll start taking a look at Canterbury races uh, probably at least once uh, once a week, one of their days, and we'll start bringing on guests because we are, are lucky to have some really good, sharp, handicapper uh, friends over at Canterbury that we can talk to. Now we're going to talk a little bit about Grant's Pass Downs, and I have to say this was the first time I've ever handicapped this racetrack. Um, plenty of races that I've uh, watched the replays for from um, from horses that have come out of some of those races, but I don't think I've ever actually sat down and, and handicapped the card. But Jason Beam, who uh, a lot of us love out there, um, really cool track announcer, great dude, just a lot of fun on social media, hosts a podcast that he works so hard on. He does a podcast every single day with all sorts of different racing guests, handicapping stuff, but... It's everything in racing, so really good if you if you haven't checked that out, uh, make sure to give him a look. So we're gonna talk some uh, some Grants Pass. Let's get to a couple races here. Get the past performances out for Grants Pass. We're looking at race number one, and the six here. They're going six and a half furlongs. Wings of Wisdom. You've got the Bug Rider aboard at the outside. You're gonna go second start off the bench, so you got that race you needed out of the way. He looks like the one to catch in here. Like, there is no other speed. I think he sends hard from the outside with the weight break. In his most recent start, he broke a step slow. He broke sort of inward, and then he was over to the rail. He was inside. He was right with the leaders, but what ends up happening is he kind of tried to take back, and then he got shuffled a little bit, and he couldn't end up re-rallying and coming on again. And that happens with a lot of low-level horses, and especially with a horse like this off the bench. You, you grab a hold, or you try to take back a little from the inside, and you just can't push the button again and, and go on. This could be a way different trip for him if he's just sent hard from the outside and able to clear this field. I hope that's the plan of attack with the number six. Wings of Wisdom, 8-1 to one on the morning line. A 5-1 to one for me was my line. We need at least 5-1 to one if we're going to make a win wager uh, on the number six Wings of Wisdom in race number one at Grants Pass on Tuesday. We are going to flip to race number five. A couple thoughts on races five, six, and seven. So in the fifth, it's the $5,000 claimers. They're going to go six furlongs. The horses who I like, and I, I think you probably want to use in your exotics here, are uh, the three, two, six is how I have them stacked. So I'll kind of be watching this race from a, a price standpoint, taking a look at the board. It does start the late pick four if you're interested in that. Um, those would be the three who I'd, I'd probably want to use combinations of. Um, the question I ask here is, like from a pace standpoint, what's this going to look like? Can the two horse clear? It didn't show anything last time out. 
That was against Stakes Company. His last two races have been against Stakes Company. Prior to that, he was really, really quick. Could you just toss the last two for him and give him a shot? Yeah, but you probably don't want to take much less than the 5-1-ish to one-ish that he is. To me, the three, even off of the bench, having not raced since October, he feels like he could end up working out a really nice trip. Maybe sitting third or so, showing a little bit of versatility. I think he's got some positional speed, but he's not quite as quick as a couple of the others in here. And maybe that ends up putting him in a nice spot, third or fourth. He doesn't have to be too far out of it. Ends up winning last time out um, over at Emerald. Super capable barn off the bench. Little speed, but can sit. That's the three, live a good life. And then the sixth storm on the river. He's also got a little positional speed. He's not, He's a horse who's honest, right? Really shows up, really tries hard, a 10-year-old with 58 career races, 14 wins, 21 seconds, and then 9 more thirds. So yeah, he's not a win machine, but he can win plenty, and he always shows up. Sits a nice trip from the outside, I wouldn't want to completely dismiss him either. 3-2-6, I just prefer them a little more, I think, than uh, maybe the 4 and the 5. So let's take a look at Live a Good Life, Capes Hot Rocket, and... Storm on the river if you're playing some exotics Maybe combinations of them And uh, just kind of check the prices as far as who you Want to end up playing in that race Because you know whoever if one of them floats up Then th- then that's who you go f- you go to As we go to Race number 6 I'm looking at Bob again It's 5-1 to one on the morning line on the outside 7-2 to two is my value line here with Bob So he had a brutal trip going into the turn Last time out he was like 5 or 6 lengths wide That was on May the 11th And it was his first start since November so, first start in, what, six months? And you're talking about um, you losing a ton of ground going into the turn, just backing up, and then you're just never involved. So you totally need the race, you get some fitness out of it, now you go second start off the bench, you're back in with claimers, um, so you, you figure this is likely some class relief here in a spot where it was 24-1 to last time out. And... Yes, the horse overall is 1 for 24. I'm not a fan of playing horses like this who have that kind of an overall record. But we do want to look at the fact that he has only been in this barn recently. He has four races for the barn. He's got a win, a third, and two trouble trips. And we can make legitimate excuses for those. Speed, but can sit, drawn to the outside. Bob, again, for me, at anything over 7-2 to two there. We'll make a win wager. Let's make a, a turn to the 7th. This will be our final play for Tuesday over at Grants Pass. I am looking at the 8 in here, and we're going to tune to win. Now, because of his running style, I don't want to take too much shorter than about 7-2. to two. He, and because he's coming off of, you know, races where he was going a mile and an eighth, two back he was going six and a half, but you see a lot of races going long, and this is five furlongs. Now, he was second going five and a half and six furlongs years back. We're talking 2017. He needs some pace help, no doubt about it. But there actually should be some pace help in here. There look like there are three or four who want the lead. You'd imagine starboard list from the inside shouldn't be too far out of it. Um, you know, even some positional speed from the horses right next door. You know, Mystic Wood Force, Ski 6 isn't exactly slow. Um, wouldn't be too shocking to see uh, the Despised up in the mix early. You know, Year of the Ox isn't going to be too far out of it. So when you see combinations of horses like that Snow Zone, 
it feels like there should be plenty of pace in here to set up for Toon to win. And they tried to get a nice quick work into him recently over this racetrack um, to get a little speed and to just sharpen him up so maybe he doesn't have to be way, way out of it. Um, another who's not a win machine, but if you just look at the races that he's coming out of, it feels like he is going to have a little bit of back class uh, against this group and tune to win if he gets the trip he should mow them down we just got to be careful we don't want to take too short of a price because at five furlongs he may be a little too far back early on here so we need around seven to two on tune to win the number eight in race number seven there at grant's pass so the plays one more time for tuesday grant's pass first race the number six wings of wisdom we need around five to one in the fifth Take a look at the three, two, six to use in your exotics and, you know, watch some of the prices there on which one if you're just looking for an individual play. In the sixth, the number six, Bob, again, we need around seven to two. And in the seventh, the number eight, tune to win around seven to two or so. We will uh, make a play there. That is Tuesday over at Grant's Pass. We're going to head to Wednesday now in just a moment. First, let's hear from uh, about one of the uh, sponsors of That's What She Said. Horse racing fans head right now to oldsmokeclothing.com. When you use the promo code GINO, it will get you free shipping on your order. And what are you going to be ordering? Quality clothing and merchandise that horse racing fans and those who love the atmosphere and lifestyle of racing will be able to enjoy. We're talking high-quality products rooted in the iconic symbols of racing and the racetrack experience. Heck, this company is... The name is an homage to the game. We're talking about Old Smoke John Morrissey, the founding father of Saratoga Race Force. This guy was a, a street brawler, gang member, cargo thief, brothel bouncer, political enforcer, and he created Saratoga Race Course and the meat we know today. Um, look this guy up. Just an incredible stories uh, and, and, and tales that you'll read about him. But some tales about OldSmokeClothing.com. I mean, we are talking... T-shirts, hats, hoodies, polos, zip-ups, long sleeves with the names of horses, big names, uh, big races. Uh, You can get custom designs for you and your friends with the old smoke custom design. Maybe you want a a phrase that you and your friends use when you're playing the races or a horse who made you a bunch of money or maybe you're having some sort of a party and you need some stuff made. Check out Old Smoke and their custom designs. Don't forget about the Old Smoke Clubhouse, the quarterly delivery system where you get the quarterly packages, exclusive t-shirts, horse racing themed gift, various package fillers. Check out Old Smoke Clubhouse. Anything you need there. You know, it's not uh, often where you can just kind of walk into the mall or, uh, you know, a local store and there's a bunch of great horse racing themed stuff there. That's what Old Smoke Clothing is and the incentive for those of you who listen to That's What G Said, the uh, the free shipping with that promo code G-I-N-O. We move to Wednesday racing. Let's talk a little Indy, a little Indiana Grand. Three plays for you for Wednesday. I, I kind of just wanted to have some fun, and we bounced all over. So between Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, you're going to get five different racetracks. You get the Tuesday Grants Pass Canterbury. You get the Wednesday Indy and Emerald, and then you get the Thursday Churchill. So, yeah, we are all over the place for you, and we're heading to Indiana Grand for May the 19th for 
Wednesday, get those past performances out. We're flipping to race number three, and I'm going to go to the eight here. Cup of class. Cup of haters. Okay, so let's talk about cup of class. Go back a, a few races. So comes into this barn in March. The Turfway race is not bad. The race has come back productive already, was fourth that day in a big field, and the Turfway racing in general this year was a lot stronger than I think the numbers and figures play out and what a lot of people just the common perception of Turfway. Heads over to Mahoning Valley and wins. Again, wins a productive race. Two next out winners. The third place finisher won a maiden uh maiden five next out. Fifth place finisher won a maiden special way to Mountaineer next out. April the fourteenth at Indy. Finishes second. Five to one that day. And look at the common rival that she defeated. I'm talking about Pablo's Minx, who's installed as your two to one morning line favorite in this field. So in that race, couple class outfinished Pablo's Minx and was actually half of the price. Was only five to one, and Pablo was ten to one that day. Then they both come back on May the fourth. Pablo runs second. But it's a race that's in the slop. And Couple Class just doesn't really fire that day. She again was half of the price of Pablo. She's 12 to 1. Pablo's 24 to 1. Why today is she 12 to 1 and Pablo is so short? You can excuse the race for her. It was against 10 claimers, first of all, 10 non twos, and it was in the slop. I mean, if you're just playing them off of their common races, why would she be so much higher today? Uh, if she is anywhere close to that, I think that's a great price. Um, I have her stacked as like a 5-1 to one shot in this field. Give me the 8. Cup of class in race number 3. On Wednesday at Indiana Grand, we are going to move to race number 6 at Indiana Grand. i got a couple of uh, double-digit plays for you. Three plays at Indy. All of them double-digit odds on the morning line. Uh, let's get to the 6th race. I'm looking at the eight. These are Indiana bred maiden special weights. Sacred Sky debuted on April the 28th right here at Indy. Off racetrack. Good good racetrack. Sloppy. Broke out and bumped. Bumped pretty hard at the start. Ended up about six lengths off on a wet track after getting bumped. Just couldn't make up a ton of ground. Now adds the blinks. You get that logical second out improvement for a barn who's won with recently with a uh, a horse making their second career start. This guy got action in the debut. I think there's plenty to like about the number eight, Sacred Sky. Going to use in all exotics. Going to make a win wager on Sacred Sky if we get anything around six to one. Couple stakes races on Wednesday. Um, the seventh race to me feels like it's really chalky. I thought the nine, the three to five favorite Hungarian princess was going to be tough to beat. So I'm not going to spend uh, any time on that one. But in the eighth race, uh, I did find a price who I thought was worthy of some inclusion, and that was the seven Sky Judge. So Sudden Shift is the two to one favorite in here, and Sudden Shift beat Sky Judge on April the 27th. Sky Judge actually showed some inside speed, was asked from the inside, got the lead early, but then a couple rivals to the outside, actually a trio, were pressing, and that kind of forced Sky Judge to back out of it a little bit. Ends up losing some ground, gets shuffled back a length, um, even more on the inside, maybe like a length and a half, and then comes up the rail again for a pretty solid second. In a less than optimal trip, 
Sky Judge was not bad and not far behind Sudden Shift. So I'm I'm using the 7 in here, Sudden Shift, and if we can get anything around 8-1 to one or so, that's uh, worthy of a win wager to me. Those are my three plays for Indy Grand on Wednesday. Third race, the number 8, Cup of Class. We need around 5-1 to one there. Sixth race, the number 8, Sacred Sky. We would want around 6-1 to one on that one. And in the 8th, the number 7, Sky Judge. We need around 8-1 to one there to, to play that one on top. So good luck on Wednesday over at Indy. We are going to head to Emerald. There are some Emerald contests now entering the fray in Stable Duels. So uh, Emerald is a track that I handicapped a lot back at, at TVG. Let's get the past performances out and look at a couple races for Emerald for Wednesday. I'm going to start in race number three on May the 19th. And I'm looking at the five, a Jupiter S. So drawn to the outside, the blinkers come on now. You're coming back to Emerald after running down at Los Alamitos. Proven that she can can go five and a half distance in the pre- in the past. She has much more recency than most in here, right? Sunshine Emily hasn't raced since uh, October of, of last year. Uh, Bo Rocks hasn't raced since November. And Sassy Edie hasn't raced since October. Rosie's Baby has some recency. But I actually think Jupiter S just is, is a much more logical contender here who's run also run really well at Emerald. So you got the blinkers on, maybe the opportunity to sit second here behind Sunshine Emily, who's going to try to go from the inside. If she gets a little tired and maybe needs a race off the bench, I think Jupiter S fits the conditions nicely here. She is a five-time winner, but her most recent victory is at the end of 2020, so she fits this under a horse who hasn't won in 2021, not necessarily a non-winners of four, but her recent win is not far off, and she ran well last time out also, finishing second. Now, it was just a small field, right? It was only three, but she actually did run well. That's what I'm looking at. I'm not, I'm not gauging it off of her one lone race against in a small field. It's just more of the trip and the recency here, and returning to a track that she's done well. I think there are plenty of things to like about her if you can get around 3-1 to one or so on Jupiter S in race number 3. In the fourth race, I'm going to keep an eye on the prices of the two inside horses here. I'll take a shot against Dr. Bruce S, and I would look to the one, Crest Drive, and the two playing through. To me, the two is the most likely winner because now cutting back from a mile races to five and a half, he will probably be sitting off just a little bit. If he is five to two, that's that's a very fair price. He's super logical. He's going to track just behind the one Crest Drive. Now, at seven to two, that's pretty fair for Crest Drive. My major concern with him is he just does not really seem like he wants to fire his best shot off of a layoff. This barn is not very good off a plus 180 day layoff. So we have to take that into account. We would need 7-2 to two at at uh, uh, the price here because of that. Positives. I mean, we can just excuse his last start. He has legitimate sprint speed. He should clear this field if he breaks well. The winner... Um, from the he was a winner from the rail last time he was at this track going six furlongs. That last time he was at this level, excuse me, I said I don't know why I said track. He's he's been at Emerald a few times, but he was racing against five thousand dollar claimers. Right? Let's go back to the race on August the thirteenth. Six furlongs wires a group of twenty five hundred dollar restricted claimers, then steps up and beats thirty five hundred dollar restricted claimers, and can go six and six and a half. And should be able to get the lead fine here going five and a half because the two horses to his outside are more route speed 
type horses. So Crest Drive could have a couple lengths in here. You just don't want to take too short of a price on him because he's just not a positive for firing his absolute best off the bench. He could really need a race. Keep an eye on the prices on the one and two, and uh, that's how I would play the, the race, including those two in the exotics. And if you're playing your stable dual lineup, because it's just a, an eight-race card, there are going to be a couple races where you may have to use multiple horses, where you will have to use multiple horses. Um, that may be one of them. Uh, perhaps the fifth race would be one. As I uh, look at the fifth race with a group of $10,000 claimers, I thought the one fuzzy dolphin is one that, um, you know, from the inside... You take a look at a horse who was just running at Golden Gate, showed a little bit of speed early on before backing up. I think they will be forced with the rail draw and be in the mix early on. Then you've got Zatters, another one who's got some speed and who is a bit interesting. This horse has a lot of back class and used to be a, a like legitimate graded stakes type horse early on in his career. Um, Zatter with... Good speed again should be in the mix, so those would be two that I would include in your stable dual lineups uh, at you know five to one and three to one. Um, you know, Fuzzy Dolphin in particular won't cost you all that much. In a lot of these small fields at Emerald, it's going to be sort of tough to build a stable dual lineup. Uh, maybe in the seventh race, we could help you out a little more too, because I do think this is another race where we may not have to spend up as much. I looked at the two time and time again, so. I wish he had a recent race. I wish he had something and it wasn't coming off of the layoff since October. But he wasn't far behind a couple of these common rivals. And he does feel like he could get a nice trip in here with some speeds to the outside. Stand 2 is pretty quick. Hard to deny right next door is pretty quick. Spit an image isn't going to be too far out of it. Um, I'd imagine those three, you know, probably pushing the pace a little bit here. Even my grandpa, I wouldn't be shocked to see uh, that one close up. And then the two and the three, Muncie. Um, Max Muncie, Dodger fans. Starting to get on a roll finally now, Muncie after a slow start. I mean, he's walking like crazy, getting on base. But uh, Muncie's a first-time gelding. Two, three for me in the seventh and Emerald are horses that I look at um, and uh, will probably be throwing in, in uh, stable dual lineups there. So in the third race, the five Jupiter is is the horse I like the most on the Emerald card. If we can get around three to one, we'd play Jupiter, the five and the third. Fourth race, keep an eye on the one and the two. On the fifth race, we're looking at the one and the four. And in the seventh, the two and the eight horses that we will be looking to play. And we will be playing in our stable duel contest on Wednesday over at Emerald. We're going to get to Thursday racing in just a moment. Just a couple plays for you over at Churchill. But first, we have to talk about Cindy Carava, full-service realtor. Uh, one of our good friends, and as a full-service realtor, she can help you out in many different ways. Selling, purchasing, leasing. She can help you find vendors like handymen, painters, landscapers, gardeners that she's personally used in her own homes. Maybe you need help getting pre-approved for a home loan. She'll connect you with lenders that she works closely with and can highly recommend. And she covers all parts of the San Gabriel Valley, North San Diego County, Del Mar, Solana Beach, Rancho Santa Fe. You can find listings for all of the homes that she has on at her website, cindycarava.com. But even if you're outside of the area, if you live in a different state and, and you just don't have a lot of people around that you know that you can trust, get in contact with her. She will put you in touch with someone that she knows, someone that she trusts, and someone that will help you. cindycarava.com. Check out the website. You can get all the information there, all of her listings, everything you need. One of the kindest and most genuine people you will ever meet, Cindy Carava, 
C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. Churchill Downs Thursday, get those past performances out. We are looking at May the 20th, and we're looking at race number two. They're going to go the one-turn mile here. Look at this first level allowance, $102,000 purse. I am looking at the one loaded. Uh, The way this race shapes up on paper, just a small field, right? But Malibu Bird, blinkers on, stretching out, going to be showing some speed. The one to catch. Also going to have to deal with Papa Shock there. I think those two go and Loaded could track pretty nicely in third. Coming out of a race back in November, where there were two next out winners, Paleo Flag came back to win at Oaklawn in allowance race. Uh, Ocean Breeze came back to win two consecutive allowance races at Oaklawn. And Loaded seems to be training pretty well heading into this race. I think she can sit a nice trip, and I'm not worried about her firing off the, the brake. Very capable barn, getting a horse ready that that's, can sit a nice trip. Loaded from the inside here, the one. If we can get anything over, like we don't want less than three to one. So you know, I, I wouldn't really want to take five to two or so. We'd want about three to one or over in here, um, hoping that loaded can uh, can get that nice trip, stay within striking range, but doesn't want to be too far out of it, and also doesn't want to get caught up in a in a pace battle with the other couple. Let's move to race number four. Uh, I'm looking at the uh, eight in here. These are maiden 30 claimers, six furlongs the distance. I just got a feeling that the eight can't beat the rock. Is this a lot better than what we've seen um, so far? And and not that she's even, not that he's even been bad, right? So his debut is at Laurel against maiden special weights, and he's favored. And he just is way out of it early on. We're talking 15 lengths out of it. He ends up closing a ton of ground. And finishing third that day. Much better than it, it could have been. That's going six furlongs against Open Maiden Specials. Comes back in March at Turfway. Again, I I talk about some of those Turfway races because I think sometimes they just don't get quite graded as high in our mind and in some of the numbers and the speed figures. But this was a strong Turfway meet. This particular race was solid. And Can't Beat the Rock was actually favored that day. And... He had a good start, but he took back, and he he tried to settle about fifth or sixth. He was like four lengths off. He he was caught really wide. He actually did move up into contention early in the stretch, and then he, he flattened out. He's been favored in both of those starts. If he's like over five to one or around five to one in this race, dropping, adding the blinks, I mean, who scares you in here? I just feel like he's a lot better than what we've seen. And I think the 8 is going to run a big one. Can't beat the Rock. I would not go lower than 4-1 to one on him. That's the price I'd need in race number 4. Uh, let's get to our third and final Churchill Thursday play. And the final play on this episode of That's What G Said. It's going to be in the 7th. I'm looking at the number 5, Fabricate, who is to 8-1 on the morning line. For me, I'd need about 5-1 to one at the very least to play this one. So you you got a second level allowance, and Fabricate is is not really quick at a sprint distance. He's more of a mid pack. She's more of a mid pack to closer, and I think that will suit this race pretty well. You've got Lost Wish, who's quick. You've got Dark Honey, who's pretty quick. You've got Mischiefful, who's pretty quick. You've got Dealing Justice, who's pretty quick. You've got our working girl, who's probably the fastest of all of them. You've even got a horse like Exotic West and Founder's Day, who are not slow. And with the rail, I wouldn't be shocked if Exotic West tried to show some speed. 
this thing could set up so well for Fabricate. So her career debut, she wins over this racetrack, going six furlongs. Over this track, going this trip, sprint win, first time out of the box, beats a, a productive group. Comes back and tries Stakes Company, finishes third that day. Crazy beautiful, we saw with some success this year. And then stretches out. Mile on the Pocahontas a little too much. Comes back and tries turf twice. Let's get back to a sprint. Let's get back to square one. Sprinting on the dirt. What she did well. Fabricate. Second start off the bench. Plenty of things to like. The race shapes up very well for her. That's the five. Fabricate. Anything around five to one. We'll make a win wager there at Churchill on Thursday. Three Churchill plays one more time. In the second, the number one loaded. We need about three to one on that one. In the fourth, the number eight can't beat the rock. We'd need at the very least four to one, no less. And in the seventh race, the number five, Fabricate, we would need five to one on that one to make a win wager. So those are your Thursday Churchill plays. We are going to head on to the old wrestling rewatch in just a moment. First, we got to talk a little bit about Sarah Candles. C-E-R-A Candles.com. That is Sarah Candle Company. And their goal was to create a candle 100% natural clean burning high quality that everyone can enjoy now here are some of the reasons why sarah candles are the best and what makes them unique the all natural soy wax it's free from toxins it's what's found in the paraffin wax that's used by a lot of the other leading brands so the all natural soy wax in the sarah candles will actually hold your scent better and burn up to 50 percent longer than the traditional paraffin wax candle They're 100% lead-free, cotton wicks, completely natural scents. They're made in micro-batches. They're hand-poured to ensure the highest quality. They are 100% locally sourced, handcrafted in the USA. 25 different scents available, 3 different sizes, fragrance oils infused with natural essential oils. When you use the promo code G-I-N-O, it'll get you 10% off your purchase. They are going to give you instructions and details on how to keep your candle clean and how to ensure the perfect burn. You always want to make sure to trim the wick after every burn. You want to use the top of the candle to put it out, not blow it out. This is a a candle that is just better for you and your family, your friends, your kids, your loved ones, your animals. This is a great gift. And that promo code G-I-N-O gets you 10% off your purchase. We're talking no toxins, no carcinogens, no pollutants that are found in that paraffin wax. C-E-R-A candles.com. Sarah candles.com promo code G-I-N-O will get you 10% off your purchase. We're going to close out this episode of That's What She Said with the old wrestling rewatch. We head to WrestleMania 18. With Andrew Champagne, Darren Zocali, Hulk Hogan versus The Rock as a, a show stealing match that I don't think people realized uh, what a big deal it was going to be. So we spend, uh, I think, a couple hours going through everything this week uh, on the old wrestling rewatch. WrestleMania 18. Kick back and enjoy. Oh, yeah. Old wrestling rewatch. With Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali. <laughs> the old wrestling rewatch is back. Andrew Champagne, Darren Zocali joining me here on That's What G Said. And we're going to head to WrestleMania 18, the early 2000s here. The NWO and Hulk Hogan are back in the WWF at the time. And this is right when the WWF is going to make that uh, transition to the WWE. 
the business is still pretty hot. This is sort of the tail end of the Attitude Era and and one of the old uh, other boom periods in wrestling. I gotta say though, guys, um, there are a couple manias in this time period within this three or four years where the business is really hot. I just I don't know if I remembered the mania to be a little bit better. Now you know you look up and down this this show and there's not a lot of stuff that's just straight bad. Not a lot of stuff that's just awful, but there's only one or two things to me that I really remember from this show that kind of felt like WrestleMania. That's the Rock Hogan match and the Flair Taker match. And everything else, I feel like it was either okay or probably, you know, a little bit underwhelming for WrestleMania. So, uh, Andrew, uh, Darren joining me. Let's get to DZ first. Uh, DZ, what were your overall thoughts of this uh, WrestleMania 18? Yeah, you know, it it was, I, I think the word that I'm going to use to describe it is mundane. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just, I mean, look, I, I'm going to put a pin in Rock Hogan for a minute. Everything else about this show, it, it just kind of left me a little flat. And, and yep. I didn't really remember it that way. Me neither. And it's, and it's possible because 17 and 19 are widely considered two of the better WrestleManias of all time. Uh, depending on who you know, I, I've seen lists that actually list them one and two. Yep. Um, so you know, you could you could argue where they fall, but you know, most people would say that they're both top five, top seven manias ever. So I kind of just assumed that this mania was was decent given Me the too. era. Um, and I'm not saying it was terrible, but I watching it back, I kind of said to myself, yeah, you know, it was all right, <laughs> you know, like it. I, I, I wanted much. a lot more. And, and to be honest with you, I think they probably screwed themselves by not putting Rock Hogan last. Yeah. And we'll get into that, mm-hmm. you know, later on. Yeah. I mean, I got to tell you guys, I had, uh, I, I had some spirit going into this WrestleMania. I, I truly did. I was really, really excited for a spirited renewal of WrestleMania. Can you get the subliminal undertones here, people? Now, Rock Hogan was great. Rock Hogan was fantastic. And we're going to have a lot of fun talking about that match because it shows why WWE doesn't book for people like Darren Zocali. Okay? We're going to enjoy that. Now, the rest of this show, it seemed like Sunday Night Heat. I was going to say, a a raw episode. And that's not a horrible thing because there wasn't anything terrible as far as match quality is concerned. It was just sort of there. Now, you can make the argument that a lot of the really good WrestleManias had matches like this on them. WrestleMania 3 had a lot of very short five, six-minute mm-hmm. matches, yep. but those matches had a lot more urgency than Purpose. the matches that we saw yeah. on this show. Yeah. There were matches on this show where you're looking and you're going, why is this on the show? What yeah. are they trying to accomplish here? What's the point? And that ultimately is one of the show's biggest flaws. Not necessarily the match quality, but mm-hmm. the thought process that went into structuring this show. Yep. Not the least of which being Rock Hogan not being the main event, despite being promoted up and down as the biggest wrestling match in the history of wrestling matches. The fact that they did not put that as the main event made no sense, even as it was happening. Yeah, you know, you got a... a- Main event with Triple H and Jericho That was a lot more like uh, Triple H Versus Steph you know Jericho was just Kind of like a, a little a bit The problem you know? with that match though 
it's not the match quality. The no. match itself was fine. And I'm going to pose a hypothetical to you here. Had that match been the opener, I think we'd remember this show a lot differently. Mm-hmm. Yep, and it's it's the for, trying to kind of force of Triple H to be the, the babyface standing tall because he did have a good that story. Too. He did have a good story this year, I will say. Like this, if you were ever going to do it with him coming off the injury, like selling it, it's fine. We just kind of saw that. Yeah, that's just not his role. Like, you know, Trip, I, I, I grew to respect Triple H a lot more as a performer through the years as a heel wh- where he should have been Um, in, in a lot of cases. Like, I, I just, I, you know, I don't love him getting, like, the crowning achievement at the end of a show. It just kind of feels like, I don't know, doesn't, doesn't it just feels like there are better choices throughout a card. And what's crazy is, you know, you look at this card on paper and you talk about some big names. I mean, just going from the the, the top of the card down. You got RVD, who's really hot. When you talk about Rob Van Dam, I think people forget how hot he was at his peak. A peak of a couple years in the WWE where he was, I mean, the kind of reactions he was getting were comparable to basically anyone on the roster. Anyone. He was beloved, really by all, too, because he was such a badass. And when he would really feel motivated for going, he could go. You got Regal, who's one of the most underrated ever. You got DDP and Christian, who are both solid, like, veterans. You know, you've got Goldust. You've got Angle and Kane, Undertaker, Flair, Edge, Booker T, Austin, Scott Hall. You look at the tag match. You know, you've got the Dudley Boys, the Hardy Boys, and APA. You got Rock, Hogan, Trish, Lita, Triple H, Jericho. I just, you get all those names. Don't you feel like DZ? This should just have been a little bit of a better show with all that talent. Yeah, no, no question about it. I mean, when when you factor in the talent, you factor in you know the the Austin Scott Hall match, which of course carries a lot of weight in terms of the star power. The Rock Hogan, the nostalgia of that, the Jericho Triple H main event, Undertaker and Flair. I mean, you look at this card and you say to yourself, all right, well, this, this should be a really good combination of excellent wrestling matches along with star power that's going to provide me with a ton of entertainment um and while you get some good spots for me the the peaks are are not as high as they should be and i think there's more valleys than i would have anticipated it's not even peaks and valleys for me it's all one plateau the show doesn't really build to anything Everybody's just sitting there waiting for Rock Hogan. And then Rock Hogan happens, and nothing after it is remembered at all whatsoever, even with people who were there at the time. Case in point, Trish Stratus comes out in Canadian ring attire. Attire, like, made to pay respect to the Canadian flag. Nobody cares! That's all you (laughs) need to know. All you need to know. Zero oh, by response. the way, because the show is in Toronto. <laughs> you don't yeah. know why. Yeah. I'm just bringing that up. <laughs> yeah. And they, they were cold. Um, we'll, we'll get through it, man, and we'll get right into it. WrestleMania 18. And, and one of my gripes about this show, so um, I think it's like three hours, 45 minutes total or so on the rewatch. We've got like 15 minutes of live performances. Just way, way too much of that kind of stuff. I understand that live show having a, a band play one or two of the acts out is great, but we literally got no opening package, saliva opening the show. And it was like four minutes right off the bat of, you know, uh, like a rock show, which again, it's fine. You know, you want to get the crowd into it, but that's, I don't know, a lot of people are tuning in here for wrestling. When you, and when I'm watching back here, I'm going, hmm. 
that was a uh, you know felt like there was a lot of of performances on the show. There was only one good part of all of that, and it came when Stacy Keebler come came out. Yeah, we'll we'll yeah, get yeah, to that. We'll very to very that. true. And then I guess the one other sort of overall thing uh, before we get into the uh, the opening match was there. It felt like there were a couple people on the show that they were trying to get over. Um, and and hoping that you know a win at Mania against some big names would do that. And when you kind of look back and see what sort of what happened with them moving forward, it doesn't really hold up that well. And, and in particular, I'm talking Billy and Chuck and and Jazz. You know, you see like, oh wow, Jazz beat Trish and Lita here. And then you look at Billy and Chuck, how they're trying to get them over. They're beating the Dudleys, the Hardys, two guys who stole the show at uh, two of the three teams that stole the show at Mania the, the you know two previous years. And then in the APA, like three pretty established tag teams, like putting these teams over them, but didn't really hit because um, you didn't get like these great, great runs from really either of them. So uh, we'll get into those in just a moment. But we get into WrestleMania and after the you know, opening package where we have the stars talking about how big a deal WrestleMania is. I like this. They do a really good job for the most part, like always, with their pack with the video packages and the WrestleMania ones usually do feel a little bit bigger. So I did think the video package felt like WrestleMania-ish. You got the Undertaker, Jericho, Flair, Triple H all talking while there's clips of big moments showing past manias, Hogan, Rock. You hear them voicing over some of this uh B-roll footage and stuff. And by the time the opening pyro hits, um, we're you know already about you know seven and a half, eight minutes into the show. First person out, RVD. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, he is massively over here, and a great decision for uh, an, a crowd opener for one of the first people out. Uh, they love him. And then you got a a person who the crowd hates in Regal, and it's the IC champ William Regal versus RVD. And we get a super quick start for RVD House of Fire early uh, Regal goes looking for the brass knucks In his tights so that's sort of the The, uh, the story of this match uh, And then RVD kicks them away quickly And then Regal starts to beg off um, Early on RVD misses with a, f- a frog splash Attempt and Regal gains the Advantage he's like always using his Heel tactics hits that nice double Underhook um, and he hits Some stiff lefts and, and forearms And then Regal gets busted open RVD starts using some strikes of his own Crowd starts to get really pumped for RVD But he misses a kick attempt uh, Regal hits that full Nelson Into a German which just looked nasty Like RVD took a, a bad bump there Right on the back of his neck He rolls outside uh, Regal goes and get him And then as Regal goes outside He also finds the brass knucks that RVD kicked out there uh, And as the referee tries to take them from him RVD gains control He hits the 5 star frog splash And your new IC champ Is RVD Now I, I don't really have like anything negative To say about this match at all I would have just preferred 5 more minutes of this match Especially on this kind of a show Like if you give me 5 6 more minutes and these guys are going 12 or 13 um, This ends up probably being like The third, second or third like Best match on the show and probably one that you'd Remember a little bit more otherwise It was just kind of like a, a pretty solid Six minute-ish sprint to open with uh, a, a pretty hot RVD Probably the victim of having A couple too many matches on the card You know this yep. is what happens when you're going You're going 11 minutes you know Rock Hogan Are going to get 15 plus Undertaker And Flair are going to get close to 20 The main event is going to be around 20 So you know you have to control. You have to contract somewhere and unfortunately, what was probably one of the more technically sound matches of the card is what ends up, you know, getting that contraction. Um, 
you mentioned that bump to RVD. I literally did, you know, that kind of sound when I saw him like land on the back of his head because it did look nasty. Um, I totally agree with you. I made the same note. I could have used a few more minutes. Uh, that being said, you know, I, I came out of watching this match saying, all right, it was short, but solid opener. The crowd seemed okay. Regal played the heel character well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I thought the finish was fine. RVD, I thought, worked very well. So I, I watched this coming out of it and said, all right, wanted more, but decent start. You know, let's see where it goes from here. And, you know, Andrew kind of made the point that it plateaued. And, and I think he's right in the fact that you can make the argument that with the exception of how into the match, you know, the Rock Hogan match the crowd was, I don't think anything got much higher from, you know, all the different perspectives that we look at this than, than this opening match. And that's kind yeah. of the problem. Yeah. Now, to be fair, as Joey Styles said so often in ECW, no one gets higher than Rob Van Dam. <laughs> nice be a play on words. By nice give me the Letterman music here as I adjust Very my bow tie. Now, to give you an idea of how hot this crowd was to start and how it slowly became indifferent, Regal took one bump right at the start of the match. Crowd goes bonkers. Yeah. Now, in a sense, I think that might have thrown RVD off a little bit because this was his first stadium match. Remember, this is 2002. He had been with ECW for a while, came over to WWF. This is his first big match inside of a stadium setting. And that's not easy to do. Ask anybody what the challenges are of working in a stadium and you hear about the sound going straight up you hear about not being able to really play off what you're doing. And in this particular instance, you're talking about a 10-minute match that's been condensed down to six because of all of the nonsense that they decided to book on a four-hour show. I like RVD. He's fun. He should have been bigger than he was for a variety of different reasons. At some point, we're probably going to have to go into the booking where Triple H went over him. At some point, we're probably going to have to watch the second ECW one-night stand where he won both titles and then got pulled over and wound up having to relinquish them and was never the same after that, whatever. The one thing that jumps out at me, though, every time I rewatch an RVD match from the late 90s, early 2000s, for as athletic as he was, and he was a tremendous athlete that could do a lot of really cool stuff, he wasn't overly smooth. Like, you see guys who are no. of his size, and they're making everything look really easy. RVD could do a lot. He didn't make it look easy. There were some timing issues, and there were times where he almost tried to do too much. Yep. And as a result, was maybe a little stiffer than he should have been. And you see that because Regal Bleeding wasn't in the script. Yeah. So <laughs> you get a good, solid six-minute match. Should have gotten more time. Didn't get more time. Apparently, we needed saliva and drowning pool. Apparently, we needed 10 or 12 minutes of the hardcore title craziness that ensued, which shouldn't have even been on the card. Yeah, it's like a raw thing. Yeah, you take those out, and all of a sudden, you're left with a two-hour and 30-minute show, right? So, <laughs> but it, it, decent opener, nothing bad. But at the same time, you go in, not a lot gets a bigger reaction than this. The opener is supposed to set the tone, and instead, the audience just sort of stays there. So, just got to give a shout to uh, to Regal because you know this was a 
this was a good match. Like it was above average match. It was fine. Um, but Regal, I always watch, and I always, you know, he is one of the most underrated. I think people forget how good on the world. Great, uh, great, great character. Great, great character. character. And yeah. when you know, when you hear him on uh, on documentaries, and when you hear him like behind the scenes stuff, he loves the business. More than I think any person you could probably ever meet. He is willing to do anything to make himself. He he reminds me a little of Vince in that. Like he'll make himself look like such an ass as a performer. He doesn't care if if it's gonna get a laugh, if the crowd's gonna like it, he'll do it. And then he could be the toughest, like in a real fight in the background when he was in his prime. He would have been one of the guys that you did not want to really mess with. So the fact that he could do that and. Still cut a fun promo and, and sound strong on the mic too um, I think he's always going to go down as one of the more Underrated performers of his era and, By, you know, by and, the way he, he actually opened Back to back Wrestlemania's Yeah with he Jericho right yep, yep. Yeah and uh, Andrew mentioned sometimes too I think you know for him it, it was probably some of his own demons That hurt him in, in spots where he would Sort of get a run and then have to interrupt it But he, he's, he's done some really good work from here on out uh, at WWE, even 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 in his stuff as the uh, the NXT uh, GM, he he's like one of the better GMs on TV because he just like, oh, so you're telling me there's just a boss at this job that's not completely evil, but he's not like a complete kiss ass to the good guys either. He's just kind of logical, <laughs> you know. Like he, he's he's one of the better GMs in all of wrestling that I can I, really remember. I love when he comes out and he goes. I know how to settle this. <laughs> war game. Yeah, war n- game. Nothing, nothing beats Regal saying war games for various <laughs> reasons. First of all, in order to do that, you need to have spent some time in WCW. He did. So that's just, and just the way that he says it, and you know the crowd knows it's coming, and they're just waiting for him to say it so they can pop. It's It's masterful. He's Far better than you remember as far as working a crowd. Also, if you have never seen him talk about Tajiri, it is high comedy. And he instantly goes back into character as, I hate him. I hate him. I hate him. I hate him. (laughs) And you know behind the scenes they're good friends and work well together. And it's just, it's this constant rib. Really, it's all on YouTube. It's in WWE Storytime. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. We're on to the second match of the night And we've got Christian against DDP You know, again uh, First it's Christian, he's backstage He's doing that stupid smiley face gimmick Which just It was just awful um, he, he cuts a promo on why he turned on DBT, DDP Who was kind of playing like a mentor to him uh, He talks about how he used to uh, he Or he used DDP Until he was done with him Just like what he did with Canada And why he moved out of Canada uh, That's not a good thing That's a bad thing And then my note was Again with that dipshit look So it's just um, uh, Point yeah. of order really quickly Can we just talk about how at this time Vince McMahon decided everyone needed to be from America Not and Canada disavow, yeah, yeah like Chris Jericho wasn't from Canada anymore Everyone knew he was from Canada Trish Stratus, everyone knew she was from Canada. She was wearing the Canadian flag as her ring gear for WrestleMania. It just it made no sense. You could tell Vince was one of the people that called French fries freedom fries for a little while. <laughs> yeah. So um, here comes Christian, and we've got Christian versus DDP for the European title. Uh, JR mentions that cool fact at the beginning of this match that DDP drove the honky tonk man to the ring at Mania 6 in that pink Cadillac. That is uh, true. 
Christian attacks early You get a little back and forth uh, DDP clothesline goes uh, He goes over the top with Christian Works on him outside the ring a little bit um, Christian with the shoulder block Knocks DDP off the apron onto the floor Abdominal stretch applied by Christian uh, DDP Chris, uh, catches Christian up top Kind of launches him off You get a fun back and forth sequence towards the end And then you kind of just get a DDP like Diamond cutter Again, like fine, short. It wasn't as good as the the first match. This one just felt a lot more, just like a like a TV match. And if it happened on Raw or SmackDown that you saw on a, each week, you'd probably say, "Oh, okay, yeah, that was fine." But just did not feel very WrestleMania at all. Uh, you got the post match where DDP gets the mic and tells Christian he's proud of him, even though he lost in front of sixty seven thousand and zillions watching. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. And um, and then Christian throws the temper tantrum In the middle of the ring He was doing that gimmick where he was throwing a tantrum When he didn't get his way So yeah this was I think The first on a string of maybe Like one, two, three, four, Maybe at least three And then one that you could at least say Felt like a spectacle And then maybe like three more after that That were all like oh okay I think Andrew may have said it the best when he, when he texted me, like very B level show, even even the most. Like, you know, this did just feel a lot TV match, DZ. It did. I mean, I'm I'm a little biased here because I've always loved DDP. Um, being a guy that watched a lot more WCW than a lot of my friends did. Um, so whenever you know, getting to see DDP in a mania spot, you know, I I I thought this match was actually entertaining. Um, I thought there yeah, were some. I, good, I thought there were some good spots. Oh, I yeah. thought that, yeah, I thought the DDP kind of gut wrench, then you know, kind of like gut breaker move that he did was cool. Um, the spot where he's on top of the, the, you know, doing the punches on the on the rope, and Christian gets him and kind of walks out, and he slams DDP's head down on the on the turnbuckle was good. You could, if you pay close attention, you could actually. Get um, a spot where you see disappointment on DDP's face when when he does that spot you mentioned where he gets thrown outside and he's supposed to go flying into the into the railing. Um, he he kind of like ends up falling a little bit short and he has to kind of like fall into it and it looks just a little bit. It's not anything bad. It just looks a little bit clumsy. And they actually get like a shot of DDP's face and you could see that he says something like because he. He kind of missed his mark by a little bit. So I thought that was kind of an interesting note. But, yeah, I would have preferred for the finish, um, kind of like the RKO out of nowhere, I would have preferred a more kind of like – and they could have done it like after like, you know, Christian got upset when he when he kicked out of the two and Christian kind of snapped and turned around. I, I thought that would have been a good spot for, for DDP to kind of hit the thing out of nowhere rather than the finish was. Um, and then I have to watch Christian kind of roll around like a – Petulant child for 30 seconds in the middle of the ring Which I could have done without But Christian was doing some things at this time That I didn't really love with the character So that part of it left a bad taste in my mouth But I, like I said I was a DDP fan And watching him get a win at Mania And kind of walking out through the crowd and everything I, I thought it was pretty cool You know what they should have done With the diamond cutter out of nowhere uh, Paige should have been in all fours Christian <laughs> should have run at him Like he was going to just do a basic stomp of his head Really? Yeah. 
And oh, then you, you, you launch Christian up into the air. Yeah. Paige simply catches him in a diamond cutter. That exactly. might have been the best ever high end. Yeah, yeah. You don't you don't need to be a super advanced worker in order to do that. I'm just throwing you, that out you, there. You, you, I guarantee you there's a, I, I love DDP to death. There was no shot that DDP would be able to hit that. No I'm just, shot. I'm just saying, don't sleep on what DDP yoga can allow you to do. He wasn't doing the yoga yet. <laughs> Time travel, DZ. Time travel. <laughs> Work with me here. Anyway, the only other thing that I have to add on a serious note is, you guys, Christian's really big here. Like, yeah. he's big, he's bulky, He's it, it's it's all in his upper body. I mean, from he's, what we he's know... Like, he's living the gimmick of, like, wanting to be the guy away from Edge, you know? Like, he's trying to, like, get bigger and, like, be kind of so different. Well, there's that part, too, but... Knowing what we know about body composition and how people react to certain substances, I'm thinking there's a chance he was on the gas at this oh, point. Sure. Just yeah. simply because you look at him there and you look at him even five years later in TNA and he looks incredibly lean and he hasn't changed as far as the way he looks in the last 15 years. It's just at this point, he's really big. He's really top heavy. Wearing that stupid mesh top thing that makes absolutely no sense. Like '93-ish Michaels, you know, where he was a yeah. little like a uh, little heavier, you know, a little chunky around yeah. the middle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So this is DDP's only true WrestleMania match. So there's a little bit of history here. He deserved better than he got with his WWE run. There were a couple of things that came out of that as far as him having backstage heat with Undertaker for ridiculous reasons, him not necessarily fitting in, whatever. He could have been so much more than he was in WWE. It's just he never really got the kind of run there that he got in WCW, and then his age finally caught up to him. He was in his mid-40s even when he was in WCW, even though he was working like a younger guy. He aged pretty darn fast. So we then get to a, a promo that here um, we go. It, it's it's fun. It's crazy. It goes all over the place here. But we get one of those rock promos where he is just energetic as can be backstage. It's the coach and talking to the rock who stops the coach after a few words and uh I mean, these people are just going nuts for The Rock when he shows up on the screen. Finally, The Rock has come back to Toronto. Hulk Hogan, the stage is set. WrestleMania, the biggest matchup of all time. A matchup that will determine who will go down as the greatest ever. And Hulk Hogan, last week, you asked The Rock. You stood in the, in the ring and you asked The Rock, what you gonna do when Hulkamania runs wild on you? See, Hogan. What you're failing to realize, what The Rock wants you to remember, is that The Rock wants Hulkamania to run wild on him tonight. The Rock wants Hulkamania in all of his glory. Coach, let The Rock ask you something. Did you take your vitamins this morning? Coach jumps in. Yeah, I will, Rock. Yeah, I did, you know. The Rock mocks him. Did you say your prayers? Coach responds. I gotta say, the coach coach did pretty good here. Like, just acted like, just totally aloof and goof. You, uh, you know... You know, Rock, I, I, I didn't say my prayers. I got kind of busy. You got busy saying your prayers? Man, The Rock gives thanks every day, and you got busy? Well, what are you waiting for, Coach? Shut up. Never mind. Would you people like to see the Coach say his prayers? See, Coach? They believe in you. The Rock believes in you. 
So say your prayers, put your hands together, look up to the sky, give your thanks, get down on your knees. And the coach gets down on his knees. He says, he looks up to the sky in like a praying pose. What up, G? Coach here. (laughs) I'm sorry. I held it together as long as I could. It was pretty funny. So the the Rock gets pissed at how the coach is giving thanks, and he kind of kicks him away. And then he goes back to talking about Hogan. You see, Hulk Hogan, the Rock wants Hulkamania in all of his glory. What you gonna do, Hulk Hogan, when you face the Rock tonight, when you've got butterflies in your Hulk stomach, when you reach down to feel if you've still got a Hulk strudel? Hulk Hogan, what you gonna do when the Rock runs wild on you? So it felt like that was it, right? Like, it felt like that was kind of like a good part to go, but he still had to get his last one in. And he says, but you know what, Hogan? The Rock will tell you. You're going to feel the electricity like never before. You're going to hear 70,000 strong chanting your name, chanting The Rock's name. And above all else, you will, you will, you will, you will, you will smell what The Rock is cooking. Brow. Boom. It was fun, and whether it, it goes completely off the rails in the middle, and then he, he refocuses it, he had that that little thing with the coach where they had really good chemistry together, and this is one of those type of promos that, I mean, like only The Rock can cut. Like, I, like nobody else can cut a promo like this. You know, the only thing that I kind of drew from it as I was trying to, like, just try to decipher where this promo came from and <laughs> what exactly was going on. I started to connect some dots and I said, hmm, Hulk Hogan, big match, WrestleMania, Toronto. Hmm. What are the promo around Hulk Hogan and a WrestleMania match in Toronto was complete indecipherable nonsense? May, may I? May I? May I? <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> As you, Hulk Hogan, travel to WrestleMania. <laughs> that wasn't bad. It wasn't. No. No. Hey, with the Hulkamaniacs and the Warriors come together, <laughs> Hulk Hogan, we come and we leave. As the same. What the hell are you saying, guy? Like, it, it, and, and it's kind. Of, it's kind of like I'm. I'm as I'm watching this. I'm like, maybe there's just something about the WrestleMania Toronto air that when it comes to a match with Hogan, <laughs> that the promo has just to has to just go it. completely batshit crazy. <laughs> That's entirely possible. Now, there's two things I want to note here. First, once again. They outright call it the biggest match of all time, and yet it isn't the main event. Just throwing that out there. Two, you know what The Rock has to do in order to get a great reaction from the people in the building? All 60,000 of them? <laughs> Look at the camera. Yeah. That's it. That's all. Who's the most over guy, face or heel in WWE right now? It's probably Roman, right? Yeah. Probably. Roman looks at a camera. What happens? Move. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Therein lies the problem. Therein lies some people lies the reason, rather, why some people think we're crazy for still being wrestling fans. Because those types of figures, they don't exist anymore. 
and that's a damn shame. Yeah, and that's and you know what, like I would even say that that may have been a little hard on on Roman because he's probably right now like this version of Roman is probably one of the better things there's been in a while. But, oh, like there is. Your, there your is. whole and your whole, but but your like I think your point of all this is that they there's no like the. The format of WWE programming nowadays just doesn't even allow for someone like The Rock or Stone Cold to come in, and and mm-hmm. and like and and have the kind of like booking or or like the wave that they did. There's either too much programming where they you, you kind of get burned out from them, or they would quickly not get booked the right way. And and then you know think about Austin, like how often he actually like lost clean, or you know how like how they used to protect some of the guys like that. It's just a it's a lot different. Um, they're you're right. It's you just don't feel like anybody's got that kind of magnetism nowadays. Well, now, it, when we when we used to watch like this this era, you know, you you would turn on Raw, you would turn on SmackDown. You couldn't wait for The Rock to get a microphone in his hand because it was whatever it was going to be, it was just going to entertain the hell out of you. Whatever yep. it was, I mean, he, I mean, it, all you got to do is go to YouTube and just pull up some of his stuff, whether it's. You know, the time where he, like, does impersonations of, like, Rikishi and Kane and Stone Cold before they go into the uh, the Elimination Chamber match, which is absolutely hysterical. Or I think he's, he's got the spot with him and, and Hogan and Kane in, in the locker room. Canaanites. Um, oh, yeah, the Canaanite thing. And, you know, when he, sing, when he sings to Vicky Guerrero, I mean, it's like th- he has done some just incredible stuff. And you know that... 99.5% of it is all him, um, if not 100%. Mm-hmm. And you just you just don't have, after seeing, I, I would say, that, look, as good as a guy like The Miz is on the mic, and he is, he's fantastic on the mic. But after CM Punk, I don't think you've ever seen anything really close to, you know, when you would get like that A-plus rock promo. It's just, it's no. just, it's just not, I, I won't even just call it in WWE. I, I mean, look, Jericho gives great promos. There's there's guys in AEW. Cena Cena would give impassioned like face of the company promos, yeah, and, and he's been able nothing. to transition over to it, to acting. So he he's done a yeah. he would do an admirable job. But yeah, um, yeah. But there's just, no, there's nothing like there's nothing no, like the Rock the in energy. Remember that yeah. one that he came back on Raw and he cut that like forty five minute promo like he's walking, just walking he's, like, he's just walking through the back. He's like saying hello around. to everybody. He's just, like sweating bullets, but like yeah. everybody's just going ballistic for him the like, whole time. He sees Rusev and Lana and he's like damn yeah. <laughs> like, I actually remember um in I, so I guess it was 2011 um uh, and I got I got sick at the end of 2010 and the rock hadn't been in WWE for a few years at that point and 2011 he made his return um it was the first time he had been at rest in wrestling in what five or six years I think and he came to Raw and I remember it was Raw in Anaheim on Valentine's Day, it was really funny because my buddy and I got the tickets really early. We never knew The Rock was going to show up, but I hadn't been dating anyone at that point. And then I, I started dating uh, my ex-girlfriend at, at the time. And I remember how we had to say, like, oh, hey, uh, we've got these tickets on Valentine's Day for a Monday Night Raw. You know, and, and I always just remember that because it ended up being a damn great show because The Rock shows up. So it was like one thing that was like, you know, that was that was probably worth it, especially since uh, she didn't end up uh, making the long haul, anyways, right? So I'm glad I got to see the. I'm glad I got to see the Rock there. Uh, there, there that day. We, we all have to make sacrifices. That's for darn sure. <laughs> now, the 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 one more thing before we move on. So we're talking about these promos that get this kind of reaction from the crowd. Quick question: Last five years, 
what promo has gotten the most natural reaction out of a crowd face or heel? I've got my answer, and it's not what you'd expect. I'm trying to think. The last five years. And you talking just WWE? Just WWE. I mean, like the talking smack stuff? Wrong. The yeah, you know, like that was that was to me one of the things that I thought the best buzz. Like, you know, I mean, Edge and Daniel Bryan have felt to me some of the more like honest, genuine promos of the last I, few years because you kind of believe them uh, when I mean, they when the or- they speak. The, yeah, yeah, I, I mean, can't. The Orton, the Orton promo that on that Raw was was tremendous that he did with um with uh, what's her name? Uh, Beth Phoenix. Yeah, Edge, Beth Phoenix. Yeah, I mean, that's, I know that's not what that's you're talking good. about. That's yeah. good. That's good. What are you Here's thinking? Elias and Kevin Owens. Talking about basketball in Seattle. That was yeah. no. You're yeah. right. I mean, that's yeah. on. That was really, really damn good. You're right. And, and if you look, if you look, they want to go off script so bad, and Kevin Owens is struggling to keep a straight face as he's doing this, and he's trying to talk over the crowd to move things along, but. Elias can't hear him because the crowd is just booing at the top of their lungs because they've just insulted the Seattle Supersonics. We don't get promos like that anymore. If you get guys who know what they're doing on the microphone, just say, look, you get five minutes, get us from point A to point B, have fun. Guys aren't trained like that anymore. So we get to Goldust versus Maven for the hardcore title. Um, Why? Yeah, I mean, first out, it's Goldust who has he grabs a couple weapons from under the ring. Then Maven comes out. Uh, Goldust goes right after Maven. That he kind of lays him across the railing outside of the ring and 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 dives off the apron. Sort of hits him with an elbow. He picks up a shovel uh, and then he steps on the shovel, so it it hits him. Doesn't really use the shovel. Uh, he he, you know, uh, both men hit each other with trash can lids. Uh, they're knocked out. And then Spike Dudley comes running out with the referee and gets the win. This thing goes three minutes. Uh, Spike picks up the hardcore title, and then throughout the night, there's the running gag of of who continues to win the, the hardcore title. And again, it's just like this is a raw SmackDown gimmick that you have throughout the show. Sometimes you have like a like a legend win it or or whatever the case. But um, it just I don't know something like this on WrestleMania almost feel, makes the show feel. Less WrestleMania to me, at least, easy. Yeah, it's to be honest with you. I, I mean, last year was kind of a uh, you know, you got to give them a bit of a pass because they they put forth a WrestleMania last yeah. year, literally as the pandemic began. But you know, like that that Gronkowski spot, you know, with the 24 7 title is not something now. Granted, it was Gronkowski, so that might have happened in any year to get a you know, you could have gotten a pop if Gronk got a pin or something like that. But, you know, a spot like this where, you know, you're going to kind of carry it throughout the card and stuff like that. I mean, that's, you know, like you said, that's meant for a Raw or whatever. It's not meant for WrestleMania. But, yeah, I mean, look, I have nothing I have nothing innovative to say here except for, you know, poor Goldust getting put into this spot where he, he does. Out of, the, out of the three guys involved at this point, he's the only one that doesn't get his hands on the belt. Yeah. Um, poor Maven. Maven gets zero reaction here, and this is a guy that, for not having a whole heck of a lot of wrestling training, just winning tough enough, actually was able to carve out a decent little five-year WWE run for himself. He won the hardcore title three times. In fact, he wins it back again later on in the show, 
The guy was on a couple of D-list reality shows. He had some name recognition to him. I mean, it's a case where, as Gino mentioned, they put guys in spots on this show to try to get them over. Yeah, he was one. Yeah, he was one. And you could understand why. Because, look, tough enough back then had momentum. Yeah, MTV shows. Reality show. Yeah, it was a new thing. People were really excited about it. Um, it just, yeah, felt felt yeah, a little out of place. Yeah, he he had he definitely had a ceiling, and he reached it quickly. I mean, to this day, and I believe we looked at this Royal Rumble, the mm-hmm. one where he drop kicks the Undertaker out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're just going, why? Just in hindsight, why? Like, what what was he going to get from that? If you didn't have anything planned for him, why? Rub, Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like you could do that with any mid card face you're trying to push, but you're going to make the guy go, you know, if you're going to have a match with a taker at mania where you have this brutal beat down and then at the end taker shakes his hand in respect or something, you know what I mean? Whatever it's going to be. The sure. Jeff Hardy storyline. Yeah. yeah but you know? that's, that's not necessarily what happened here. And I am with you guys, this hardcore title stuff. Look, a couple of the skits backstage were funny, but sure. does it belong at a mania? I, I don't think so. I, I think what you do is you spent the entire Sunday night heat before this just following the hardcore champion around and you see what happens over the course of an hour. Tell me you wouldn't watch. So th- this was really weird next. Um, so we get Drowning Pool performing for four minutes, basically like doing the song for the main event video package. For a match that's not going to go on for two hours. <laughs> this was bizarre. I, it was like, oh, maybe they just wanted to split up the the entrances. And they didn't want to have... They had another one for Triple H playing him out for the theme, right? So I guess they're not going to have this song play. And then the Triple H's theme go out. So they you know, had to split them up a little bit. But it did seem sort of weird leading into the main event... That the women's match is over And then there's like no video package or build up I almost think the crowd could have used it At that point because they were still like They were down After that Rock Hogan and they could have Remembered like a little more oh yeah okay Like this is the build up for the main event I almost wonder I don't know if they would have like Gotten them way back into it but it could have Helped like build a little more just kind of Right when it went into that match and um, Drowning pool four minutes you know, we get we basically get like them playing the music through the build up video package, the clips of Jericho, Triple H, and Stephanie um, for the main event, and uh, and then we go backstage and it's Crash, uh, uh, Holly, he's attacking Spike backstage. Al Snow is back there on a golf cart, and then the Hurricane runs in to steal the win. Um, yeah, I mean, just like Raw Raw SmackDown stuff. You know, nothing nothing special. This one wasn't even really one of the the more fun, I thought, um, backstage interactions. Um, and, uh, and then we get uh, next match, Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle with hair. Um, he comes out. I thought he actually cut a pretty good heel promo for some heat. It talking, was great. Yeah, talking about America and the Olympics. And then he calls himself the big red, white, and blue machine. <laughs> and, and, uh, and then Kane uh, interrupts him right before he's about to finish. So we get Angle versus Kane. And this... I mean, I sort of feel with this match as I feel about probably the first two matches on the show. Um, I don't think with both of these guys in a ring together, it wouldn't be bad, right? Like, Angle is great. Kane is very solid. It just, for some reason, the match didn't have a lot of heat. 
really And I think that hurt it um, Kurt Gokes to work early It's kind of a pretty slow match though for, for Kurt early on Kane's doing a lot of selling You get a small flurry for Kane Suplex by angle Then a front fl- uh, face lock I just, you know, the first four minutes were all angle um, Sidewalk slam by Kane He turns things around But then uh, angle counters He hits the three suplexes Which, you know, obviously looks pretty impressive On a, on a big man like Kane Letting go on the third um, But just Kind of slow um, Angle climbs to the top rope He hits a diving clothesline And he celebrates um, Then he goes up top To try to hit the same move again But Kane is able to get to his feet And hit his own clothesline, uh, clothesline on Angle Who is jumping off the top Kane gets uh, in control now Big swirling power slam I wrote a couple times Crowd's pretty dead here um, And even the announcers I thought Like there were times in the show Where kind of JR and King Aren't really like selling this match like it's that big of a match And then JR is telling me that the Triple H Jericho match is the greatest thing ever You know so it was a little a little off Like I would have liked to see a little more excitement for this To get me into the match a little more But that was something I noticed um, Kane hits a choke slam, But Angle is able to grab the bottom rope Before the three count Kane pinned him a little too close to the ropes I thought that was a good spot Then Kane does the signal for the tombstone But Kurt tries to pull off Kane's mask so he's able to counter and hit an angle slam for two. Um, Kurt gets the ankle lock in. JR says that Angle has made Kane submit, and the only he was the only man that's ever made Kane submit before. Uh, Kane breaks the hold, but Kurt again locks it in. Kane struggles. He's able to fight out of it. Uh, Kane goes up to the top rope. Th- this is one of my favorite angle spots, though. Yeah. When he would catch someone on the top rope. And he would do that like jump up and sprint across the ring And in like two steps he's across the ring He's to the middle rope and with like one throw He just tosses you right like backwards over his head um, I loved when Angle would, would do that little burst And you know he uh, he's able to Kane goes for a choke slam, Angle counters into a roll up And even a super sloppy kind of pin finish With his feet on the ropes that didn't come off it clean I just I wrote like nothing memorable yeah, uh, they, like you said, they, look, there are a couple of good spots. Uh, I, I also made note of the angle spot that you talked about. Um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of slow at times, um, but you're right about the crowd. But if I remember correctly, I, I don't really believe there was any kind of a, a story, you know, with no. these two going into this. I think they were just, just like placed together. Yeah, I think it was just like, all right, we got two. You know, guys that are big names that we don't really have anything for. Let's just kind of put them into the ma- into a match together, and the match wasn't offensive by any stretch of the imagination. No. But this is a prime example, Andrew, of what happens when you just kind of have a match without any kind of story and without the fans being invested in what's actually taking place. That's true. I really liked this match actually, and I think it's a testament to the fact that a this was around Kane's peak as a worker. He was still agile, but he obviously knew the character inside and out at this point. He knew what he was doing. He was a big guy that can move everybody drink. Also the fact that Kurt Angle is a freak athlete didn't exactly hurt matters. He goes toe to toe with Kane on a number of occasions. Kane's got him by, oh, eight, nine inches in height probably about 80 pounds we shouldn't buy it as an even matchup but we do and that's a testament to angle knowing exactly how to use his skill set and kane being agile enough to be able to bump for angle to where we saw him as a threat 
they keep this moving at a really good tempo. It's a good 10-minute match. The problem is they botched the finish. Uh, the roll-up was really strange. Kane only had one shoulder down for at least part of the count. Angle had his feet on the ropes. It's just one of those things where I wish they were able to get a mulligan and do the finish over to where it maybe it made a little bit more sense. But on the whole, good match. I thought the most technically sound on the undercard, I thought these two guys brought it. I have nothing to complain about up to the finish. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I think I, you know, I look at the match and go, okay, Kurt, Kane, you probably feel that they're sort of main event-ish guys at the time, but this was just sort of like a, like, like DZ was saying, no build, kind of a, hey, we, we got these two guys that deserve a Mania match and a Mania payoff. We have to find a way to get them on the show. Let's kind of shoehorn them into to something and, and put it in the middle because there will be, uh, it'll be 10 minutes that's not going to be offensive to anyone. And it wasn't. Like, you know, when you're ranking matches on the show, I probably have this, you know, third for like right right in the mix after a Rock Hogan. I kind of like Flair and, and, and Undertaker. There's some some like I could I could do without maybe a few minutes of that match, but uh the, the opening two matches were were both kind of fine by me. And this one's sort of in that range where um nothing bad about it. Just um yeah, I don't know if it felt mania for these two guys who we think of Kane and like his mania builds with Undertaker. You think of Kurt and a couple of the mania stuff that he had with Brock or Sean or other really good stuff. Um, and this just really wasn't that for either one of these guys. Um, let's get to uh, we're backstage now, and Hurricane Helms is in the <laughs> women's locker room. I thought this was actually one of the funnier uh, backstage yeah. segments. He's could never could never do it. This uh, no you know, no. Oh, how else. about this? This <laughs> and, uh, we'll mention Jeff Hardy in a little bit too. Um, that, I thought that was funny. Um, so he's in the women's locker room, and a bunch of the Godfather's women, the hosts, uh, they all are. Taking off their shirts, they're comparing their bodies, they're like looking at each other's boobs, and you know, and Hurricane is hiding behind one of those changing screens, and the Godfather, uh, the, the women all see him, and the Godfather comes in, and uh, he, he's able to chase Hurricane away. So it's just kind of a funny little spot, obviously, to get the uh, the, the women on the uh, on the the uh, the show for a moment. Quite and the WrestleMania moment. Their their WrestleMania moment, and uh, we got the video package, the buildup for Undertaker, Ric Flair, and this is American Badass Undertaker. He is the heel. Remember, Ric Flair was just involved in the storyline with uh, Vince McMahon for the battle of the company. He had to relinquish uh, power in order to be in this match, and... Uh, this is like the babyface version of Flair. This is Flair, pretty new back in the WWF at the time. Uh, remember, he didn't make the jump right away. He kind of came in um, around the time in the NWO, came in about a year after all the uh, invasion stuff, maybe six, eight months after the, all the invasion stuff. And, uh, and and by that time, it was sort of like over. That angle was, was done. But Flair did some good work here. And I thought um, this was, you know, I enjoyed this match. I do think, you know, it's, 1847 could this have been better if it was 15 and you cut like four minutes out of it sure and and maybe 15 is even much but i understand what they're doing here this was a, a big bloody brawl uh you get flair going right after the undertaker he's working on him outside the ring he kind of catches taker off guard you get a real intense version of flair early and then there's a, a while where taker is just beating the crap out of flair all over the place he's got him all bloodied up uh, JR, I thought was kind of cool. Uh, JR is talking about how Flair is older now. You know, he's not in his prime. And I almost thought 
that he was sort of pissed off at King here. He seemed like there were some shows where JR seems like he does get like a little annoyed by King. And this may have been one of them. Who knows? Maybe they were just really doing a great job of, of making me think that. But King kept talking about how, you know, Flair is old and this and that. And JR was like, you mean like you? Like you guys are the same guy, you know, like you have had these legendary careers. This would be how you would be out there. And King said something like, no, I'd be actually fighting back. And he says, come on, Flair. Um, I I just kept writing down like King is a total snossage here. Um, so Taker is really bloodying up Flair. He's punching the the wound, and he's had Flair pinned multiple times, but he keeps pulling him up at two just to continue the beatdown. A little slow in the middle part when when Taker's in control for a while. This is where you maybe could have cut a couple minutes out, but I guess that's kind of the point. It really lays in that you've got this big menacing evil Undertaker who is just like you know. Like meticulously taking Flair apart Um, Flair does battle back When Taker goes for old school uh, Flair is able to counter And he tosses uh, Taker off the rope And JR says Undertaker Is talking and he got jerked off The top rope by Ric Flair (laughs) It was some really funny Like mixture of words there When you're on live TV, live radio Live anything for hours and hours You're gonna get your words mixed up but yeah, so uh, The Undertaker got jerked off the top rope by Ric Flair here uh, in their match But we we get some lead pipes in the mix We get signs in the mix um, And this no DQ Taker goes for a choke slam And then Flair goes for the low blow uh, He gets the figure four um, We get uh, Taker trying to, to really win this time But now Flair is able to kick out Which pisses The Undertaker off Arn Anderson Interferes, he hits a spine buster But Flair could only get two out of that uh, Taker ends up winning With the tombstone for the W I thought this was pretty fun I thought these guys both worked really hard This was a good match for Flair He hadn't been in a whole lot of He had the the McMahon stuff at the Rumble right? But he hadn't been in a lot of big big matches For a while so this was on a big stage um, A little slow in the middle But when I, feel, when I look at this show And think about things that are Like Wrestlemania this actually sort of felt like a WrestleMania match to me and something that I will remember. Yeah, well, I mean, look, it's Taker and Flair, so it's, you know, it's you're mm-hmm. not gonna get two bigger names and you put them, you know, it's gonna it's gonna have it's gonna have WrestleMania feel and you know it's it, it is built the way that you would expect this match to be built. It's just a brawl with Flair taking obviously a great deal of punishment throughout the match. Um, you know, one thing that I kind of I, I, I looked at and I made a note of that kind of surprised me looking back because we're not at the point yet where where you know Taker is old and in the, and unable to do certain things. I thought he looked a little soft in this match, I, and I'm talking about it from a standpoint of his physique, um, like, kind of like a chubby-ish. Or, yeah, 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 I agree. I, I, thought, agree. I thought he was chubby in the middle, and I didn't remember that about him at this point in his career. In fact. I thought at this point in his career, in his career when he was this character, I thought it was he was like probably the most jacked that he had been. So I was kind of surprised to see that he looked a little soft in the middle for this match. Uh, it's just a note that I had. Um, another note is that Flair, for all the things that he does well, is still, without a doubt, the worst blader of all time. <laughs> right? of How can he not have learned through all it's the time just, he's done it? How I mean, the guy has cut himself open more times than I driven a car, and somehow he can't 
figure out a way to do it subtly. Not <laughs> one time. It's it's amazing to me. Like like he's getting beaten to hell, and you know Undertaker stops beating him, and he's just laying there outside, and you see him, and he's not cut. And then the camera goes away to Taker, and as it's going away, you see Flair reach in and do the rollover that he's known to do, you know, and then you come back and there's blood everywhere. I mean, it's like, come on, guy. Like, I I, I don't know. Like, Bret, you think about, like, Bret Hart at WrestleMania 8. You know, he actually sold it. It was such a good blade that he actually sold it to McMahon that Piper caught him stiff on that short punch. And, and 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 McMahon believed it because you couldn't see the blade, but Flair just—it's amazing how he can't do it. Um, yeah, I mean, look, it's probably you did you could probably cut you know three, four, five minutes out of this match and still get what you're looking for. It's a lot of deliberate brutality. It is a lot of a brawl. It's not exactly a major wrestling match as you would say, but it wasn't supposed to be given how the story went. Um. The last thing I'll leave you with, uh, and then I'll give it over to Andrew. For my money, Arn Anderson has the sweetest spine buster of all time. 100%. It's not close. It's not close. There is nobody anywhere that does that as perfect as he does. Yep. And uh, a couple of months ago, WWE's social media team actually put out a graphic of who had the best spine buster. It was an eight-person thing, and they all had videos. For obvious reasons, Arn Anderson was not on it. It's and like, it, why do the list? It Just blew do the up list. in the social media team's yeah. face. You know, and do look, a different graphic. That, you know, do a different list. Do a different move. Do a choke well, slam. Do something. Do, you do know. a spear. Everybody does a spear. Do right? a spear. <laughs> I mean, yeah. See, to me, what that screamed of is the boss called down and said, oh, spine buster. Who had the best spine buster of all time, damn it? Yeah. Um, sir, the logical answer to that question works for the other guys. I don't care! So that's my two cents as far as that goes. Now, this match is good. I'm not going to poo-poo the match. I will, however, question the storytelling that went into the feud. So Yes, this is two I, months. I agree there. I agree yeah. there. This is two months after Flair beats McMahon in the street fight. Flair is the part owner of WWF. Vince opts to inject a lethal dose of poison in the form of the NWO, yada, yada, yada. So Taker has a title match at No Way Out. Flair stops him from cheating. Taker loses. And we wind up with a situation where Taker tries to bait Flair into a match. In doing so, Taker beats up Arn Anderson, goes down to OVW, and beats (laughs) up David Flair in a great little bit of storytelling that's it's probably the best thing David Flair ever did as a yeah, professional that, wrestler. That spot with him with his arm around him in, in the bathroom was great. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It it's is. good stuff. Yeah. Here's the thing, though. Everything about the buildup, including a board meeting where Flair essentially gets ousted as you know one of the leaders of WWF, everything screams Flair goes over. No, you're right. They go out. Taker dominates in what's basically an extended squash. It's a no DQ match, and all Flair does the first 12 minutes is throw punches. If it's a no DQ match, I'm hiding a lead pipe in the rope and just wailing away at the guy. You know, it, it's not a bad match. This was a match that Flair credited with helping him get his mojo back after coming over yeah. from WCW. 
it's a decent match. It's the storytelling leaves a lot to be desired. And the other thing that I'll note about the announced team that I am stunned neither of you mentioned, Jerry Lawler asks a question that 20 years later, there is no good answer for. What the hell is a booger red? (laughs) Because JR was insistent on trying to get booger red over as a nickname for The Undertaker. And predictably, that did not go well. Shocking. Yeah. By the way, the other thing that drives me crazy about this match, the lead pipe. Look, I understand it's wrestling and it's sports yeah. entertainment. Nah, and like the sledgehammer, you know. Like I, if you hit somebody in the head with a lead pipe, you kill them. Yeah, you're dead. They die. Sledgehammer, <laughs> you're dead. <laughs> like, literally, they are dead. There's so, a reason it's a weapon and clue, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Undertaker in Toronto with the lead pipe. Dead. Murder. Yes. <laughs> that was well played. That was one of the lines. I'll, of the show I'll gladly take the assist on that. Yeah. Thank you. That was very, very well and, and you know what? I got, I got to say this, okay? We're coming up on one of my favorite parts of the show here. It's not the Flair Taker match. It's the Booker Michael Cole interview. Okay. And it's not because of Booker T. Yeah. It is because we once again get an appearance. From Michael Cole's Frosted Tips. You do. That's a great uh, that's a great segue for us to get right there. So we have Booker T backstage with Michael Cole and his Frosted Tips. And I guess, I don't know, just like Booker obviously has a lot of fun with this kind of stuff. He had fun with the King Booker. And I, I, I guarantee you he was into this, this gimmick because you could tell he was having fun with it. I guess it just rubs me a little the wrong way. Feeling like some of the ways that Booker may have gotten treated in WWE F as like sort of racism we think about. But again, this is a guy who still works for the company. And obviously he's never felt like really felt that way because he still is, you know, gainfully employed and he's on a lot. We see him. He, he shows up all the time for pre-shows and anytime they need sort of a fill-in guy, he's there. Um, I just I guess I don't love him talking like the whole Booker's stupid thing. I guess that that sort of rubs me a little the wrong way. Um, but but him going so over the top with it is why I, I wasn't like too offended because Booker's obviously like not to the point where he's talking about Einstein's theory of relatives. You know, <laughs> um, he talked about how he was number one in his class. He's highly intelligent. He has glasses. Um, the, the The thing I just that bothered me about this feud was oh, I know what it is. This is a feud over a Japanese, Japanese shampoo, shampoo commercial. commercial. <laughs> like, this is what this was over. Booker you know, was you just... know you're in trouble when JR's out there going, oh, to think this thing started over a shampoo commercial. Yeah, <laughs> like, like, he's shitting all over the story. It, it was like when, like, Jericho and Kane spilled coffee on each other or something. Like, that one of those. It's like, really? That was, you know, that was the uh, the impetus for, for this. But, um, but yeah. Uh, it was it was over a shampoo commercial, um, and uh, Jr. says uh, I thought it was it was pretty funny. He says the spinneroony isn't even a move. I did that <laughs> in my backyard last week. <laughs> That's when uh, King says I hope we've got footage on this. More, more uh, burying of the WCW guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, again, like I, I've said this three or four times. Uh, this match. It's fine. They're they're high on edge. He's not edge yet. Um, you know, you get 
you know, Booker missile dropkick um, Crowd's kind of cold uh, Alabama slam Edge it's a Hurricane Rana a little yeah, An ugly Hurricane Rana that... Yeah like kind of sloppy <laughs> Don't do um, that move again eh? No like <laughs> Booker goes for a roll up But uh, Or Edge hits the spinning heel Or spinning kick off the top for two Booker goes for a roll up um, Just for two Edge with the slingshot um, Then a side kick Spinner Rooney gets the big pop um, Edge takes down Booker with the hip toss And then he hits the spear for a two um, And then we get Edge with his own Spinner Rooney And then uh, Execution DDT 6.30 Like, fine I mean, we see a lot better from both of these guys through the years And this is just a, okay, Edge We're trying to build him as a single star now He wouldn't quite catch on for a while Think about how long it took really for Edge to become a main eventer Right here, they're just sort of Still trying to get him over as like a legitimate singles guy Um, And you you can see, like every time you know you see Edge You understand why they like him, he had a good look He could talk well Edge was like one of those guys who may may have not been a 10 at anything But he's like a solid seven and a half at just about Like, or eight at just about everything Um, and this was he's again. Got, he's got ten entrance music though. Yeah, no, you're right. And you're right. And that that opener that uh, you think you know me, you know. And then nowadays is his best, the best version of it. But yeah. normally you, you get an entrance music song or an entrance theme that's got like the, the one thing that you remember, kind of like the one catch. His has kind of got both the you think you know me, and then on this day, you know, like that's something that uh everyone loves to hum. DZ, we're just staying on Edge versus uh, Booker. Uh, pretty similar to a lot of the early matches. It's fine. It's not offensive. Um, you know, there are parts of it, like we talked about the Hurricane Rana, where uh, Booker doesn't kind of get over, you know, far enough and lands on Edge's back. I mean, it's not great, but, you know, there's there's a nice spinning heel kick. I thought the Alabama slam, you know, was a violent-looking move. I, I thought that was good. Um, you know, the finish is, is so it's fine. I mean, again, it's... It's it's just similar. There's just there's nothing overly fantastic about it, um, and there's nothing that's that's offensive about it, which is you know adds to Andrew's point that you know this show could have a lot of stuff that we could see on on a Monday Night Raw or a SmackDown. But it's yeah, you're right about Edge. He's not he's not there yet. Um, you know you could see you could see flashes of it. Uh, certainly the personality, certainly the look, you know certain moves, certain things that he could do. I thought the end sequence was good. You know, I, I thought the kind of, you know, missed kicks and stuff and kicking over the top and ducks into the execution DDT. I thought that was fine. The crowd reacted well to it. Um, you know, it was, you know, probably just, you know, kind of middle of the road, two and a half, two and three quarter star match, you know, for my money, for my money. Yeah, I'm not going to poo-poo this match either, but I don't have anything to add that you guys didn't already hit. It's six minutes. It's just sort of there. Yeah. Would have benefited from being a 10 minute match as opposed to a six minute match. And we've said a lot of that so far in this show, haven't we? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we have. And that's why it's like, you know, you're not going to put this show on like the all time worst WrestleManias. No. You know, it, you're just going to kind of put it like probably towards the, like the behind the middle, like middle to I- like, like, you know, for something to dethrone WrestleMania nine, I, somebody would literally have to actually murder somebody in the middle of the ring. Yeah, and, and even like the <laughs> yeah, even even like eleven and twelve aren't sexy. You know, like no, you, know, no, you look no, back no. at a couple of yeah. those that aren't aren't great. Like this yeah. is definitely better than that. Um, it's just 
I guess it's got a lot, of, it's got a lot of in-ring talent. It just I think that's part of the problem is that you look you at expect, the card and you expect a lot yes. more out of it. Yeah. Yep. If you go into this don't not expecting it to be as good of a mania as it looks on paper, then you then you're you're probably fine. And again, I, I didn't. It wasn't like we've had many worst shows that I felt like, oh, that was a hard one to get through. This wasn't like hard to get through or anything. Just a lot of like, oh, okay, another solid kind of average to above average ho hum match, and uh, and we move along. I did enjoy this backstage segment with the hurricane. This <laughs> one was good. When he yeah. gets stopped by Coach, so Coach asked him what happens with the God with the Godfather girls in the back. And <laughs> Coach, this was a good one from Coach. He asks if that behavior is fitting of a superhero. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hurricane says he is not a hurra perv, but he actually says uh, he actually mentions that he's the twenty four seven champ, which is kind of cool. Shout out there. Uh, but as he is distracted. Mighty Molly nails him over the head and pins him to win the hardcore title and run off. Is there nails a, him with a frying pan. With a frying pan. Um, and as far as like wrestling comedy is concerned, I thought through the years, you know, there are a lot, there are some some people who can do it pretty well. Uh, and the Hurricane, I thought, was always one of them. You know, we see our truth. He does the wrestling comedy probably about as well as you could. Santino did a pretty good job. He had some hit and miss segments, but um, I, I always. I really never had a problem with the hurricane. They never tried to force him down our throats or anything. He would get these fun segments. His little interaction with the rock, I thought was great. He would have some cool, cool moments in the rumble. Um, yeah, he was a pretty entertaining, uh, character and, and had some moments. Definitely did. Definitely did. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, again, it, that, that's a fun backstage spot and you know, <laughs> There's going to be a bump coming up later on backstage that I'm sure we'll talk about with with involved with. Oh yeah, <laughs> um, that kind of goes along with the storyline as well. Yeah, I'm, but again, you know, to to have to have like four of these spots backstage at a WrestleMania, it does it, it does feel like overkill. Although I will say that this part of it was pretty funny. Yeah, um, the Hurricane had a number of these, and there are certain things that he did that were sort of seen as meh at the time but have aged really well. Go back and watch that couple weeks story arc where Rock out of nowhere decides, you know what? I'm going to treat the Hurricane as my equal for a couple yeah. of weeks. Yeah. And Hurricane holds his own on the microphone with the Rock, which is not an easy thing to do, but he does it. And then they do this match where Hurricane actually gets a pin mm-hmm. over the Rock. The Austin that distracts him? Yes, it's yeah. a dirty pin by the standards of that era. You do that match this week, Hurricane's a star because every you know finish <laughs> yeah. on TV is a distraction roll-up now, right? So it's a case where his work has certainly aged well. He's done a lot of good work outside the ring as well, doing a lot of agenting stuff. It's always good to see him show up because this was a guy who probably came along before the full scope of his talent could really be used because he was a smaller guy. And there's a reason when he comes back as a legend, everybody still pops. We then get the buildup uh, in the video package for the NWO Scott Hall versus Stone Cold. And I mean, on paper, you're going right. NWO comes in. Scott Hall, really good worker in his time. Stone Cold. Uh, both of these guys are just, they're past their prime here. Um, you know what? This match gets talked about like it's an all-time bad match. I mean, I think we say it just like we were saying about a lot of these other matches. I'm looking at this going, oh, Austin, Stone Cold. We're used to Austin main eventing 
these mania and having these sort of epic matches at the time with the likes of Undertaker, Kane, Mick Foley, Rock. He has these huge Triple H main events. This just wasn't that. This was just a match that was a little more about the story. I don't know how much Austin was into it. Um, you know, Austin goes right after him. Then Hall has control for a lot of the match. Uh, Nash gets involved and in, distracts the referee and you know steals some attention from Austin. Um, we also get uh, you know two on one for maybe the last like three or four minutes of this match. It's a lot of like almost a handicap match. Um, referees are just knocked out. Um, and then and, and the next ref comes down. Um, I, I just thought it was sort of slow. Nothing special. Nothing memorable for these kind of guys. Austin keeps fighting them both off. Hall stuns Austin for a two count, and then uh, Aust. I did. I did like the finish, though. I will say this. I thought the the stunner, and then he stuns him again. And I thought that Scott Hall sold the stunner pretty well. It was almost like a rock selling of the stunner. Match was average at best. I did like the finish. I just. Kept writing, these guys can do so much better um, Austin celebrates with some Steve Weisers afterwards What'd you think, DZ? Yeah, I, I don't, I never had the opinion That this match was like All time bad No, me neither but Yeah, I, 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 I think I think it gets Killed a little bit too much um, Is it is it great? No, by no stretch of the imagination Is it great um, But it's it's not all time bad. The problem with this match is, you know, look, they're both they're both past their prime for sure. Uh, but you know, you forget when you you know, unless you watch, you know, Scott Hall as Razor in, you know, 94, 95. If you compare that version of him to this version, it, it's kind of tough to watch. Um, because he he was able to do a lot of stuff at, you know, in the early to mid nineties. You know, he's not in the same shape anymore. I mean, he he had some really really nice moves during that run as as Razor Ramon, that you know he just wasn't able to do anymore, unfortunately. Um, and and basically what you get is you know you get a you get a brawl, you know you get you get a brawl with a couple of decent spots. Um, you know you even get a stunner from Scott Hall on Razor. You get a lot of stunners. Uh, as far as the finish, I thought I thought the I thought the two stunners was cool. I did think the sell on the second one was a little much. It was uh, it, rock-like. It was. Yeah. It, like it yeah. was just a little I mean, embellished. Yeah. The, you know, like the rock ones even, like, you know, normally, like, he'll, like, do some kind of, like, a crazy, like, his body will flip over on the mat or whatever. Like, this one, like, like the, I, I like the first one where he just kind of, like, is literally stunned, you know, it's kind of funny. And then he hits him again. And he's just, he literally just propels himself like 10 feet backward, you know, <laughs> it's so crazy. Um, no, is, listen, is it all time bad? No, I, I think, I think this match gets a bad rap, but again, it's taking two mega stars, uh, one, obviously a colossal superstar and the other who at his best was a star, uh, and just not getting them when you would want to have gotten them. And, it probably leaves a bad taste in people's mouths. So I don't have anything to really add to this. And this is really strange because usually we're offering radically different views on stuff. But on this show, we're largely simpatico, except mm -hmm. for one thing. There was a rumor going into WrestleMania that it was supposed to be Nash losing this match. Okay. Yeah. I now, Nash claimed he was hurt. Except there's a problem. 
with that theory. Nash worked a couple days before. <laughs> he worked a couple days after. And I don't know about this, but if you look at this match, he's moving around just fine. He is, yeah. So the more jaded observers among us may well say, oh, Nash just didn't want to sell for the stunner. Okay, well, regardless, think about how much better this match would have been if it would have been Austin and some mystery partner going against Hall and Nash. Here's a thought for you. Who came back later this year? Where, where are we? O two. Yeah. Oh, Shawn Michaels. Austin and HBK against the Outsiders. Yeah. Tell me that doesn't at least move the needle. And oh, tell yeah. me, yeah. tell me, Hall and Nash aren't lining up to sell for their buddy. Yes, they would be. Yeah. yeah, that absolutely would have worked. It would have been so much better than what we got. Plus, Sean would have been able to do a lot of it. He was still able to, even though he was coming off of the injury, he was still able to work enough that it would have been more than what we got here. Indeed, yes, for sure. So the other rumor going in was that Hall was drunk and he was in no condition to perform, yada, yada, yada. According to Scott Hall, who I trust on this part of things because he has a razor-sharp memory, pun intended, (laughs) as... uh, as far as his in-ring stuff goes and what he was able to, to glean from the business, apparently he was on some sort of medication that if you drink while you're on it, you violently throw up. It was basically him trying to stay on the wagon, but one of the side effects is he was a little out of sorts, so it sort of looked like he'd been drinking when, in fact, he was actively trying not to and was actively trying to beat his demons. Unfortunately, that run would not end well. Um, He would fall off the wagon in a pretty big way. Google the plane ride from hell if you're curious. And I am very happy that Scott Hall is still with us. I don't know if I would have taken that bet 20 years ago. Yeah. The thing with him throughout his career, because of like his mannerisms and some of the things that he does, sometimes it's hard to tell when he is all there and when he's not. Um, and maybe he's able to hide it well. Now, there have been times where he's not been able to hide it, of course, uh, where it's been glaringly obvious. But I'm sure there were times where he was under the influence of something during a match where we probably didn't pick up on it because sometimes it just kind of looks like, you know, the kind of mannerisms that Scott Hall had, you know, it kind of looked like a guy who was just not always there. Yeah, that's entirely possible, too. But I didn't think this match was all-time bad. Yeah. It's bad. Is it all-time bad? Probably not. But, yeah, I don't even know if bad, like, if you just showed this match to somebody who didn't know who Stone Cold and didn't know who Scott Hall were, they wouldn't, like, think, oh, that was the worst wrestling match I saw. It's just, you just, you're you're, you're wanting so much more from these two guys, and you're hoping yep. from, from so much more. From these two guys um, And then we get a look at Mania Access I'm kind of curious DZ because I've never been To a Wrestlemania I know you've mm-hmm. been to some of these Like this sort of felt like the very beginning Of, of when they were making it A big deal kind of week long events And um, yeah, this, yeah. this does look really Really cool tell us a little bit about how How the setup is for someone who's been down there Before and kind of been through some of this Yeah the, I mean look if, if you ever have An opportunity to, to go Um uh, the, the the WrestleMania access, assuming of course you know we get back to that, hopefully next year. 
Uh, if you are a, a big wrestling fan, it, it is something you, you need to do. Um, they have so many different things that you can take part in, you know, from, from seeing the, uh, the, the nostalgic things like the old title belts. They actually have the, the ring from WrestleMania, one that you can go in and, and take a picture and stuff. Um, they do like the entrance thing where you can pick out a wrestler's entrance music and they video it and you come out and you walk out to the music and you could do, you know, whatever you want to do. They have a ring set up and they, they tend to have matches from like some of the lower end guys or NXT guys. In fact, when I was at the Access a couple of years ago uh, in Brooklyn, uh, when it was at uh, the WrestleMania was at MetLife, they did the Access over in Brooklyn. I think it was in like the Red Hook area. Um, they actually had Ricochet in just this match. In, they had like a ring surrounded by like, you know, 100 people on, on stands. Um, and, and it was really cool to see Ricochet, you know, that close because he's literally, it's like having a ringside seat. Um, you could do the, the announcing thing. You could do the, you know, the play-by-play -play thing. Um, you know, you, then, then of, of course, the VIP meet and greets. You know, we got to meet Braun Strowman, which was a really cool experience. Um, you know, that, that stuff, it's expensive, you know, to do that. But if, you know, if it's something that's on your bucket list, um, yeah, I mean, there's just so many, there's literally going to be something for everything that you, that you like. And it, you could, it's like going through a, a time warp of WrestleMania and seeing all the stuff. Just imagine like going back in time and just seeing all of like these important things from the previous WrestleManias where like they're right there in front of your face and you get to take pictures with it and touch it and be a part of it. It's, it's really cool. And, um, they do a great job with it. They really do. Like I said, look, it's not cheap, but you know, nothing with WWE is cheap. So that's, yeah. that's par for the course, but it's, it is must, must do if you have an opportunity to. Gino, I'm just throwing this out there. WrestleMania is supposed to tentatively supposed to return to Los Angeles in 2023. Uh -huh. Just uh -huh. saying, put that on your calendar find you know some time for milo to go over to the grandparents house we'll get a group of us together darren if you can you know get away and fly three thousand miles i suppose you're more oh, than welcome i'm, I'm, I'm actually in. planning i'm actually planning to go to that one i want to see i want to i want to see sofi stadium hell yeah, uh, yeah. Let's, we'll now do I'm something throwing, i'm not sofi what is that what it is sofi yeah yeah yeah, so yeah, yeah 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 so uh well, no i'm just throwing it out there i mean forget wwe access we ought to do a meet and greet of our own we It'll should probably turn out like the photo of virgil in you know the convention alone <laughs> waiting to sign autographs but we should do it just for kicks exactly we'd have some fun <laughs> uh that would be a blast and uh i think with you know, the the show that they've got right now on Annie, the WWE Most Wanted Treasures, you know, they've been talking about it for so long. It's It feels inevitable that someday they are going to have that Hall of Fame where they can have a lot of the things Darren talked about and a lot of things they're they're going through on that show that's kind of like American Pickers. Um, it's so, so bizarre that there isn't, like, a Hall of Fame that you can go to. Right? Just a place it's down there. so weird. It, like, I mean, for, for as much things that they do, They've got everything, every, I mean, like they think of everything. Yeah. Everything for how they promote themselves and, and all the products and all of everything. Like I, how, how many people do you think would make it part of a, a vacation to go down to Florida if this was by full sale? Oh yeah. Oh uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, a hundred percent. If I, I mean, I, I would make it a part of like a, maybe a Disney trip, you know, when sure. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm down there 17 times a year. Yeah, I think. Exactly. So, you know, I could, I could get it, you know, four hours out of my day to go, go down there. It's not like my kids wouldn't enjoy it. Yeah. So 
um, we get another live performance here. Oh, I don't mind this live performance. Yeah, not one bit. The Dudley's <laughs> in the ring. Uh, way too much live music, but we do get some Stacy Keebler here. I thought it was funny when they were uh, going through some of the access stuff. They were talking to different wrestlers, RVD, Edge, and then Stacy Keebler shows up, and there is like a full-on brass sculpture of her legs and her butt. Yeah, I haven't seen that at WrestleMania Access. I can tell you that. <laughs> go up and take pictures next to it and like touch it. And she seemed to get a real kick out of it. Like, I love watching everybody touching my butt and you, you know it's funny. I was, so I always watch these shows back with Amanda and she's so she's watching this. She looks at me and she goes, How do you think she feels like looking back at this? Now, right? Now. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like, um, may, I may, may I answer that? Sure. I don't think she has to look at it at all because she's way too busy counting her money. I have to say, right? <laughs> she feels rich, <laughs> pretty rich. Um, so we get the four corners tag team elimination match. Now, now look at these teams, right? We're talking the Hardys and the Dudleys, two of the top ten tag teams that you'll mention in WWE history. Well, yep. no doubt about it. What those two guys, what those two teams, and Edge and Christian did for a period of time, sort of. Getting people interested in actual tag team wrestling again Instead of just kind of putting two singles guys together It, it was great But so you, you're figuring You know you got those two guys Those two teams Then you got the APA Who are a pretty like legitimate and, and a solid tag team through the Attitude Era Like they had they had some credibility to them A couple of badass guys They, they you know they could win any match But they, they generally didn't have long runs with the titles or anything But they were legit and then you got Billy and Chuck. Yeah. Who, like you're trying to make a new thing. Like another incarnation here of of trying to give Billy Gunn a big push where you know it's fine. He I think this is his best like role as a as a solid tag team guy. But I I mean, this match first off ends up going like almost 14 minutes, pretty long. It's a four corners tag elimination match. I thought the pacing of the match was a little bit bizarre too. And you know, so Dudley's, APA, Hardy's, Billy, and Chuck I watch a lot of Sesame Street nowadays One of these things is not like the other <laughs> These things just doesn't belong Can you tell which thing is not like the other By the time I finish my song Boom, boom, Billy and Chuck There we go So first the Dudley's enter, then APA, then the Hardy's, then Billy and Chuck With their boy band intro I did think this was kind of funny King says he used to be in a boy band called the Backseat Boys. <laughs> JR asks if it was in the 50s. And King says, I wasn't even born until 1975, which, which made me laugh uh, there yeah. too. So um, chaos to start. Everybody's in the ring. And then we get APA uh, Bradshaw versus uh, Chuck to really start. It's just way too much going on. Kind of chaos. Dudley's hit their finisher on Bradshaw and eliminate the APA like two minutes in real quickly. And then there goes about six or seven minutes where we don't get in another elimination. JR has no clue who's legal in the ring. He keeps saying no. it over and over. Um, but I, I wrote three or four times. Stacey Keebler just looks incredible. Um, That's spot- I mean, when she came out and danced on the stage, I was I remember I, I vividly remember watching this with my two friends in my basement at my house, and we were just sitting there going, "Oh my god!" Like you. You cannot look more gorgeous than Stacy Keebler looks at this point of her career. I'm no, sorry. incredible! Like, let great, like, just in great shape. 
tan. Oh, it's unbelievable. Great unbelievable. legs. Great body. Uh, uh, just looks incredible. So she gets up on she gets up on the uh, on the apron, and she's shaking it, doing her Miss Elizabeth. You know, trying to distract Jeff Hardy. No, Miss Elizabeth never did this. No. I know quite. she took the skirt off, but she never did she this. She pulls her shorts <laughs> up into a thong, so her butt cheeks are just, like, hanging right out. And Jeff Hardy, you know, walks right over, smacks her on the butt, then he kisses her, and then he pushes her off the apron. And that's a good guy. You that know, but this be was the best moment of Jeff Hardy's life, right? And, but this was <laughs> oh like, God, we're horrible people. W- we are all horrible people. <laughs> this was something like Hogan or Jarek, you know, like the the good guys would do. It used to be like, oh yeah, I'm just gonna go force myself upon this girl and kiss her, and she's as she like squeals and does not want me to, you know. Just it's so funny to see some of these things, and it's like, oh yeah, that was a good guy, but uh, I, I was I I'm serious. Now this tells you all you need to know about this match. At the end of this match, I was there. There were two female moments at WrestleManias that are at the top for me, and one of them is is the this Stacy Keebler, and the other one is when Sonny returns with the Legion of Doom. Yeah, and I was at the end of this match. I was literally not thinking about the match. I was trying to figure out which of those two moments was more impressive for me. Did you come up with one? No. no. They're they're pretty iconic. I decided I decided not to be prejudiced either. Yeah. You let them <laughs> both have their due, have their fair due. Yeah. <laughs> but that but but the point of that is in terms of like how kind of randomly weird the result in this match and kind of what how this mania show like that's that was that is literally what was on my mind. Was I going with Sonny and LOD two thousand or was I going with Stacey Keebler <laughs> here? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. You can make arguments both ways. It's just, yeah, like J, like I said, JR has no clue who's legal. Uh, Devon goes to the top rope. He gets ready for the the WhatsApp, but uh, Billy pushes Devon, who ends up falling through a table. So the Hardys capitalize with the Santon bomb to eliminate the Dudleys. Uh, we're down to two. Uh, Jeff hits the Santon, and he's uh, he's got Chuck beat, but the ref is distracted. So Billy hits the Famouser on Jeff for two. I don't know if they messed that spot up or not. Um, Jeff uh, kicks out then because Billy comes back again when the ref is looking. It's like they almost do the same spot twice, but he hits him with the tag belt the second time. Billy and Chuck get the win. I mean, you know, this is another one. Maven, and we're going to see with Jazz in a few. There's a couple people that they're, you know, they're really trying to push. I just... You, you look back and you go, really? Billy and Chuck beat the Hardys, the Dudleys, and the APA at Mania? Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a weird, I don't know, like the whole the whole match is strange. You know, and to be honest with you, like watching this back, I don't really remember what the story was at the time. I don't remember, you know, where they were going. It, but it is difficult to, like, understand what could have been going on, you know, mentally to say, okay, well, we got – we got the Hardys, we got the Dudleys, and even the APA, but not, you know, we're going to push the Billy and Chuck and have them go over all of them here. It's just, it's just kind of a weird thing. And I don't, I don't, maybe Andrew remembers a little bit more where they were going with this, but it, the whole, the whole match, and these, these like, you know, four corner matches, they're, they're tough. You know, the, it's hard to keep track of everything, it's hard to even understand. Who's legal? Who's doing what? What's going on? They can get real messy and real sloppy really easily. So, for me, you know, even though you had some, you know, tag teams in here that have done 
some of the greatest things that we've seen in, in a wrestling ring. It, it This was obviously not the best thing that we've ever seen from guys like the Hardys and, and, and the Dudleys, and probably through no fault of their own. Not a lot happens here. Uh, that's my main note on the match. Not a lot happens. It's not terrible, but it's really slow, and the crowd is just not into it because they know there are only a couple of matches left, including the one they paid all their money to see, and it's not this one. So you get a couple of tag teams that have had their days in the sun that are sort of winding down their big runs. You get the Hardys in one of their last matches as a true tag team before they try to push Jeff as a singles guy, before we get Matt Hardy version one. You get the APA a couple of years before Ron Simmons calls it a career and we get JBL. The Dudleys are still around for a couple of years, but not overly long. So it just, it seems like a case where we've seen this movie before with a couple of these teams and it was better the first couple of times we saw it. That certainly didn't help. And then you get Billy and Chuck and we knew where this was going right away. WWF was not trying to be subtle with what they were trying to do here. Um, Nobody wanted it to go the direction that it did. It seemed like this was only a Vince thing. And the only memorable things we got from the entire Billy and Chuck run were the wedding where Eric Bischoff was the disguised preacher and a really good tag match where they dropped the belts to Edge and Hulk Hogan that if you haven't seen, you need to track down immediately because it is so much fun. But as far as this match goes, I, you know, other than Stacy Keebler, there's nothing memorable about it at all. Which is probably why I was weighing Stacy versus Sonny at the end of the match. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes that, it all comes back to that. Yes, that's no. true. So we go backstage uh, Hall and Nash are complaining about uh, What happened with Austin earlier They said they're better than him Now they want to take their anger out on The Rock But Hulk Hogan asks them to stay back Let him go out there on his own He wants to prove that he is the man Now this is dumb To me this is stupid This guy in this NWO character Never cared about proving himself As the man that I can do it It was all about backdoor tactics and being as slimy and sleazy and winning, you know, win if you can, lose if you must, but always cheat. Now, all of a sudden, I've got to find out, brother, if I could still do this. I mean, I would, it's like... I would have liked to see it be told a little leading up to this, right? Like, exactly. give me give me some, some glimpses of Hogan kind of wanting to do the good thing, you know? Or like, you know, thinking like, you know, twice before he did something, you know, a little... It kind of felt abrupt here... To turn face Obviously it was planned because of this But so much so that people even thought When they saw the match that like wow did these guys Just kind of call it their own way out there And decide to turn things But um, I just would have liked to see them Set the table a little more for a few weeks Leading up to this that we might see A Hulk Hogan face turn Yeah and, and on top of that Like alright well Even if like Hogan said that Like that Really like these guys aren't going to come out and and try to help him. Like, you know, it's just, you know, it's, it's just not believable. You know, it's, it's just, it, it, the whole story, like it kind of feels rushed. It kind of feels like, all right, well, we're going to turn him face and we're going to do this stuff. So, you know, we have to, uh, you know, we have to kind of take this approach, but 
Like what? A hole in that? just going to go, okay, Mr. Hogan, you know, if you say so, we won't come down and interfere. Like, it's just dumb. Leave it to Darren Zocali to trash Hulk Hogan the night of his jubilee. <laughs> I mean, my goodness, the guy puts over the rock clean as a sheet. What the heck more do you oh, want from look, this if guy? You can't, if you can't put over the rock, you can't put over anybody. I mean, come uh, on. Um, well, I'm just, just saying, uh, there's a reason that doesn't work for me, brother, is in our lexicon. Just throwing <laughs> that out there. <laughs> so, um, um, yeah, Nash and Hall agree, but as Hogan walks off, they, you know, they're, oh, we're going to be out there for sure. Um, so Molly Holly's running around backstage. She, she kind of runs right into a door. It was Christian who actually opened the door yeah, and pins her. Too. She went down quick. Hard. <laughs> she yeah. got hard. Compared to uh, even Marie falling off of a ring. Yeah. And Christian, <laughs> like, real snake, like, like. Oh, yeah, that was a good good one. I'm gonna put put, I'm gonna hit the pause button here. Can we just discuss for just a moment the sheer lunacy of WWE deciding we can't afford Mickey James, we can't afford the iconics? Oh, look, Eva Marie, sign her up. Um, What the hell? I mean, I have thoughts as to why. I uh, guess so do I. I I'm I not. I'm not well. gonna. I'm not going to go any further. <laughs> I'm not blind. I, I I get that Eva Marie has a certain appeal. Yes. And then the bell rings. She has. She doesn't have a certain appeal. She has certain appeal. <laughs> <laughs> she, um, you know, I think she could be used as like a good. Sort of Zelina Vega kind of like heat magnet type. Um, if only they had like a Zelina Vega type that no. they could go back and use. Oh wait, they did. Yeah, yeah, but but again, like there's no reason that you can't have multiple people like that on the show, right? We used to have a lot of managers and, and valets. I just don't. I think she could be used fine to take some of that to get heat for people. Yeah. Um, and we'll see. Uh, if, she's gonna, I, if she's gonna be an actual worker and stuff, it's gonna be. I mean, and like you know, she's been in wrestling school for the last three years. Like I, I, I I'm know. picturing her against Charlotte right now. Yeah, okay. or like Sasha. Good, you know, Bianca. You know, it's like Oscar. Um, can, can you imagine what happens if they decide to put her against Nia Jax? <laughs> oh, she's gonna get killed. <laughs> Nia's gonna kill, kill you. you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Literally, so, uh, not not part of a story either. Literally, it, w- it would be two of the most unsafe workers of all time in the ring, and based on a lot, that's not going to end well for Eva Marie. There's a gif from the league of uh, Rafi, the demented character. Going, uh-huh. I'm gonna I'm gonna stab you offline for real. That's <laughs> pretty much what that match would be. Yeah. In a lot of different ways. Now, back to our regular... By the way, we went from talking program. about Rock and Hogan to Nia Jax versus Eva, Eva Marie. <laughs> that's the that's what you get here. Show, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, that's what if you said. If you stuck with this show through that tangent to this point, you're listening to the correct program. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we, uh, we get the build-up for Rock Hogan now. Uh, video... Yeah, I, I mean, everything about this feels main event. The video package goes like four minutes. We get the NWO music at WrestleMania. The big slow walk for Hulk Hogan as he kind of takes it all in. And then The Rock walking with his purpose, you know. Um, And 
we get the tie up or first off uh we get the huge cheers as as they stare each other down they look around and the bell rings and then 90 seconds later they finally lock up which was hey, great hey, bro, like, brother did you ever see my match at wrestlemania 6 brother we're, we're going to start it off. It. We're going to start it off just like that, brother. And I'm telling you, we're going to blow the roof off the sky dome one more time, brother. <laughs> um, you laugh, I, but he was right. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it, it worked. It worked. Um, we get the tie up, and Hogan throws Rock down using his power. He's flexing. And Where have I seen that before? Right, and, and immediately the crowd is nuts uh, for Hogan. Hogan motions to The Rock to just bring it. Hogan chants early uh, from the crowd. He's got The Rock in a headlock. We get another standoff where the crowd chants for Hogan, and it's all Hulk early using his power, big rights. I mean, thank you to spec. Hogan's not going to do a whole ton in here. You're going to get rights and lefts from him. Uh, Rock is just selling like crazy as the crowd pops for every big Hogan move. And then as Rock starts to take control, the crowd starts to boo. So Rock's going with his big punches. Uh, Hogan... Couldn't there was a spot that maybe looked like Hogan was supposed to go up and over the top rope, and he could he couldn't quite do that. So <laughs> sort of a little awkward looking as he rolls to the bottom. Um, Hogan uh, with an elbow. Um, he battle. Uh, let's see. Over back in the ring, clothesline from the Rock uh, goes for Rock bottom. Hogan with an elbow, but he battles out. Uh, Hogan with some elbow drops, and then he steps on the Rock. Uh, rock with a takedown and some rights and lefts. Hogan hits a suplex on the Rock. JR says there's a nostalgic feel here for Hogan. And we get the abdominal stretch that Hulk Hogan's done so many times. Uh, I mean, Rock is just selling so great with the facials all over. Uh, Hogan roll up for two. And Hogan rakes the back of the Rock. And the people love it. He gets up on the second rope and he's doing the punches as the crowd starts to count him off. Then he bites the Rock on the face. Um, uh, Rock is able to, to turn it around. Uh, to immediate booze And The Rock mocks Hulk Hogan with his call to the crowd Hogan hits sort of a choke slam Kind of a thing <laughs> um, <laughs> um, And then he, he's uh, choking Rock on the floor He's using his tape to choke The Rock Huge Hulk Hogan chance. They go outside the ring They battle around the nouns table Rock gets a chair But the ref grabs it from him And Hogan clotheslines The Rock outside the ring uh, Back inside the ring The Rock goes flying headfirst into the ref And so the ref is out um, Hogan with some big punches, a spine buster, and Hogan gets to his feet first. Uh, Rock trips him up and locks in the ugly sharpshooter, the Rock sharpshooter. Uh, the ref is still out. Hogan tries to power out. He gets to the ropes, but there's no ref to stop the the hold. So Rock drags him back to the middle. Hogan taps out, but there's no ref to see it. And uh, Hogan, at this point, Rock lets go. He tries to wake the ref up by kicking him. He just goes over and starts kicking him, like very much like a heel here. Um, Rock is really loving this heel stuff. And right after he kicks the ref, we get the Rocky sucks chance. How long has it been since we had one of those, right? A couple years. Um, and Hogan with a low blow and then a rock bottom. The ref comes to and it's just a two count. I mean, a lot of people thought that was it right there. Hogan takes off his belt. He starts whipping the rock like a government mule. And the rock turns it around. He gets a DDT. Every move from the rock gets huge boos. And the rock grabs the leather belt. He starts whipping Hogan. He hits a rock bottom. But just for two, Hulk Hogan kicks out and he hulks up, which was such a great moment. Uh, he kicks out and the crowd is going ballistic. He points at the rock who 
kind of shaking his head But Hogan with the three punches The big boot and the leg drop Crowd is so loud uh, uh, JR is screaming He beat Andre the Giant with this move A two count And The Rock kicks out Great, great moment here uh, Hogan can't believe it uh, I just wrote a couple times This is so fun uh, Big rights from Hogan Another big boot But he misses the leg drop Rock with the rock bottom And then a second one And then a kip up And the people's elbow To finish it off Great stuff Hogan does the job As he should here But he gets all the recognition afterwards The crowd uh, loves him And I will say like As soon as the match was over The crowd popped for the rock right away too It was like they just wanted to hate on him in this match But they were happy that it was a good match to to end things So DZ Very curious to hear some of your thoughts on this Hulk Hogan match That a lot of people probably think is one of his best It is It is I don't I, I listen uh, Look I There are a lot of things that I get on Hogan for And I think justifiably so um, This this match checks all the boxes that it had, it had to check um, I, I, I really don't think anything was done here That, that bothered me uh, into, except for the stuff, you know, backstage, you know, before that we talked about. Um, I will say that to say that The Rock sold his ass off throughout this match would be the understatement of the century. Um, he made Hogan look like a Greek god at times in this match. Uh, the Rock bottom that he took from Hogan, if you look at the elevation that The Rock got off that, which is not Hogan doing that, that's him. Um and, and, you know, the, just the reactions, even on the leg drop that he kicks out. When Hogan hits that leg drop, the Rock's body propels upward with, like, his feet almost come up to, like, a 90-degree angle above his head. Like, like, the, like, the force of Hogan's leg drop just sent, like, a shockwave through the Rock's body that just elevated it up in the air and then come crashing back down. Um, you know, he, he knew that the spotlight was on and he delivered a I'm in there with a legend and I'm going to make this guy look as good as I possibly can for as long as I possibly can, even though I'm going over at the end. And, uh, you know, I thought Hogan played the part very well. I thought his in-ring work, given, you know, the, the level of his career and having to go, you know, toe to toe, with a guy that at this point is probably, you know, 25 years, 30, almost 30 years, you know, uh, younger than he is in peak physical condition. Uh, I thought Hogan did as good a job as he possibly could here. I, I thought uh, everything about this match was what it should have been, with the exception of it wasn't the main event. But that, of course, is for no fault of, of Hogan or The Rock. Those of you that have just heard that take your jaws up off the floor darren zocali said several nice things about hulk hogan well, I, listen, I have to it's a good match you know um, i i can be impartial i could talk about all of the things that hogan has done wrong politically and how he has screwed people over and he's been not willing to put people over in certain spots and that's all true but on this night he came to play he delivered he gave the fans what they wanted, and I thought he did a very good job. So this match is not a technical classic. There are botches. There are some timing missteps. Guys, do you know how much those matter? None. None at all whatsoever. If there was a negative value we could assign to that, let's do that. This does not matter because these two guys did an awesome 
awesome job of just riding the emotions of the crowd for the entire match. They didn't have to do anything overly complicated. They didn't have to put forth this six-and-a-half-star classic because they knew they had the crowd in the palms of their hands and could do whatever they wanted, and that's exactly what they did. This is freaking awesome. It never gets old. I'd argue this is probably, from the standpoint of entertainment value, the best match of Hulk Hogan's career, and that's not a small statement. So Hogan gets the rock bottom for two. The crowd is convinced that's the finish. And when Rock kicks out, the crowd is completely deflated. Rock gets the weightlifting belt, and he spits on the belt. So good. Just so good. Those little touches that he did. Hogan kicks out of the Rock bottom. He gets to his knees and starts shaking the fists. And oh my goodness, the crowd blows the roof off the place. Didn't matter who won after that. The crowd got what they wanted. And they didn't want Hogan as the chicken shit heel. They wanted the Hulk Hogan they all remembered as kids coming in at WrestleMania 6 to face the Ultimate Warrior. They wanted that nostalgic feel. That's precisely what they gave. And that is why Hulk Hogan matters to this very day. Because he can hit those notes with people. Regardless of anything else regardless of stuff he does outside the wrestling business, regardless of things he says, regardless of things he does slash has done. That's why Hulk Hogan is still relevant. And when Hulk hits the leg drop, and I'm glad Gino mentioned this, talking about Jim Ross saying, he beat Andre the Giant with that move. And Rock kicks out. Not like Rock needed making. Rock kicks out, rallies, Two rock bottoms, people's elbow. Rock could do anything you wanted after that. Every single part of this worked, including the post-match stuff. The outsiders come out going, what's going on? Why are you shaking this guy's hand? Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. NWO breaks up. Hogan tries to go to the back. Rock stops him. And you get the posing. This show should have ended right there. The only yep. the only thing a problem I have is they should have flipped Hogan's music on then. Indeed. Absolutely. That's my yeah. only concern. The I, I thought stuff. they were because they turn he they turn Rock's music off for a second. Rock's music starts to play after they send the NWO packing, uh, Nash and Hall. They team up together, send the guys, throw them over the top rope and send them back. And and then as Hogan's about to leave, just like Andrew said, uh, Rock stops him and says, no, you come in here and you pose. And then they turn Rock's music off and Hogan just poses to kind of nothing. But the crowd cheers. It would have been perfect if they flipped on, you know, Real American right there. I would have, I would have yeah, even yeah. done it. I would have even done it with the, the elongated with the intro where it starts off with like the soft. I am a we like to kind of right? like yeah. entice them back in. Old one. Know? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I would have. I would have been. That would have been a really. That would have been a really cool. Only moment. gripe. Yeah. Only gripe. Because yeah. what, this... what's funny? What's funny is that you you mentioning the leg drop and and he beat Andre with that move. I don't know why, but for some reason in my head was I'm thinking in ten years earlier, Sid Justice had a kick out of that leg drop because Papa Shango missed a cue and nobody even like mentioned the fact. 
that Sid kick that little like drop. Like yeah, it happened. I, I know, right? And like it's like it's like it's like they ignored that it actually Yeah. Happened. You're right. Yeah. The move that Andre that beat Andre the Giant but did not beat <laughs> Sid. Sid no. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. That is funny to think. But um yeah, g- good stuff. Uh um Hogan must pose and and this time Hogan deserved to pose. This was this was really good. And it and just the show should have ended right, right there. there, man. How does anything go on after that? Um and it's just a bummer. We uh we head over to WWF New York. We see the big show there. Um he's not on the show, uh just promoting the the restaurant. And uh, Andre, Andre the Giant's son wasn't son, there for his son. He's right after him. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Uh, new Sky Dome attendance record, sixty-eight thousand two hundred, and and then we get right into the women's match. And I think at this point they were like a little pressed for time because the like this women's match got very little around it. Um, and and it was I mean it was sort of strange. It's Jazz versus Lita versus Trish. The bell rings before Trish is even in the ring. It's a triple threat. Trish is not in the ring. What happens if Lita pins Jazz before Trish gets in there? She didn't even get a shot. You know, like, you know, obviously that wasn't going to happen, but um, Jazz locks in the single leg crab. Uh, King gets really gross talking about the positions of these women. Um, <laughs> Jazz is using her strength and athleticism to dominate. She looks good. Uh, pretty quick paced, though. And and like what you would expect from a triple threat match, these women are kind of all, all taking turn early. It's all Jazz using her strength And then the last couple minutes It's them all taking turns with different spots I actually The the one major note I had about this match was I didn't think that Lita and Trish Had a lot of chemistry in this match For two that would end up having Incredible chemistry down the line There were like two or three botched spots By them that just didn't look quite right Um, Trish did start to, to show some nice intensity In the ring around now And she was really improved over the next few years And, and even now she comes back And she's still great um, Lita tosses Jazz over the top And then she tosses Trish Like in between the ropes Where Trish kind of got hung up um, Sort of caught for a moment Wasn't really smooth But they did take some hard hits uh, Jazz, the finisher Was a nasty fisherman suplex Off the top rope that sort of looked like It knocked both of the women out for a moment she ends up pinish, uh, pinning Lita while Trish is outside of the ring, and Trish doesn't even know the match is over until she hears the music play, and she kind of gives that stunned look. So this thing went uh, just over six minutes. Um, I I like all these three individually. Like I actually thought Jazz was a uh, was a good good part of the women's division when she had some moments, but this this kind of fell a little flat to me. It felt like there were a few botches. I don't think it was awful. Definitely not. Nearly as bad as some of the women's stuff They would have been doing in the, the leading up to this In the years they were starting to try To take the women a little more seriously With turning Trish into a more Legitimate wrestler I don't think they were all the way there It sort of sort of feels to me a little bit like how Edge Was on this show like you could see What they're wanting to do with Trish And with, uh, with Lita But they're, they're just not quite smooth yet Look in, in fairness These three Could have had you know, a Charlotte Flair, Sasha Banks, Becky yeah. Lynch triple threat match, it and, and it would not have mattered at this point. There was literally nothing that they could have done to have gotten any kind of a reaction 
you know, this is literally in the in, in this spot for one reason and one reason only. It's the cool down match. It's to give everybody a breather between Hogan and Rock in the main event. Uh, you know, there, like you said, you know, for this for this era of women's wrestling, the matches the match is fine. It's not up to the standards that we've become accustomed to today. Trish is not yet at her best. A um, couple of the spots, like you said, are, are rough to watch. Um, there's nothing overly great about it. But again, in fairness to them, th- there was really nothing that they could have done to, to get this crowd at this point. Once the bell rang, there was one pop. Lita teased taking her top off. <laughs> That's all you need to know about women's wrestling in 2002. Yeah. That that was the one spot the crowd popped at. Um, not to say the match was awful. It was what it was. Nothing was going to succeed at that point because Rock and Hogan should have closed the show. Jazz somehow won this match despite being by far the least over of the three. And maybe she just maybe that just meant she needed the title. Maybe that meant Trish and Lita didn't. I don't know. But I found myself really struggling to care about this given what we saw prior to it. Yeah, it's it's a bummer. Um, it, it just kind of felt like that for the the rest of the show, unfortunately. Um, as we we head backstage, and we get uh, Christian taking his hardcore title out. He's just getting ready to leave in a cab. He's excited. He's going to leave WrestleMania as a champ. Uh, he stops to tell the cab driver about his win, and from behind, Maven sneaks back up, wins the hardcore title back, and steals Christian Cab, and he leaves as the hardcore champ. So. Uh, that's done for the night, and uh, Maven, who was the champ to what to begin with, is the champ again uh, as you end. He's got that kind of crash gimmick, that R-Truth gimmick uh, that we see nowadays as, you know, I just thought it was sort of weird how they transitioned from that. They get set up for the main event, but again, no video package here because they showed that video package way earlier. But we get another live performance of the Triple H intro. And and they're playing for a minute before Triple H even comes out. Then it's Y2J with Stephanie McMahon. I thought Stephanie looks really good here. Um, her her mania costumes and outfits usually usually look pretty good. She's kind of got that like I'm an evil princess thing going on. Uh, and you know I, I jotted a few times like a lot of this feud was Triple H Stephanie stuff. Jericho kind of a a guy who had to be there. Uh, Triple H selling the leg injury. Steph screaming from outside in the corner of Jericho. Uh, after a few minutes early, Jericho takes over. We get a spear by Triple H. We get figure four. But Stephanie digs her nails into Triple H's eyes, so he has to relinquish the hold. Um, then he grabs her on the apron, and she takes kind of a, a, a nasty bump here. She sort of gets hung up on the ropes, and Jericho kind of spears her. And it, and it looks like when she falls that Triple H is worried and concerned about her, like he's going to go up and, and, and check on her. But no, he wants to pedigree her. He teases that. <laughs> um, Jericho hits a missile drop kick right over Stephanie. I thought that was incredible. The window, like the margin of error there, where Triple H has Stephanie in a pedigree, and you've got to jump over Stephanie, basically, and hit Triple H in the chest. Like, that's a they trust Jericho, obviously. Like, that's a tight spot where you, you slip a little, the timing's a little off, and you're like, Jumping on top of Stephanie Or like kicking her in the back Which could have been been bad But I thought that was a, a pretty cool spot um, 
Outside the ring, Stephanie starts kicking at Triple H's leg And Jericho starts really working on Triple H's leg Driving Hunter's knee into the mat I mean, I thought it was fine It was like good heel work working on a body part After a few minutes, Triple H is back in control He hits a spine buster, not an Arn Anderson one uh, He gets knocked to the floor And they go outside on top of the announce tables uh, Jericho's standing tall He tries to lock in the walls of Jericho Which I never get, like Doing your sub move, your submission move on the the announce table. I mean, great. Like, put him through an announce table, which is what ends up happening. Um, as Triple H teases the pedigree, but Jericho counters it with the back body drop. Steph applauds, and I, I I always love when she says stuff like this. That's what champions are made of. Like, that's a true champion. She's just like talking to Jericho. So annoying. You want to smack her. Um, Jericho tosses Triple H back in the ring He hits the lion salt for just two Even that, like no pop No crowd reaction For a near fall With, with Jericho with one of his big moves um, Jericho Is able to then fight his way out of a pedigree uh, He hooks in the walls of Jericho Triple H battles out of it uh, Jericho gets a chair but Triple H Kicks it into Jericho's face Then we get a DDT on the chair The crowd is just so dead And as both men are down Stephanie gets into the ring with a chair But Earl Hebner grabs it from her That's when Triple H grabs her by the hair And and the crowd at least starts to get into it a little here When we get, like, Triple H pedigreeing his wife Like, (laughs) nailing her Uh, So that's another uh, man-on-woman violence that we got here on this show Um it's it's kind of nuts when you think back Like oh wow he pedigrees He pedigrees her uh, Then he turns around and he runs into Jericho who nails him with a chair shot To the head for two And JR is trying Like he's trying to get this over He's trying to sell Triple H as the next big major baby face Jericho goes for a pedigree But he can't hit it We get a small back and forth Triple H hits a pedigree JR screams like he would for Austin It just it seems a little bit disconnected uh, at the end, we get the quick recap package of the whole event. Just re- like reform the last few matches a little bit, right? Give me Jericho Austin, or give me Jericho Triple H, give me the women's match, and then give me Hogan Rock to end. And how much better does the show feel when you sign off the air, DZ? Yeah, you well you 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 end the show with a with an organic moment and not a forced moment. Um, you're 100% right on, well, let me, first things first, let me just say, I don't know what it would take for me if I owned a company to send my 25 year old daughter out at the time looking like that. Um, I, I, it's so weird to me how, like at this point when she was like 22, 23 years old, how she was like, you know, portrayed, you know, in the company that her father owned it, it amazed me. Um, but aside from that, yeah. So you get the uh, you get the feeling that Vince is in JR's ear panicked because of how the crowd was for Rock Hogan and realizing that he made a mistake and just saying to JR, you gotta do everything in your power, man. Everything in your power right. to push this over. Everything. Right. Hit him with everything. Anything you can come up with, anything, we just just pound it, pound it. We gotta sell it. You got to sell it. This is the face of the company going forward. You got to sell it. You know, like it's so glaringly obvious. Um, the, the match is not bad by any stretch of the imagination. I wouldn't say it's bad. And I would certainly probably remember it uh, a lot 
more or a lot better if you switched it with Rock and Hogan. But, you know, you no matter how good and, and look, if this was a, you know, five star Nakamura styles from New Japan match, you know, maybe we talk about it a little bit differently. But you've just come out of this night saying good match shouldn't have been the main event. Um, shouldn't have been how the show ended. Uh, I thought the finish was was cool. I thought the way that they, you know, Jericho propelled and got kicked and went into the pedigree, I thought was was fine. Um, you know, I thought JR did everything he possibly could uh, short of, you know, sacrificing his, you know, unborn child to get the match over. Um, but I just come, you know, it, it, you just watch this and just realize that they made a mistake. And, and that's, you know, there, there's nothing that could be done about that. On one hand, I get the logic. The logic being the champion always goes on last. I understand that. Doesn't. WrestleMania 8, they put Hogan in the main event. Not in the title match. Well, they should have <laughs> done that again here. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Thank you yeah. for giving me the assist for the layup there. I appreciate that. Now, the problem isn't the match. The match is fine. It's mm-hmm. a three-star match between two guys that work well together. Triple H is still trying to get his legs under him as a full time worker. About being on the gas. Woo! Yeah. 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 Um, that's, that's for darn sure. Um, Triple H, this would start his several year long reign at the top. And being blunt, he was always at his best when he was the heel chasing the top guy. Yeah. Not when he was the top guy. Never. He, he sometime along the way, someone got convinced he was Ric Flair 2.0. Harley Race, you know. Well, they... Harley makes sense. Yeah. Because Harley was never the guy that was on top for extended periods of time without, you know, not going over. Like this was a case of them deciding Triple H was God. Yeah. And Triple H when he wanted to be was an excellent worker a guy that could talk and a guy that there was certainly a place for in the main event, but he was only there because the other guys from the attitude era were done. Austin was done. Not long after this rock would be done. Not long after this Mick Foley was done a couple of years prior. Shawn Michaels would come back, but he didn't need the title. He didn't need to be in the main event. And other than that, who was left? Yeah. Right and they place, just didn't, right time. They, they didn't create Hardy or uh, Edge or some of those guys as like true main eventers that could feel like they were legit in the main event for a while. Right. And the next guy that they did that with, they tried to make Orton the babyface, which never worked. And then they made Batista, which absolutely did work. Yeah. The problem is that's three or four years down the line. Yeah. And then you get Cena who comes in and it's kind of a Batista Cena for a while where they're, you know, they're sort of towards the top. But Triple H is always there, you know, and um, just so much better as that as the heel, the evil heel. Um, so just a, a, a very strange WrestleMania for me, one that I, I didn't remember quite like this because I, I was thinking, oh, yeah, Hogan Rock, which is still still exciting watching it back. It's fun. It's great. 
uh, it's got to be good because Darren's not even saying a whole lot of bad about Hogan in the match. Mm-hmm. So you know, you know, it's 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 fun and worth your twenty five minutes or so to watch everything around that match. But so much other stuff throughout the show, Darren. Like, how many matches did we say five or six that we said? Oh yeah, that was fine. I mean, honestly. The opener, RVD, Regal. I think of all the matches, that one probably could have gotten the best with maybe five more minutes of, of like the undercard matches. But DDP, Christian, eh. Like Kurt, Kane, fine. Uh, Edge, Booker T, fine. Austin Hall. Like we all said it wasn't nearly as all-time bad as people thought. Like, fine. Tag team match, nothing special. Women's match, kind of felt like like... That was actually a pretty good women's match for the time For mm-hmm. them Like they weren't bad It wasn't like a 30 second somebody comes in and does something stupid And that's it Just like a very ho-hum show Which is not what we expect for Wrestlemania Especially during this time period Yeah, yeah and, and exactly Because like we said when we started off 17 is so good 19 is so good uh, That you just You just automatically assume That this mania with the the timing of it and, and who's in these matches was going to be very good. And to be frank, it's just not very good. It's it's okay. Uh, it is definitely not a, a prominent it is, or, you know, one of the best WrestleManias of all time by a long shot. Um, and, and it's, you know, look, it's going to happen sometimes. Sometimes everything's going to go right. Sometimes, no, nah, things aren't going to, you know, line up very well. And that's, you know, kind of what you have here. You have some matches that are just kind of thrown together without much of a story. Um, you have matches that uh, either go too short or too long. You have matches that are not placed in the right part of the card. And what that all adds up to is a, you know, mediocre to lackluster WrestleMania. Yep. Co-sign with all of that. It's really strange, the fact that all three of us are in so much agreement. It's almost like longtime listeners are listening to a completely different show than what they <laughs> usually hear every week from us. But, uh, other than Rock Hogan, nothing you need to go out of your way to see. That's for sure. So, uh, Darren Zocali, on our next Old Wrestling Rewatch, you are going to be making the selection for us. Where are we going to head for that one? Uh, I got an interesting show. Um, we are going to go back to Ted Turner's WCW. Because uh, they are on the Peacock Network I wasn't sure, I had to look to make sure that they were there And sure enough they are um, We're going to the 1992 Super Brawl 2 um, This is a Nice! A, yeah, this is a card that I think uh, Andrew is really going to appreciate Because the first match of the card Is Flying Brian and Jushin Liger oh. In an absolutely classic Classic, oh. classic match. Um, it, I, I picked this show in addition to that being just a spectacular match. Um, it's interesting with some of the names that are on here. You get a match between Cactus Jack and Ron Simmons. Uh, you get a look at uh, the aforementioned Kevin Nash in a tag team match when he was known as Vinny Vegas. Um, you get a uh, what is a, a better than expected. A match for the WCW World Television, uh, well, excuse me, a, a grudge tag team match that includes the then WCW World Television champion, stunning Steve Austin, who teams with Larry Zabisco against Barry Windham and Dustin Rhodes um, in what is an interesting match. You get Arn Anderson and Bobby Eaton against the Steiner brothers in a very good match. And then you get 
two things that I like to point out. Number one, you get you get what I would say is a good to very good match between Rick Rude and Ricky Steamboat for the U.S. title. Now, the last match, I am I'm not speaking about because it's good, but it is part of why Lex Luger at times would put doubt in people's minds as to if he really was all that people thought he was cracked up to be because Luger is on his way out the door in about five, uh, four weeks time. We're going to see him appear at WrestleMania eight in that little interview with Bobby Heenan, but he's dropping the title here to sting as he's walking out the door. And we're going to have fun picking apart this match to talk about all of the things that Luger does that kind of gets him the reputation that he gets uh, in terms of, you know, not being interested at times, going through the motions, and, you know, such as when a guy is walking out the door, doing the right thing, making the other guy look good, selling, doing all that stuff, and how Luger pretty much does the exact opposite of that. So I like this show because it has some damn good matches and it has some fun stuff that we can talk about. Headed to 1992 for Super Brawl 2 for our next old wrestling rewatch. Big thank you to Andrew and to Darren for helping me out. Big thank you to Dave for talking some NBA with us a little earlier on. Uh, Later on this week, you will get uh, wrestling with Chad Cooper. We'll do the wrestling recaps like always. We'll have NBA with Eric. We'll really do a preview of the playoff series and we'll get a better idea of what all those matchups look like. And we'll continue on setting you up for the big weekend racing. And then coming very soon, we are going to have uh, the uh, the Star Wars movie rewatches beginning here. Where we're going to go back and recap all the Star Wars movies. And, uh, and that way, once uh, some of the new Star Wars shows and movies are coming out, we'll have a nice library of everything that you can go back and listen to, uh, all of our thoughts. And we're going to be doing uh, Loki when that comes up uh, in, a, what, about a, a month or so and. Tim Kelly will be back joining us then, so uh, always going to be really busy here on That's What G Said, and we had some fun talking what Canterbury, Grants Pass, Indiana, Emerald Downs, and Churchill all on one episode, plus old wrestling, plus NBA, uh, plus horse racing news. Probably don't get that on too many other shows. Hopefully you enjoyed this one. We'll be back in just a few days, folks. Good luck rest of this week. Joey, close this thing out.